Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nasara. Thank you for joining us as we begin with our meditation and do our planetary service work, setting the tone for today. Please set aside the rest of the world in its third-dimensional form as we go into our heart center. Take a deep breath going into the heart portal as we call forth for our full connection with our soul, our higher self, our monad, our muddy I am presence. We call forth for the full mergence with each of these aspects of our being and all of our multidimensional presence through to our God presence, our goddess presence. See yourself in your muddy pillar of light that is once again filled with the violet light of transmutation and transformation along with the violet, our sparks of gold, allowing us to see the alchemical process, changing the mundane into gold, changing our world into the golden age. See, sense and feel your pillar of light, fully anchored to source and anchored to the heart of Mother Gaia. as we recommit ourselves once again to this work and being the bridge between heaven and earth, being the anchor for the new golden age, and being the open door that no one can shut. Expand your pillar and expand your heart as we invite in all humanity to join us in this ascension work. Please affirm after me, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with the I am presence of all of my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. It is at the level of the I am presence, your planetary Christ presence, that we are fully connected to every soul. And so we connect soul to soul, heart to heart, high heart to high heart, cosmic heart to cosmic heart, I am presence to I am presence. And we invite them in to do this work with us in unity consciousness as we see everyone in their own pillar of light, bringing forth the light of transmutation and transformation. We invite in for one and all, all soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage or ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, 
our spiritual lineage, our soul families, our soul pods. We welcome for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardians, our beloved sunshine, our ascension council, our mission council. We invite in all the kingdoms to support us. The plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of angels, from the angels and archangels, through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healing teams. Take a moment to acknowledge them and feel the angelic energy around you. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, and all ascended master healing teams. We welcome all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially those that we work with so very closely. From Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus all of their healing teams, and all cosmic, galactic, and universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking that Mother, Father, God, overlight all that we do, and magnifying, magnifying, magnify it individually and collectively in divine order for each one. Ten billion times, ten billion fold, if that is indeed in divine law and divine will. We welcome at this time the assistance of all the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws and ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, prayer and invocation, blessing and grace, dispensation and activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level. And through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our orc fields multidimensionally, through each individual's I am presence, the maximum that we can receive ever expanding to perfection. We ask that all that is received is easily and effortlessly digested and assimilated, grounded and anchored, integrated and embodied by each of us, by all of humanity, individually and as a collective, with greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, in love and light and laughter. We ask that Gaia receive all that we receive, 
we call forth to have received with us all in a circle of support. From the very first name that created it to each individual, each group, each entity, each organization, each corporation, each business, each nation, each government, each leader, each institution, all weather patterns, each event, each summit, each meeting, each and everything that has been placed in the circle since its creation, and we call forward the energy of this time, including this upcoming full moon, to work with us and to be added to the collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of all on this planet, including the raising of consciousness of each individual and the collective. As we call forth Gaia to receive this, we call forth her to receive it in every chakra and meridian and layer of her orc field multidimensionally, through every ley line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, even the molecules of fire. And we call it forth through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light, <clears throat> that each and every place on the planet truly becomes a city of light as we continue this amazing spiral of evolution as Gaia takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. We're going to continue working with the violet flame at this moment. So blaze it brightly in through and around yourself and the planet, as we say, in the name of I am that I am. I now call for the action of the violet transmuting flame to be activated within my entire consciousness, being, and world. Violet fire from the heart of God. Violet fire from the heart of God. Violet from the heart of God. Expand thy light through me each day. Expand thy light through me each day. Expand thy light through me each day. Transmute and heal my human impressions into the diamond of God's heart and Christ's perfection. Transmute and heal my human impressions into the shining diamond of God's heart and Christ's perfection. Transmute and heal my human impressions into the shining diamond of God's heart and Christ's perfection. As I surrender to thy radiant light, take dominion over my life, blaze into action the mercy's flame 
of the compassionate heart. Expand and saturate within me the wonders of the violet light until I am totally transformed. Beloved, I am presence. Send the violet flame to purify every cell, atom, and electron of my being until I am raised into my eternal victory by the action of the violet fire and the ascension fire. And so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the emerald green ray and flame of truth, blazing it in through and around us and the planet as we call forth for divine truth to be fully activated, including the truth of the true harmony of our own being. Mighty I am presence, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic host, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. Come forth in your mightiest cosmic action of the unfit flame. Annihilate forever the mass entity of lying and deceit and its cause and effect in all humankind, the earth and all its atmosphere. Annihilate all such qualities in every human being forever and replace them by the ascended master's truth, honesty, honor, integrity, and light substance. Instantly and infinitely manifest, eternally sustained, and ever-expanding. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Please continue to blaze each of these as we call for the healing properties of the emerald green flame. And we affirm, mighty I am presence, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic host, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. Blast, blast, blast forever all entities and their cause and effect, individual and a mass of doubt, fear, grief, hate, jealousy, criticism, anger, irritation, resentment, and discord of every kind within the thought and feeling worlds of all humankind forever. Annihilate all such qualities from the memory of every human being on earth forever and replace them by the ascended master's victory and mastery of light and love eternally sustained. Take into oblivion forever all that does not serve the light 
and save blessed, beloved humanity in spite of itself and its creation. By the power of the unfed flame of divine love and the cosmic light, annihilate every rate of vibration from the bodies of all humanity that manifests as a destructive quality and fill its place with the pure electronic substance of light from the ascended master's octave of light and keep it forever sustained. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the energies of divine love. Again, calling forth all the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension waves. As we, again, invoke divine love for all life. In the name of the all-pervading presence. We call forth all benevolent fields of consciousness from the realms of light to launch into immediate action. Great Spirit, empty the vaults of heaven in support of this mighty endeavor to restore love and goodness as the primary governing principles upon this planet and in every single nation. Thank you for empowering us to assist in this important task. Please assist us, Holy Spirit, in inaugurating the era of the right use of power in accordance with the divine plan. Let the power of love guide every thought, action, word, and feeling of all people on earth. Almighty Creator, we invoke the full commanding action of the universal lightning bolt of divine will to blaze through this group body throughout each and every nation on the planet, overlighting the entire planet. Help us all to realign with our true source of power, the loving spark of your loving presence beating in our hearts. Thy will be done. We command the light of wisdom to saturate the whole of humanity with increased focus upon every nation, its leaders, especially those experiencing conflict of any kind, with great equanimity, assist us to acknowledge our responsibility for our individual and collective contributions to the illusion of separation and world conflict. May we truly learn from our conflicted past and move forward to build a new present in the spirit of harmony and pure love. Dear angels of mercy and compassion, blaze the light of forgiveness in, through, and around every electron of precious life energy across the planet in every nation. Facilitate true healing and forgiveness between all perpetrators and victims of violence individually and collectively. Bring peace, understanding, and comfort to both parties. May right human relations be realized 
in each nation throughout the planet. We call forth the mightiest dreams of universal cosmic light to effect a relentless and thorough psychological cleansing of the subconscious minds of every man, woman, and child upon this planet. Through the law of grace, purge and redeem all humanity from the programs of violent conflict and separation in perfect accordance with the greater will. Holy Ones, we invoke your assistance in opening the doors to even greater international cooperation. Keep pouring the light of universal will into every world leader, every governmental body, military faction, NGO, societal agency, global think tank, and peacemaker to support the greatest humanitarian outpouring of goodwill the world has ever known. Let love prevail in every nation. Let love prevail in every leader. Let all people love. In the name of unity consciousness, we command the light of illumined understanding and unconditional love to penetrate the hearts and minds of all individuals all groups, and all leaders currently assisting in the peaceful rehabilitation of any war-torn nation. May these selfless efforts be sustained through a constant stream of divine intervention until harmony is irrevocably restored. Divine Presence, please provide the necessary ongoing care and support for all refugees and displaced people on the planet. Surge the light of love through all of these brave souls. Inspire new and innovative solutions that aim to permanently resolve all humanitarian crises. In the name of all that is sacred, we command the light of truth to flame in exquisite brilliance throughout every form of medium. Permanently dispel all glamorization of war, conflict, and violence of any kind in movies, video games, social media, newspapers, books, TV shows, news programs, and any other channels of media currently used on Earth. Expose all those who have used the media to enslave and manipulate the minds of the masses with endless demonstrations of war, conflict, and violence. Let the truth be revealed. We call forth and invoke the New Earth Societal Templates for Education and Technology to be anchored and activated in the Unity Grid now. Great presence of all life, please assist us in sparking an even greater holistic revolution in all current educational systems to focus on bringing about the highest potential in every human soul. Simultaneously, bring forth the most beneficial advancements in technology that will support our smooth transition into living in absolute harmony with the earth and with each other. Mother, Father, God, 
Please continue to saturate the land, atmosphere, water, oil, and all expressions of life in, through, and around the entire planet with the light of divine love. Prepare all the land and all of our beautiful people on earth for the imminent return of the law of one. Thank you for helping us to celebrate our cultural differences and to humbly acknowledge the truth of our inherent unity as one family of humanity. We seal this activity in cosmic love, cosmic peace, and cosmic power. Please join me in doing the OM three times. Call for special blessings for the children. O thou infinite mighty I am presence, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, mighty angelic host, great cosmic beings and great cosmic light. We make the call unto thee as never before to release thy blue lightning of divine love and thy sword of blue flame of divine love. Cut every child and young person on this planet forever free from every force, condition, and thing that would be unjust or bind them into destructive activities in any way. In the name of the mighty I Am Presence, we claim every child and young person on the face of the earth into the service of the light of the mighty I Am Presence and Ascended Host. We call forth whatever activity of the great cosmic law is required to seize, bind, and annihilate all that interferes with their full expression of the Ascended Master's perfection. We speak directly to the electronic body of every young person and child on this earth to blaze forth the Ascended Master's activity of the sword of blue flame of divine love and cut them free from everything that would draw them from the pathway of light. Annihilate all injustice and every discordant thing by which they are now surrounded. Lift them completely into the octave of light of the ascended masters, and blast all teaching from the earth that is not the eternal truth of the mighty I am presence and the great host of ascended masters. Charge forth thy mighty illumination into every brain and body. Charge them with ascended master obedience, self-control, management, marvelous directing intelligence and strength that refuses acceptance to everything but ascended master perfection. Clothe them in thy mighty glory, which keeps them forever invisible, invincible, and invulnerable to everything that does not serve the light. Let these precious ones go forth completely released to render that service to the earth 
which brings forth the golden age, and bless them with the fullness of the ascended masters, divine love, limitless light, strength, perfection, and the victory of their ascension. In the name of the mighty I am presence, I have spoken, and so it shall be established unto them. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the highest blessings for this nation, for the United States, and for all of the Americas, as well as the planet. We call forth again the violet flame. We call forth the golden light of ascension. As we say, mighty, infinite, I am presence. The mighty guardian presence for America. Come forth in thy cosmic action of the unfit flame of divine love and the eternal quenchless light. Blaze forth everywhere in through and around our beloved Americas. Thy light as of a thousand suns. Charge with ascended master consciousness and fulfillment of the divine plan for their freedom and perfection. We say to the consciousness of everyone in the Americas, awake, awake, awake to the truth of this mighty I am presence and the full perfection meant for the Americas. Great ones, release throughout them that activity of thy light which takes possession everywhere of the Americas, the governments, and the people. Control their resources. Direct their activities. Fill them with thy lavish abundance of all good things. And release that ascended master consciousness which compels divine justice to come forth for everyone within their borders. Surround them with thy invincible protection. Blaze forth thy mighty activity of love and light of the ascended masters and the angelic host that once and forever brings all into divine order through divine love. Charge forth thy full perfection everywhere forever. In the name of the mighty I am presence, we decree that the Americas shall manifest as nations of ascended masters to lead the rest of the earth into their eternal glory and the victory of the ascension. America, we love you. America, we love you. America, we love you. And our love and call to the mighty I am presence is great enough to bring forth your perfection now and keep it forever sustained. We charge you, our beloved America, with the ascended master's eternal victory of the light of God that never fails and the mighty mastery of the I am presence expanding its perfection everywhere within your borders. So long as the stars remain and the heavens send down dew, so long shall our beloved, beloved America carry the grail of light high and feed the rest of the earth with the ascended master's outpouring of freedom and perfection of the mighty I am presence. 
America, we enfold you in our mantle of light and love. Within it is all power. We hold you sealed within our hearts, and your mighty victory shall manifest every hour to the glory of the I Am and the Ascended Ones forever. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth for the obedience to the divine plan for this nation and for this planet. Mighty I am presence. Great host of ascended masters, great cosmic beings, and lords from the flame of Venus. In the full authority of the great cosmic law, project the great cosmic light with irresistible force through the government of the United States of America and hold all individuals true to their oath of office and obedient to the divine plan of the great cosmic beings for the perfecting of America, the government, and her people. Come forth. Take possession of all governmental offices. Hold your dominion and divine justice everywhere within our government forever. We thank thee thou dost always answer our every call, and it is eternally sustained and ever-expanding. So be it, and so it is. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the radiant ascension flame. Breathe and receive this magnificent light. We call it forth individually and collectively. The pure white light the white and gold of the ascension flame. In the name of the victorious presence of God, Goddess, I am. I call to the masters of light from the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood, beloved goddess of purity, beloved Serapis Bay, and the brotherhood of the ascension flame at Luxor and Telos, beloved queen of light, and beloved angels of the radiant ascension flame. Flood every particle of life on earth with oceans and oceans and oceans of violet fire and the ascension flame. Purify and illumine and raise the consciousness of all life and all kingdoms evolving here. Let thy flame blaze, illumine and expand like the light of a thousand suns. Purify our minds, memories, and feeling worlds from all blockages and negativity. Purify our bodies from all diseases and weaknesses. Flood our world with the pure snow-white radiance of the ascension flame purity. Saturate and purify until we become crystal clear transforming all we contact with the radiant light of the ascension flame. Blaze a radiant ascension flame through us. 
blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Flood and saturate the earth with oceans of violet flame. Flood the earth with the radiance of the ascension fire. Cut us free to be with thee in the realms of eternal freedom and infinite perfection now and forever. So be it and so it is. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And so we call forth the expansion at this time of all divine qualities in ourselves and through every man, woman, and child. We call this forth one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. Beloved presence of God, Goddess, I am. I humbly invoke within my own being the expansion of your qualities of divine love, wisdom, power, tact, compassion, patience, diplomacy, forgiveness, brotherhood, eternal youth, beauty, perfection, sustained joy, Selflessness, devotion, freedom, tolerance, knowledge, and self-mastery. I ask for the ability to see each one of my fellow humanity as part of my greater self. To help each one to awaken to their true identity in God, Goddess. I ask that I may help them with the fulfillment of their divine plan. I ask that I may develop my own talents to their highest potentials. I request that my emotional and mental bodies be harmonized, raised, and purified by the action of the violet fire and the ascension flame. I offer myself as an instrument of God Goddess to channel your many blessings to all life upon the planet, that through me, consciousness be raised and peace restored. May God, Goddess, be magnified in an ever-expanding spiral of love and gratitude for the many blessings and opportunities for growth this life on earth offers. I accept your love and guidance with gratitude. I am now standing on earth manifesting my full potential in God Goddess. As I call this forth for myself, I call this forth for every man, woman, and child. So be it, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. So we ask for this to be sealed in the golden light of the new golden age. We call forth the angels of victory to seal this and make sure this is victorious for one and all. We give thanks to the entire company of heaven for working with us in this ascension work. And we give thanks to each of you 
for your divine service here today. We ask that this be sealed, maintained, and sustained, ever expanding to perfection. And I invite you at this time to join us for further ascension work, further divine service, each and every Sunday and Monday evening. For the ascension meditation and activation calls, this is a teleconference call, and we meet at 8.45 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm sorry, 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time, every Sunday and Monday evening. We have about 25 minutes of greetings, and then Tara and Rama come in for a brief update. We start our ascension work, well, from the moment that we get on, but we start our meditations in earnest at 9.30 Eastern. 6.30 Pacific Time, and we invite you all to become regular members of the family of light that does this service work, bringing heaven to earth. If you have not joined it, please grab a pen or a pencil to write down the phone number. The main number is the area code 425-436-6260. Area code 425-436-6260. The code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND is the access code. And we hope you'll join us. Each call is unique. And uh, we'll have very, very powerful activations included each evening. There are also other phone numbers to dial in on. There are international numbers. There's a way to access it through the computer. If you need that additional information, please contact me directly through email at CherylCroce at AOL.com. So that's C-H-E-R-Y-L. C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. We'll get that to you right away. Just put in the memo at the top, the title, Add to List, and we'll make sure that you get that updated information on how to access the calls as well as any replay information. So I hope you'll join us every Sunday and Monday. And with that, I, we want to thank Tarn Rama for their divine service. We want to thank each and every one of you for being here on the planet at this time. And I thank Rainbird for her divine service as well. As I pass this talking stick with the magnificent frequencies of violet and gold, and the blazing, blazing, blazing light of purity, the white light of the ascension ray and flame, as we uplift all humanity and have the support of all of the kingdoms, all of the heavenly realms, they're all here working with us. And Greenbird, I talk, pass the talking stick. 
infinite blessings to you and to everyone here this week. Well, thank you. I'll take that talking stick. And thank you, Cheryl, for your divine service. We're so grateful to have these awesome beginnings each week. So lots of gratitude for you. I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. So um, each week we need $300 for our services with CBS Radio. And so here's how you make a donation to our account at DBS Radio. First, go into your heart space, see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. Click on Radio Station 2, or you can scroll down and find the menu for Radio Station 2. So we're looking for those programs on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So Thursday... Uh, at the six o'clock hour, you'll see the, uh, a night at the round table with the panel listed. Click on that icon there and that'll take you to our account with BDS and you can make a donation there using your bank card. So as we go to the one on Friday night, it's the hard news with Tara and Rama on Friday night. And that, that's also at the six o'clock hour. These are, um, consistent. Pacific times, so um, you could do the translation there. <laughs> and uh, as you click on that icon there, you'll get to our account. As as is true with this program, at the one thirty hour, um, the true history, history of the Sarah and our galactic origins with Tara and Rama. So any one of those three icons will take you to our account where you can make that donation. So thank you for taking the action. We're so grateful to uh, just be even Stephen, and we are. We were behind and got got right even, and we're just really great to to keep up with the just um, every week in a good way so that we can take care of our people at BBS Radio. So lots of gratitude for, for uh, being prompt with those donations that way. So, we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week, um, they need uh, $180 for Rama's um, medical appointment, doctor appointment on the 26th of January. And then they also need food and gas money. So, they need $250 to cover their expenses that way. So that in total is $430. Here's how we make a contribution to Tara and Rama. You want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, as you click on the menu grid at the top, you will see a listing for a donate listing at near the bottom of that list. Click on that. That'll take you to Rama's PayPal account. And that is the best way to make a donation to Tara Rama through the PayPal account. So um, as you have your own PayPal account, you can access the friends option by using Rama's email at PayPal. And that email for Rama at PayPal is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. So that's how we make it happen. Either way is perfect. We're grateful for your contributions. 
and uh, we're grateful for all the ways that you show up in your lives. So as you're sending stuff into Tara Rama, please let them know through email. And Rama's email address is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999 at Comcast.net. And then as you need it, his, the mailing address for Tara and Rama is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D-B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. And that is at Post Office Box 280-280, and that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, and the zip code in Santa Cruz, New Mexico is 87567, and I'll repeat that zip, 87567. So there you have it, all the information you need. So lots of gratitude for all your contributions and support. Of the work that we do here, we're so grateful for Tara and Rama and all that they do. And so um, we're so grateful for all of you for all that you do. So 13 thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil. And I have one more address to give you. That's for the Shop 3 Mart address. And this is a, a fundraiser, and it helps Tara and Rama get the supplements that they need. Uh, so here's the address to go to join and to look around and, and if you like it and want to join, you join from this site and you, and you order from your own site. And there are no uh, monthly requirements or anything like that. So it's, it's not making any kind of a commitment to anything like that. So here it is, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.shopfreemark dot com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. And that takes you directly to the 2013 Rainbow Roundtable account. And it's account number 7,000. That has to be perfect, right? (laughs) So there you go. Uh, So lots of gratitude for your participation there as well. And lots of gratitude to Tara and Rama. So with Pesta's talking stick, uh, Cheryl said it best. It's really full of lots of light and angelic presence, and and the violet flame, and all the all the other sacred flames uh, and rays. So greetings, Tar and Rama. Here comes his talking stick, and it's got lots of fairies and feathers and little people. The manahunis and the gnomes and the hobbits are all there. And so greetings, Tar and Rama. Here comes his talking stick. Greetings. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you, Cheryl, and thank you, Rainbird. Yes. May we all continue to pass every test. And remember that we're the ones that are doing the testing. (laughs) Yes. That's a natural part of being human. And that's an important thing to uh, observe in ourselves. So, I mean, I'm going to say it again. We we decide who we're going to have as our parents. And we decide that for a reason. 
There's nobody lording that over us. And that's a big deal. So what's going on is there's only one of us here and everyone and everything in our space is a reflection of us. And uh, even at that point, uh, patience and all of the virtues are are for us to make use of in order to navigate the situation. And I just came in my came into my mind Baha'u'llah. He was the author of the teachings. What is that called? That Baha'u'llah teachings. The um. um. <laughs> having a uh, a moment here. Having a yeah, a wonderful Baha'i temple teachings. The Baha'i yes. temples, the Baha'i temples teachings. And I spent about a year living with a a group in 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 Norway, and they were all members of the Baha'i faith. And they had 400 acres of land. And we grew all kinds of organic produce on that land. <coughs> and um, there were a 100 rooms. It was like an inn. And so we had international seminars two to four weeks at a time. And people come from all over the world all kinds of skills and trainings and cultural and intercultural uh, indigenous uh, galactic uh, East Indian uh, African Egyptian in particular teachers of multi, multi, uh, integrated, uh, awarenesses. And we were able to create a hour and a half long television program to share it with all of Europe. And that was quite an experience to do all of those things, uh, on an integrated basis with people from so many different uh, cultures. Um, and that's the nature of our planet right now. And there's more and more galactic beings that are integrating into our society and angels and archangels, right, Mama? Yes. And I'm going to pass the talking stick just for a minute to you because you might have something to share. Um, the biggest news I've heard today is there was an underwater volcano that mm. went off. And I called Ranamu and Ranamu said this has to do with the sun discharging M-class flares, G-class solar flares, 
the full moon is coming up in Cancer and the Pacific Rim of Fire is fully activated. And it is about this moment here where as we can get our thoughts in order, we can calm the climatic conditions. And it is Martin Luther King's birthday today. Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it is a huge deal with what's going on because there are a few folks who don't want everyone to vote. And that's the biggest deal that's kind of going on along with the, you know, climate disruption as Greg Braden describes it. And these global events that have to do with the atmosphere, all the five elements, earth, air, fire, water, ether, in conjunction with us, because we got all five elements in us. And as we can kind of get our shit together, we can get the climate together. Like we had in Atlantis as you talk to the rain and so on. And what we need to do though is we must round these ones up that have no intention in preserving the climate. If it's useful for profit, they don't care. And the Schumann resonance keeps getting higher. That little graph, the lights, let's say, you know, things are moving right along with the electromagnetic fields because all of this has to do with the shifts in us and in the planet. We're symbiotically related. It's tied at the hip. And I saw Grandmother Beatrice today for a moment and I saw her on the plaza and she said that the volcano is another sign that um, the blue star Katina, the red star Katina, the guardians of the galaxy are here and they are in conjunction with us how we can do this with peace and love rather at the other end of a gun. And there's a hostage situation going on in a suburb of Fort Worth, Texas. And I'll just say all of it is about these false ideologies that the fallen angels kind of threw into the mix here playing as co-creator gods of the most high and by exposing these folks it all changes the story right now Uranus is doing quite a dance in the sky 
and sudden change, revolution, evolution, it's in the air. Uh, <laughs> that that's what I'm hearing. Right past the doggy stick. The suburb is known as Colleyville. C O L L E Y V I L L E. And there's a SWAT team there. And the latest is that he's armed. And he's holding these people at a synagogue there, hostages, for a particular reason. Let me see if I can get that there. Um, he wants somebody to be freed. I just got to wait for this. Okay, wait. SWAT FBI teams sent to synagogue nearby what is residents that? evacuated nearby residents evacuated oh my yeah it's a big deal <coughs> here it is just gotta wait a minute cause when I stop it then it covers up the re writing at the bottom armed suspect reportedly trying to free Prisoner known as, quote, Lady Al-Qaeda, unquote. What? <laughs> no, what it says. Well, it's not funny because he's t promising everybody's going to die eventually before it's over that are in that synagogue. Where are uh, uh, No. Yeah, where are Scully and Mulder? <laughs> this is... Well, I think what's going on is that there's another incident that was arranged, you know, a mind control situation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I was contemplating replaying something we played before, yet it was so well done. And... We're, yes, we're going to listen to the most hyenas crime being committed at the moment on the planet ever. Uh, and it's called Killing for Profit, and it has to do with the vaccinations. And that combined with that is their intention to uh, remove all people of color and by whatever means necessary. In other words, they have access to, as we said this years ago when we first talked about it, there are frequencies. Is everybody okay? They're click, 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 click. Um, frequencies that are um, discordant sounds that are yes. very harmful to the human psyche. And so it's a set of frequencies that could trigger emotions on the ground where people do acts of violence too from that point of view. And uh, they're targeting, like I said, people of color. This is 
um, got to do with uh, white supremacy ideas. Uh, and this particular country has really got a case going here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's severe. Um, so, um, what shall we do? Or do you want to play Greg Braden just to get a good positive yeah. input? How about that? This is Greg Braden. Um, the better we know ourselves, the less we fear each other in the cycle of changes. And this is about everybody, one rainbow nation. Here we go. Okay, here we go, everybody. 19 minutes, Rawa? 17. 17, okay. <laughs> um, Make sure you turn the sound up. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to have you with John, us. John, I'm, I'm thrilled to be back. <laughs> Thanks for having me here before and inviting me back anyway. Yeah, okay. yeah, we had <laughs> overcome some, so, yeah. you know, but we made, yeah. we made it work. I think uh, I, I'm always uh, amazed, but not surprised. I'm in awe at how quickly the, the change in this world is, is happening. You know, the uh, for the bulk of my adult life, uh, first as a scientist in the corporations and now as an independent uh, researcher and, and an author, uh, I've spent a tremendous amount of time with indigenous peoples uh, throughout the world, mm -hmm. from the highlands of central China and the monasteries in Tibet uh, and, uh, and the mountains of Egypt and Nepal and India and Bolivia and Peru and all through the American desert southwest and the Yucatan and, and much more. And every one of those elders that I have been with, they told us, they told us for, for generations that this change was coming. Mm -hmm. They all knew it was coming. Yeah. And I've also had the opportunity to be with uh, just amazing scientists, engineers, spiritual leaders, political leaders, presidents. Everyone has known that the change was coming. And everyone that I've spoken with in the last couple of years is absolutely blown away at how fast it's happening. They, they knew it was coming, but they thought it was going to happen like slowly, gradually, over, uh, over generations. They didn't think there would be a single pivotal generation that has to go through the kind of change. It's exponential. I mean, I started talking about this stuff like you did uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. I was giving speeches around the Pentagon about all the converging uh, trends. And, uh, and then you're in the middle of it and you go, God, God, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Well, it's, you know, for people, I'm a systems thinker. I'm uh, I'm an earth scientist, I'm a degree geologist, an earth science scientist by degree with a background in uh, in life sciences, so molecular biology and uh, molecular chemistry and things like that. And it has helped me to look into the science, the scientific papers that are published, uh, usually in obscure journals, very few people get to see. So the scientists are right on top of it. They know what's going on. They know that we are in the presence of a cycle. Yeah. And a cycle, by its very nature, has a beginning and an ending. But if you don't know that, if you just wake up in the morning and if you are plugged into mainstream media and you do not have the opportunity to step back into the big picture, it's pretty scary because it looks like the world is just falling apart at the seams. Like everything that we have ever known, uh, trusted, the mm -hmm. systems that we've trusted sure. are, are all breaking down. And they are because they're unsustainable. That's exactly. 
if we can keep our perspective and realize this is a, a single precious moment yeah. in the momentum of, of human evolution and in the evolution of civilization, and it's when everything breaks down that we have the greatest opportunity to implement change and to implement new ideas because that's when there's a willingness to accept them. So many people, John, they're looking out there at the system, and, and that, that is important. Um, and, and past works, past books, I've identified that, that there are actually three cycles that are converging right now. There's the climate cycles many of us are aware of, economic cycles not many people are aware of, and the one that, that very few people, I had the opportunity to speak at the UN with Dr. Bruce Lipton yeah, recently, yeah. Uh, and I, I spoke at the UN about conflict cycles, and they had never heard of conflict cycles. They said, Does, don't, doesn't human conflict just happen when it happens? And I said, well, it can. But I, I said, it's, it's largely regulated, and you can, you can plot this on a graph. Human, human conflict is directly linked to cycles, uh, magnetic cycles between the sun That's right. and the earth. And when those magnetic fields are high, we are more cooperative, less aggressive. When they are low, we're very aggressive, and we are in a low point until the year 2020. Doesn't mean that we must have conflict. I want to be. I want to be really clear to my camera here. Just a moment. Mm. <laughs> clear to my camera here. We, doesn't mean we must have conflict. But it means we are susceptible and we are vulnerable. And it's also. This is the key. It is also. The, the greatest opportunity for peace because when we are in that vulnerable place, when we take the precautions, when we go the extra mile, we extend the olive branch, when we become very good listeners to our adversaries, and this is between nations or in our own yeah. living room with our own families, our most intimate partners, it works across the board, that is when we have the breakthroughs in communication. Well, so, the, the yeah. point you make about cycles is really important because what you have here is a confluence of cycles that are all Showing up at the same time. Martin Armstrong, I don't know if you know who he is. I do, yeah. Uh, Martin Armstrong uh, uh, has got uh, computer models that he developed at the CIA and other people tried to get from him and they threw him in jail because he wouldn't give them yeah. stuff. But Martin Armstrong is, is highly accurate in terms of the projections out of the suit. And the whole his whole capability is all based upon cycles and what he sees is this confluence of all of these cycles coming together that is driving the major change. And, yeah. and just one one other point is that what he also sees is that, that uh, food prices go up significantly starting next year, 2019, driven in part by the temperature going down, uh, moving ourselves into an area of, 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 of kind of a mini ice age. Well, as, as a geologist back in the 70s and 80s, uh, I was looking at this, and it was before climate change was in vogue, although climate change has always been happening. Uh, we were looking at the ice cores out of Antarctica from the area called Vostok Lake, uh, which then in the 1980s. And those cycles, the ice scientists, they recognized the climate was changing. They didn't know where it was going to go. They didn't know the cause, but they said, let's capture as much data as we can before the ice is destroyed, and then we'll have it, and we can go back and, and figure it out. So even they were amazed, John. They they pulled up uh, 420,000 layers of yeah, ice right. in Antarctica. Each layer represents one year of Earth's history. So they could compare that to today, and I'll tell you, it's like clockwork. The the rise and the fall 
of uh, global global temperatures, and we're right on track for warming. The question is how much warming and how long does it last? And what the cycles have always shown is the warming, first of all, it's intense, but it is brief. Right. And it peaks, and it's what is after the warming that has always been the problem. If you look at the uh, peer-reviewed science uh, of the carbon dioxide levels, relative to temperature coming from Greenland and Antarctica. There is uh, there's a, a very clear relationship. And what that relationship is, is the higher the CO2, the cooler the temperatures become. All right? So there's a lag time. The, the temperatures rise before the CO2. That means the CO2 is not the cause of, of the temperature rising. Scientists, uh, not pop scientists, not, not political scientists, but the, the main, mainstream scientists are studying this. They believe it is that the, the change is driven largely by Earth's location in space, our relationship to the sun, right. three, uh, the tilt, the angle, and the wobble, which are cyclic over long periods of time. But here's the key. In the past, the CO2 levels, as they have increased, it's right after that the temperatures take a, a big dive this is where humans have, have influenced what's happening because we have put more CO2 into the air than we have in any of those climate records. Right. So if we had a cooling in the past based upon the natural levels of CO2, and we have so much more CO2 now, how much cooling can we expect? And nobody's talking about it. Nobody's prepared for it. And that's, that's the problem. So th this is the key, John, to, to acknowledge this isn't denying climate. It's the change. It, the, the fact is we're in the climate change, and unless we can be honest with our... Hold on, everybody. It's kind of cool. Cause be honest with ourselves about the data. We can't be resilient to the change. Yeah, and if you're planning for it to get warm and it gets cold, you're in trouble because uh, agriculture doesn't work and... Uh, requirements for heating and every other kind of thing are just really well and it drives human conflict when we share resources when we grow food how we share that food how we share uh, medicine how yeah. we share communication so the, it's not denying that the climate change is occurring it is being honest saying it is and unless we begin to live and think very differently and it's you know it's good to have small cars. It's good to have smaller light bulbs. We need to get off fossil fuels. But even if we did all that, John, we would still be in a climate change. Mm -hmm. So to lead people to believe that if we make those changes, somehow things are going to go back to the way they were. We're going to push that climate back, I think is very disingenuous. And it, it, it does not help us as communities uh, and as a society to embrace the, the facts of the change and to, to learn to become resilient so that we can actually thrive. We can thrive in this change yeah. if we stop thinking the way we used to think and think differently. From my point of view, we ought to be thinking about how, the, how what the new world's about and how to design the new world and what the structures, mm. because it's going to be dramatically different from the past. Well, you can't wait until you get there to no. start the design. you got to start thinking ahead. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit because... Although this is related, it's a separate topic. Okay. We're thinking about the world out there, and we're thinking about it based upon a story mm -hmm. that we have been steeped in, in the modern world, have been taught for 150-plus years since the mid-1800s, yeah. when Charles Darwin introduced his, his theory. 
of evolution, we've been taught that nature is based upon competition, yeah. conflict, struggle, scarcity. And people say to me all the time, John, they say, you know, 1859, this is the 21st century, big deal. You know, what difference does it make? It's a good question because although it was 150 plus years ago, the society that we live in now was being formed when those ideas were embraced. So our economic system is based upon competition, conflict, struggle, scarcity, our corporate system. Yeah. And even even the way we have been so deeply ingrained into our subconscious, the way we treat one another in the most intimate moments yeah. of, of our under our roof with our loved ones, when we when they push those buttons, sure. we result to the most primal beliefs. And if those beliefs are steeped in competition, conflict, and struggle, then that determines uh, and informs the way that we solve those conflicts. Well, now we're talking about change on a global level, but we're trying to address it through the false science of competition, conflict, sure. and struggle. So here we are, and I'm a systems guy, I'm looking at the big picture. Yeah. We're looking at the convergence of all these cycles that's forcing us to think differently about ourselves and one another and to live differently so that we can thrive in the change. And for people waiting for the world to go back to normal, this is the new normal. Yeah. So so there's nothing well, to go back to. Yet, you can't go back. Even yet the new. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, yeah, it's, you can't go back to a world that no longer exists. So, so for me, the real opportunity here, if we're going to evolve and transcend and literally thrive, that it's possible to thrive in a new world, changing the way we think, we begin by thinking differently about ourselves. And I think people are willing to do it if they have a good reason. And the science, peer-reviewed science, is now giving us the reason to see ourselves in a, a world of cooperation. It's interesting because you don't have to listen to the commercials. You just have to if you're oh. making contact in a pure-hearted way, they're going to come. They want us to do it because it's how we... That was worthless hearing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Cooperation. To see ourselves as something very precious. Life is so precious and very unique and very special rather than devalue the human life. There's something very unique, very precious, very special about human life. And that's different than teaching evolution that's very sterile, that yeah. says these random mutations just happened, to, you know, happened at the right time. And, you know, here we are. And, and the reflection of that thinking, human life is so devalued. Uh, it's not relish is not cherished. The only way to create the, the kind of hate that we see in the world today is because the thinking that is underlying that hate says this life has no value. And so when we begin to change that, then there's an opening to cooperate for the kind of things that you're talking about right now. And because we begin to think, how can we give and contribute to the world rather than how can I get and how can how can it help me? And that's a very different well, way. Well, you know, as you suggest, there's a philosophical shift that has to happen, almost an existential kind of philosophic framework yeah. that starts to say, who am I? Who? How, how's this world work? Everything else in a whole kind of different way. And yeah. as you know, I've spent some time trying to think about this emerging kind of new world and. You, you, you have to start with what are the underlying principles, the underpinnings of 
that frame uh, your perspective of how the world works and who am I and how does this larger work and what what's sure yeah well and it, but this is reflected that the new economy for example we know the economy that we have right now it affects everyone uh, and it's unsustainable yeah. in the, the way it is and and I just want to say to our viewers when I talk about economies it doesn't always mean money it can. But there, I've, I've been in parts of the world that have very successful economies and there's no money involved. Mm. So economies aren't so much about money. It's about us. It's about people and relationships and how we share the vital resources that we need every day, food, water, medicine. Money can be a part of that. But that thinking is changing now. And when that fundamental shift occurs, then it makes sense. Then we want to come together and build clean, green, renewable yeah. sources of living and work so here's the key for me. The better we know ourselves, the less we fear change in the world. And the better we know ourselves, the less we fear one another. Yeah. And as our globalized world is shrinking and religions, cultures, societies are being forced together in a way that they never have, the better we know ourselves, the better we know of our potential and these extraordinary capacities that we have, the less we fear those things that we don't know, and we look at it more as an adventure. We say, "Hey, here's sure. here's a, here's a, a new culture I get to be with," rather than, "Hey, here's a culture that looks scary." Well, this is why I think what you're doing is so important. Transitions, these kinds of talks. My experience, John, I worked I uh, worked uh, in, during the Cold War years, uh, developing software for the defense industry, mm-hmm. uh, and I had the opportunity to to train Air Force cadets, and I learned about how they think. And what they need to hear for an idea to be meaningful to them. And those ideas, it applies for anything, whether it's software or whether it's, you know, whatever it is, building a a treehouse in your backyard. What I found is this. When the facts are clear, the choices become obvious and people rarely need to be told what to do. When the facts are clear, people say, well, my God, I, I never realized that. Well, now it makes sense. Let's do ABC. When the facts are clear, we tend to cooperate and work together. It's, it's when we are blindly told, just do this, it makes no sense, we don't know why, that, how, how are you going to get any cooperation on that? So that's why these programs are important, because we're sharing peer-reviewed science. And this is fascinating to me. We've asked science to tell us who we are. Science is doing a very good job. It's really quite exciting. Can I tell you a story about that? In 30 seconds. I was on a plane with an Air Force cadet, and he told me he would never bring children into the world the way it is right now. And I asked him a question. I said, why would you deny a life the opportunity to come in in such a, a powerful time? And then I didn't see him. And I saw him in the baggage claim, and he was grabbing his bags. He was running. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go make a baby. So I said, all right. <laughs> one, one more, one more, you know. <laughs> See what that the good news can bring. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, I left out all the details. <laughs> well, Greg, Ryan, it's been nice to have you with us. Thank you, John. Uh, we very much appreciate. Uh, so, thanks for being with us. Come out to Berkeley Springs and uh, enjoy our wonderful little uh, spa town, just a hundred hundred miles away from Washington and Baltimore, and come back. Okay. We better get started. This one's an hour. No, 57 minutes, right, Mama? Yeah, let me get there. Yeah, we're, okay, that was just to help our, our, our spirit, you know, to have hope.
this is a very dark story, yet we're here to witness it so that it can be known. So that's what we're going to do. Ready? Yeah. What's that called, Brahma? Tell us. This is uh, um, Dr. Rainier Fulmick. Uh, he's a lawyer. And this video, he's talking about the new Nuremberg tribunals they would like to have for Mr. Bill Gates and Mengele Fauci. Mm-hmm. And there's another one. What's his name? Uh, I'm not sure. T. There's four of them, actually. Yeah. The, um, hmm. Four let's, of them. Very ugly critters. Let's say they've been altered by the board queen to <laughs> promote the nonsense about these. I think Ceres and Dresden or something like that. And then yeah. Gates and uh, Fauci. So we're going to raise the vibrations and do a course correction from the spirit of our hearts together as we witness this. So here we go, 57 Listen minutes. and blaze the violet fire. Yes, that's right. Blaze that violet fire. Uh, commercials. Dr. Raina Filmic, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Dr. Raina Filmic is the leading lawyer and member of the German Corona Investigative Committee and specializes globally on the prosecution of fraudulent corporations. You might have heard of him from the famous Nuremberg 2.0. Dr. Raina Filmic, thank you. Raina Filmic, thank you so much for joining us this evening or this afternoon for you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, look, for, for the sake of the audience, I always do this. Could you please just give us a brief career history and what led you to spearheading Nuremberg 2.0? Well, I don't, I prefer not to call it Nuremberg 2.0, but I, I know that a lot of people have tried to pin that on me so that um, a lot of hopes, uh, very high hopes are riding on what we're doing here. But first of all, I'm not the only one. I'm just one of many. Um, uh, the Corona Investigative Committee is, uh, was founded by my friend Viviana Fischer. She's an attorney here in Berlin and myself on July 10th of 2020. Before that, I was completely in line with the mainstream. Um, I did have some suspicions because of the, because of my law practice. I had been going after the larger German global corporations such as one of the most criminal organizations in the world, Deutsche Bank, VW, and the world's largest shipping company, uh, Kuna and Nager. Um, I did have my suspicions, so did all of my colleagues, because it looked like the, the cards were stacked against us in these cases in the courts of law. In the meantime, of course, we've learned a lot, and the cards are not just stacked against us. It's a fact that the other side, um, Catherine Austin Pitts calls him Mr. Global, but that the people who are um, behind this agenda, and we have come to the conclusion that this is an agenda that's being rolled out, that these people have been um, have been infiltrating our societies for decades. Uh, it is 
hard to imagine, but this is what we've come, this is the conclusion that we've come to, not just through the World Economic Forum, not just through their uh, Young Global Leaders or Global Young Leaders Program, which produced uh, uh, graduates like Angela Merkel and, and Bill Gates, and of course, Jacinda Ardern, and Macron in France, and uh, what's his name, uh, Justin Trudeau in, uh, in Canada. But to make a very long story, very short. My wife and I were still in the U.S. in um, at our ranch in Northern California when uh, we received the news. This is in, in March of 2021, uh, 2020 rather, when we got all these phone calls from our friends and relatives telling us about a lockdown, which I thought this is this is ridiculous, this is crazy. And the stories that we heard reminded me a lot of what had happened during the swine flu, even though I had I had forgotten most of it. And because I couldn't understand what was going on, I, I got in touch with my friend Wolfgang Bodak, Dr. Wolfgang Bodak. He's the man who more or less, hang on one second, single-handedly um, stopped the swine flu some 10 years or 11 years ago. Um, he was capable of doing that because he's a very, he's, he's a doctor, lung specialist with lots of experience, and he was then in a position of power. He was a member of the German parliament, and he was a member of the uh, Council of Europe. Um, and that's why he was, uh, why he managed to expose that hoax back then as a mild flu. However, even then, very same uh, protagonists, including uh, Professor Dr. Um, uh, Drosden, he's the guy who, invent who invented the uh, PCR test, which he claims can tell us something about infections, which is a complete lie. That guy and his um, British counterpart, Neil Ferguson, both of them are blatant liars, um, they, had, they had come very far. They had, in fact, helped the pharmaceutical industry introduce their vaccines even then. It didn't work that well in Germany, but in the Scandinavian countries, uh, they vaccinated uh, lots of people. And uh, by through this vaccination now, there's uh, 1,300 children, young adults now, who are permanently disabled because they suffer from narcolepsy. So that's how it all started. My wife said, we've got to go back. We've got to do something. You know how to fight these bastards. She used other other words, of course. Um, so you got to do it. you got to <laughs> find some uh, allies and go ahead. And I said, I don't think I'm going to find any allies because the Germans, in particular, the German um, judiciary, is a bunch of cowards. Um, they're in it for the money. They're in it for, for their careers. I don't think I can count on anyone. But Wolfgang put me in touch with Viviana Fischer. She's not in it for the money. She's in it for the cause. And we set up the Corona Investigative Committee on July 10th, wanted answers to those questions which uh, we believe our government, uh, which is not our government anymore, and the mainstream media, which are owned, of course, by the same people who are owning this corona pandemic, um, that they wouldn't give us any answers to. How dangerous is the virus? How reliable is the PCR test? And how much damage do the anti-corona measures do? In the meantime, we know that it's devastating, and that's why we talk about crimes against humanity. The latest evidence is so compelling that the um, I just spoke about, spoke with Dr. Mike Eden, former vice president of Pfizer. I was about um, to ask you about this because we're, what we're here, what I've heard is that this is this is not about money. This original plan was to roll it out back yeah. all the way in 2050, uh, but they've accelerated it. And this recent uh, finding from Mike Eden and others 
is that this yeah. is worse than what happened in World War II, and we found evidence, undeniable evidence, that this is a kill shot, either being used to murder or maim people. Could you please go into us into those findings for us? Yes, this is the this is the most recent findings that um, Dr. Mike Eden came up with, but he does emphasize he's not the only one. This is a group of five or six scientists. Uh, it's just that he's the one I think that who connected the dots. And um, I'm, I, I don't know if you know, have you seen his video, the one that, um, it's a bit shoot video, and I think he calls it compelling evidence for premeditated mass murder. This video shows in great detail, and we're going to do this again uh, tomorrow on our next Corona um, uh, committee session. Uh, it shows in great detail how, and he's, he's focusing on three vaccine makers, or They claim it's vaccine. We know it's not vaccine. It's, it's not even uh, experimental gene therapy. It's experimental gene manipulation. This is what we're talking about. And so he took a closer look at BioNTech, Pfizer, Moderna, and uh, Johnson and Johnson. And the evidence that he showed us is really so compelling that we think we're going to make this a centerpiece of our international criminal trial which will uh, start in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be probably um, going to be a grand jury investigation asking the jury, which is the people, uh, to uh, for indictments against four of their figureheads, uh, Bill Gates, um, uh, Drusden, uh, Fauci, and Tedros of the WHO. But the findings that he showed us is that all three, all three of these... Um, Uh, vaccine makers, quote-unquote vaccine makers, um, are deliberately, they're looking for lethal doses. They're trying out the dosage. I, I forget the precise technical term he used, but we're going to come up with it tomorrow on our committee. Um, it is very obvious that if you follow the lot numbers, I think the British call it charges, um, oh, oh, Batches, rather, batches. Um, but the Americans call it lots. So if you follow these lot numbers, there's some that don't seem to cause any problems whatsoever, at least not now, as we have learned from one of our scientists, Professor, uh, she's a biologist and immunologist, uh, Ulrike Kemmerer from Wurzburg University. Even those um, shots that seem to be harmless, if it is mRNA, they shut off your immune system. That doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're going to die immediately. No, you're not. But uh, sooner or later, you're going to run into a virus or um, uh, some kind of illness, and, and your body won't be able to fight it because your immune system has been shut off. But some of these charge or uh, lots are so dangerous that if you look at them and follow them through the United States, through the, in that case, 36 states of the United States, um, they were extremely harmful, caused thousands and thousands of deaths all across the country. And um, from the way that he explained it to us, it seems very, very obvious that they did this taking turns. First Moderna, then BioNTech Pfizer, then uh, Johnson and Johnson. And you could also see that they were sort of taking breaks in between. And there's a couple of, char of, uh, of lots that were completely harmless again, and all of a sudden it starts again with these very lethal batch uh, do um, lots, rather. Um, well, what are the breaks? 
signify? What do they mean, the fact that they took breaks? I think we're trying to establish a baseline, something like that, but uh, we're going to look into this in greater detail. Uh, by the time that we start our um, our criminal investigation, our grand jury investigation, we, we will have the complete story. But even now, it is... It is so compelling. It is undeniable and irrefutable that they're that this is what they're trying to do, trying to figure out how to kill as many people as possible without alerting too many people. Because if they had started, if they had used these lethal doses uh, right from the start, it would have killed everyone, and everybody would have been, ooh, I don't think I'm going to get this shot. So that's that's why they're trying to figure out a way um, through which they can. Um, they can cause a lot of harm, but in such a way that people will not be alarmed. It is, it is devilish. It's, it's just, um, we, we looked at each other and we just couldn't believe it. How can people be so evil? So evil. I, I will find the video that you're talking about from Mike Eden. I'll send it to you. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll upload it onto my website for the viewers uh, so yeah. that I can see that afterwards. So let, let me get this straight. There have been, just, just to recap, there have been batches released purposely by these big pharma giants. Yeah. Placebo, knowing that they're, that they're saline shots. They're knowing that they're releasing kill shots, taking a break, releasing some more saline, releasing some more kill shots on purpose, knowing full well what they are doing. That is the conclusion that we have arrived at. Um, it is inescapable. There's no, there's no benign explanation for what they have done. This is not innocent. This is intentional. You made a, a comment recently that this is not about money, Dr. Fjormich. Can you talk to us about what that means? Yes. Uh, the people who are behind this, um, maybe 300, maybe 3,000, we don't know. It's not very many people. But the people who are behind this and who are in, they have so much money they don't need anymore. They can buy tens or thousands of yachts if they wanted to because they've stolen so much from us. Um, they don't care about money. But they're using money. They're using money to buy politicians, um, mainstream media people, doctors, lawyers, um, that those are the two tools that they use in order to get people under control to do their bidding. Money, bribing them, and the other tool is extortion. Um, and this extortion thing is, is very, very difficult to figure out. I, we do believe that um, um, ritual child abuse have, plays a big role in this. Um, but money is why, very. Why nice. do you believe that? Why do you believe that? Is there evidence to suggest well, we had that? Whistle, we had whistleblowers approaching us and telling us about this. And 18 years ago, I know a little bit about that scene because 18 years ago, I represented some of the victims of this rich, ritual child abuse. A friend of mine who's a well known member of the German uh, journalistic scene. Um, and myself, uh, I did the legal work and he uh, published it um, in even on our um, national uh, public radio and television until I stopped him because uh, they didn't want him to do it anymore. And my ex-wife, uh, she also she couldn't handle it anymore. So I know a few things about this. I just couldn't believe how big it possibly is. It may be much bigger than, than we think, but we don't have enough evidence for that yet. So I'm not going to make this public yet. Sure. 
So we're saying that all of these global leaders are taking part in this. If this is if this is part of it, this ritual child abuse, how does it tie in with this depopulation plan? Well, um, we think after having spoken with a number of uh, psychology and psychiatry professors, we think this is a huge psychological psychological operation. Um, it has been planned for at least three decades, maybe longer, um, and they're using all kinds of of, 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 of panic mongering tools. Uh, we have, for example, here in Germany, the so-called panic paper was leaked. It was written by the German um, Secretary of the Interior, and in detail, in great detail, it explains how to get the population to panic. For example, we want to make children feel responsible for the tortured death of their parents and grandparents if they don't wash their hands, if they don't wear masks, etc. That's what it says, explicit. This is insanity. That's why we believe uh, the people who are behind this are psychopaths and sociopaths. Um, they're using many, many puppets because they're bribing them or, um, or there's extortion. Uh, we don't know. Um, but it's not about money. They're using money, but they don't want money. Uh, ultimately, money plays a big role in this because we believe that it's the financial industry or, better put, the financial mafia, uh, BlackRock. Vanguard, um, which they are using as vehicles to um, invest their money in. And then these um, funds uh, invest their money in Deutsche Bank, VW, and all the other international global corporations, thus owning uh, through, I think, 147 um, corporations owning pretty much everything on this planet. Um, so... This is what's been going on for at least 30 years or so. Uh, it was about to blow up. This financial mafia scheme was about to blow up in 2008 and 9, which, which is when we had the first financial scandal. It started out as a housing scandal in the United States. I, coincidentally, uh, had been going after these people, after Deutsche Bank in particular, for the same crimes which have been committed in Germany since 1992. But um, I guess it's... Uh, because of the fact that the German courts of law, for some reason, now we know why, uh, because they were stacked by their own people, um, didn't want to follow up on this. They felt uh, motivated, Deutsche Bank and others felt motiv motivated to, to play this game on a much grander scale in the United States. That's where the whole, um, uh, we, we now call it predatory lending scheme started. This should have blown up in 2008 and 9. Um, lots of people stepped forward, including our chancellor and our then uh, secretary of finance. And we're going to get these people. They're going to have to pay a price. No, no one paid a price. The only thing that happened is that they started to uh, started to print money, truckloads of money. Um, in uh, September of 2019, this whole thing was about to explode again. But... Uh, they and, and they wanted to explode, but they wanted to explode or implode rather on their terms. They want to because there's no other way. There's no other way to solve this problem because if this explodes in an uncontrolled way, then the people will understand that it's the uh, we now call them the Davos clique, the people who regularly meet once a year on this platform of the World Economic Forum. All of them crooks and gangsters. 
mafia-like structures, um, then we would have found out that, it, that it's these people uh, and their um, mingling with it's it's a it's a corporate the self-appointed corporate elites and the self-appointed political elites. The political elites are their own. They've bought them. They've trained them through their Young Global Leaders Program, for example. Um, Private-public partnership means a hostile takeover of our politicians by them. We think it's our politicians. No, it's theirs. Um, so this whole thing would have exploded, and we all would have found out about it, and they wanted to keep us from learning this, and that's why they needed a distraction, and that's why in December of uh, 2019 they came up with the corona pandemic, um, even though there were no cases. They needed to create that, – that's, that's what drove them into an early start, and that's why they're making so many mistakes, apart from the fact that most of them are stupid as hell. But um, they're making many, many mistakes, and that is helping us. Because they were driven into an early start, they didn't have any cases. Even mm. in Wuhan, China, which is where they they claim the whole thing started, we don't know if it's true, they didn't have any cases. So what they needed is cases. Why did they need cases? Because they needed to declare the international, what is it called, the public health emergency of international concern, or short, fake, P-H-E-I-C, fake. <laughs> so obvious, it's in our faces. Um, but in order to declare this, and why did they need this? Not for the mass mandates, not for social distancing, but they needed it for the introduction of untested new drugs, for the vaccines. Because um, that is the only basis on which they can use untested new drugs, on the basis of an international health emergency. And that's what this public health emergency of international concern is there for. Didn't have any cases, so they called Dresden. This he's neither a professor nor is he a, a doctor of, law, of uh, medicine. He's a fake. Uh, so they called him and told him, just as, as they had done ten years earlier or uh, twenty years earlier during the bird flu, uh, come up with a PCR test that will tell us about infections. And he claims he did that. The two basic lies on which everything rides here is uh, come from him. Uh, one is there are asymptomatic infections. Of course, there aren't any, and even if there were, they don't play a role in this. Um, the most recent study is that, uh, which was conducted in Wuhan with uh, 10 million people involved. This is at the end of 2020, and it shows there are no asymptomatic infections. Um, and, 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 and this is a, this is a question of just, of, of logic, you know? If you want to go, if you, if you go see a doctor and tell them, I have a problem, the, doc, the first thing the doctor is going to ask you is, what symptoms do you have? What are you going to say? I don't have any, except Drusted and Fauci. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> go see an exorcist, something like that. <laughs> so there are no asymptomatic infections, but he needed that. Or the WHO, which promoted his ideas and recommended them to the entire world, they needed this in order to make everyone afraid of everyone. Because even if you look perfectly healthy, you pose a potential danger, according to their logic. And then he came and said, but I do have a solution for this because I have invented a new PCR test and I can tell you precisely who is infectious and who isn't. That is the second lie. I'm saying lie because we can prove that he lied when he said asymptomatic infections because he was referring in a preprint, he was referring to a woman who traveled into Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, from China, 
And he uh, pointed at her as an example of someone having absolutely no symptoms but being very infectious because she infected some people down in southern Germany in Bavaria. Um, but an, another um, a scientist read this preprint and pointed out to Drosten, you're wrong. This woman did have symptoms because she was eating uh, anti-flu medication, and you don't do that because it tastes so great. And ultimately, it turned out she had been infected by her own parents, and of course she had symptoms. She was sweating, etc., etc. Second lie, he says, I have invented the PCR test, which will tell you who really is infectious. And, of course, that's a blatant lie because PCR tests, as the real inventor, Kerry Mullis, has said over and over and over again, is not for diagnostic purposes. It is for scientific purposes, but not for diagnostic purposes, because it cannot tell the difference between dead and live matter. So when you test positive, it is very likely that it tests positive because uh, the test finds the fragments of your body's immune systems fight against the common cold or the flu. It cannot tell the difference. Also, for someone to be infected with a virus, you need a whole virus to enter your cells and, and start replicating there. These uh, tests, the Roche machines, all they see is fragments of a virus. They never see whole viruses. So for these two reasons, and there's others, um, for these two reasons, it is absolutely, totally, completely impossible for a PCR test to tell you anything about infections. On top of this, he, Drosten, and uh, following his uh, lead, the World uh, Health Organization, who used uh, or which used his um, PCR test as a blueprint, um, they set the uh, test so that it was was guaranteed to create false positives. Last night, Mike, Mike Eden said, Reiner, I think all of these cases were false positives, not just 97%. Why is he saying that? Well, you take the, the, what you get from the nose and the throat, the swab, you can't see anything because it's invisible to the human eye. So you put them into the machines, all of them owned by Roche. They're making truckloads of money right now. Uh, and in this machine, you magnify the stuff that's in there. It's called cycles of amplification, 2, 4, six, uh, two, four 8, 16, whatever. At 24 cycles of amplification, I think you're in the billions of, magnify, of magnifying this stuff. At 24 cycles of amplification, even the Frankfurt Health Institute uh, says we don't we disregard anything that's beyond that because it makes absolutely no sense. Mike Heaton says, remember, and he's the former vice president of Pfizer, and he was their chief science officer for 16 years. He says at, um, at, at 35 cycles of amplifications, you end up with at least 97 positives. The Drosten test and all the others were set at 45. So that's how they created the cases in order to be able to declare the public health emergency of international concern in order to walk us through, uh, make us obedient, to walk us through mask mandates, uh, social distancing, lockdowns, until finally we would agree to anything to have this end, anything meaning the deadly shots. And speaking of the deadly shots, uh, we so we, we now know that these, according to Karen Kingston, also an ex-Pfizer employee who's been analysing the patents, that these undoubtedly all COVID-19 vaccines approved by the World Health Organisation 
have tracking abilities in them. They will not approve them if they are not able to track citizens. So on that note, knowing that these are kill shots, knowing that they're able to track people, what are they trying to really do here, Dr. Filming? Are they trying to reach this this Davos click, you know, this this goal of a, a re- reduced population that are easier to control? Is this the final goal? I think it's twofold. Um, they want... And they euphemistically call it population control, but it's it's really about population reduction. Some people say that they want to reduce us to 500 million. I don't know if that's true, but population reduction is one of their major goals. That is definitely true. Even Robert Malone, who said that if somebody had told him this a year ago, he would have said, yeah, right. And myself, I mean, had you told me this a year and a half ago, I would have said, go take your pills, go see a doctor, and things will get better. No, in the meantime, we're running out of conspiracy theories. So this is one of their major goals. The other one is, and that's why all this tracking stuff comes into play, uh, the other is to, to control the rest of us, to make us really into slaves that uh, will not think, that will not uh, fight back, but that simply do as they're ordered. So that's why they're trying to control us, why they're trying to manipulate our DNA through these mRNA shots. Um, there's lots of experiments within this gigantic experiment going on. We don't know what's in the shot, only they do. Uh, our governments, as I said, are not our governments anymore. They're completely controlled by the other side. This is especially true here in Europe, where they're about to install the first mini-world government, the real-world government, as the Pope, who's also in on this, um, declared in his, what was it, um, Fratelli Tutti uh, thing in, in, in 2020, he said, we must all submit to a new world government under the UN. Yeah, right. Um, but they're going to start with Europe. The program that they, uh, the agenda that they're following here is called HERA, uh, Health Emergency Response Agency. And, uh, and this is going to be the net result after it turns out that our national uh, governments are incapable of dealing with this grave threat of, of the coronavirus. Um, I don't think they're going to get that far uh, because too many people have woken up in the meantime. And even here in Europe, where much of this is playing out, um, even here in Europe, people are taking to the, to the streets again. Hundreds of thousands of people everywhere in Italy, in, in particular in the former East uh, European countries, and even in Germany again. So they're not going to get much further than this. We've seen many people taking it to the streets, Dr. Filming, but it seems like the plan just keeps accelerating, accelerating. Do we think that it's actually making a difference to these people that so many are protesting? I think it is. Um, it's a question of time until it will be, it will be absolutely impossible for them, for them to sweep any of this under the rug. They've been able to do this because they have complete control of the mainstream media. Uh, but um, it is more and more obvious that even though nobody knows anyone who died of COVID or who suffered serious damage of COVID, all of a sudden everyone knows someone who suffered serious problems, even death, after vaccination. And this is another thing. The latest figures are, say, are telling us, and this was uh, confirmed by the CEO of an American life insurance company, 
that uh, since the beginning of the measures, in particular since the beginning of the shots of the vaccinations, we have had um, uh, for the past year or so, we have excess mortality of 40%. This is unheard of, totally unheard of. This cannot be swept under the rug much longer. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and some mainstream has had to start reporting. They don't have a choice because yes. too many people are talking about the people that they know that are now disabled or dead from yes. the kill shot. You mentioned uh, the the four people, uh, Gates, Tedros, and a couple of others, um, mm. this, this trial that's going on. Can you give us more detail about that? Um, I think it's gonna, we, we have put a lot of time and energy into this because we believe that is so important, uh, because there's so many people out there who are talking about Nuremberg 2.0. Uh, what they really want is they want us as lawyers and as scientists who are going to be our experts. They want us to show them the facts. And they want us to give them a legal platform on which they can safely resist. Um, we've come to this conclusion after we discussed this in great detail, in particular with people, very smart people like Catherine Austin Fitz, who knows a lot about this, uh, the aforementioned uh, financial mafia structures, uh, which, which are doing their best to distract our attention from what they've been doing. Um, we need not... Uh, of course, we want this is a formalized proceeding um, patterned uh, after the uh, American grand jury investigation, which shows all of the evidence we have with real experts, with real witnesses, with real attorneys. We're going to have a real judge, all of the evidence to the jury, which is going to be our viewers, and then ask them to return to give us indictments against uh, Dresden, who is their major puppet as far as the PCR test is concerned. Um, Fauci, um, uh, Tedros, and of course Bill Gates. I don't know how important these people are. They're probably just um, uh, figureheads. Maybe Bill Gates thinks that he's one of them who, who pulls the strings. I don't think he is, but we'll see. Um, but much more important than these indictments is to give the people full information verifiable information from real experts, people who really know what they're talking about. And Bob, Robert Malone, for example, he was on the other side for a very long time. He knows everything that's been going on there. So does Peter McCullough. So does um, uh, Catherine Austin Pitts. I mean, she was a member of the uh, American government uh, for a while, and she's also a very experienced investment banker. So all of these people, including many of the politicians who have joined our ranks, uh, will testify in great detail to what has really happened, to how this is a long-planned um, agenda which is being rolled out in order to distract our attention from what is really going on. And what's really going on is population reduction and population control. And, and what is really going on is the deliberate destruction of our economies, for the benefit of uh, uh, um, American platforms such as Amazon, for example. Uh, whistleblowers have been telling us that at the same time the Chinese are taking over our and the American car industry. We don't know how, how true that is, but there's some evidence that shows us that it could be true. But whatever we're seeing, it is two things. Deliberate destruction of our economies, deliberate destruction of our health. And what can we 
first of all, so this is happening in, in international in an international court, correct? Yes. What we've seen in local courts is truly corruption of judges that throw out yes. cases. Uh, what are the chances of that happening in the international court if all of these big players are in on it? Excellent question. I just spoke with a couple of my colleagues here in Germany. I just spoke with them a couple of minutes before before we uh, started your show. Um, we think that if we're lucky, we're going to run into individual judges who are still willing to uphold the law. However, here in Germany, that is next to impossible. Why is that? Because Germans traditionally have been very obedient for at least 150 years. Bismarck started all this. This is, this is, it's especially bad in the judiciary because back in, back in the day, 150 years ago, you could only join the judiciary if you were completely in line with the government. So this is not an invention by Hitler. He made it worse, yeah. But it's never gotten better. And right now we can see uh, the results of this um, decades-long education. That has to change. Um, I believe that if we want to make an inroad, if we want to make progress on our international uh, judicial levels, we're going to have to start on an, on an international level. We're going to have to show the people that we, the people, are in charge. We do not need their system. We, for example, even the American colleagues and, and our South African colleague have been telling us we're starting our own judiciary. We're already working on this because the system is so corrupt, we can't depend on them anymore. This is not just true for the judiciary. It's also true for the economic system, for the education system. We're going to have to start our own system. We're going to have to disconnect from these global corporations and global NGOs, uh, revert and, and, and focus on our regional economies, on our regional um, uh, uh, governments, because this is really what it is. It's back to the roots. That's democracy. That's why I joined this new party, grassroots party here in Germany, um, uh, because they truly believe that we, the only people who really know what's good for them is the people in the region, in, in our own communities. We cannot allow these people to control us through a world government. No way. We've seen how, where this got us. This is where it got us, and it can't get any, any worse. That's why we have to fight up, uh, fight back, uh, set up our own systems, including our own uh, system of, um, of, of law, um, so that we can, we can have all these uh, regional um, governments. We can connect. Each of us can connect. All of these separate systems can connect, but we should never again allow any global entity to rule over us. Like this is what the WHO is doing right now. No one not even the lawyers, understand about the, what is it called, international health regulations. This is a, a, an invention of the WHO. This is not democracy. Democracy is when we uh, vote for someone who is going to represent us in parliament. No one, uh, no one has elected these people at the World uh, Health Organization. I mean, keep in mind, Tedros, the guy who runs the show, their major puppet, um, I think they filed a um, criminal complaint against him in New York last year for genocide. And I've seen pictures of him wearing a gun and, and dead people behind him. So 
This is who we're dealing with. It's the mafia. He's a known yes. terrorist. He's yes. a known terrorist. Yeah. He's giving the World Health advice all of a sudden wanting to save humanity through the World Health yeah. Organization's solutions. It's it's unbelievable. What are the possible what are the possible consequences for these murderers? What what could come of this? Dr. Film, if people are angry, people want justice. Yes. Um, I think we have to be very careful not to let this spin out of control into violence because that's what they want. If, if we start to get acting violently, um, I think they're going to try and bring in their own troops if they have been. I don't know about that. There's lots of rumors. We haven't been able to verify anything, but we should continue with peaceful protests. We should also continue with the efforts to refocus on our regions instead of this globalism. Um, we will, there's another factor to this. Uh, there's, there's three levels on which we, on which we have to fight. One is education. Bring out the truth. Expose them all. The other is legal efforts. We have to continue with our legal efforts, in particular with the international legal efforts. But there's also the spiritual side. If, again, if you had told me about this a year ago, I was, yeah, right, take your pills. But, um, this, and even Robert Malone agrees with that. I mean, he is a stone cold scientist. Uh, we all agree that there's something else, and that's spirituality. Some call it religion. I'm not a religious person because I don't believe in organized religion. It's all about power in my view. But, um, there is a spiritual side to this. And I think we're going to get help from the spiritual side. This is what connects us, by the way. This is why so many of us, despite the fact that they claim, oh, I've lost many friends. Nah, not really. These people were never our friends. But we've made so many new friends, people who we immediately felt connected with without having to even talk for an hour or so. But there's an immediate connection. So this spirituality is going to help us. Uh, there is a spiritual force out there, and I've come to this conclusion after talking to uh, someone from Australia, um, Aboriginal, by the name of David uh, Cole. Very smart man. Um, and I reminded him, David, I spoke to one of your people, a very famous, very old Aboriginal by the name of uh, Max, and said, yeah, that's Uncle Max. Um, he um, guided us through the ceremony a couple of weeks ago, but unfortunately he passed away. Oh. Now, this man, when I spoke to him, he made a great impression on me, just like the uh, indigenous people from uh, Canada and the United States who I spoke with. They said, we are, we're on your side. We're protecting you. Because I, for a while, I thought, when I go running with my dogs, I mean, I'm a perfect target for them. And they said, well, you are, but we're going to protect you no matter what happens. And I believe this is true. That's why when people tell me, don't you feel that, aren't you scared? Nah, I'm not scared. There's no other way. We have to fight, all of us. We have many, to stand many, up and fight. Many, many people, Dr. Fiormich, in this time have, have asked for deeper answers uh, as to what's wrong with the world and what, you know, many people have run to God in this time to, to for, for shelter, for comfort, for protection, for all of these things. I, much like you, am a person that just does not feel fear. We have a task. We are on the right side of history and we have to do this at whatever cost. But again, what are the potential consequences for those that are guilty? If they are found guilty, what are the potential consequences for these people? 
they're going to pay a very, very, very high price. Um, I think ultimately we, the people, will turn this thing around. It's not the courts of law. The courts of law will then come in and clean up in the mm -hmm. aftermath. Uh, there will be a, I'm absolutely convinced, there will be a, uh, a real um, a, a, a final reckoning, which has been overdue for hundreds of years probably. There will be a final reckoning. That's why I think they're going to pay a really steep price. And those who survive this, well, we're going to deal with them in the courts of law. Ultimately, um, if I look at the legal picture, which is evolving right now, but it's clear enough. It's like a huge puzzle of a thousand pieces, but I think there's only 10 or 15 pieces missing. So you can see exactly what's going on, despite the fact that, there, that a couple of pieces are still missing. So this is, Mike Eden is right. This the facts that we can see are compelling evidence, irrefutable evidence for premeditated murder. And for that, you have to pay a price. There is no immunity, even under our legal systems. There is no immunity for anyone for premeditated murder. How can there be? So all of the doctors who are taking part in this, all of the pharmaceutical companies who are taking, which are taking part in this, everyone who's involved in this, all of the people, all of the uh, so-called um, VIPs, uh, the uh, politicians who are trying to talk people into getting the shots, they're all going to have to pay a very high price. And this price is, it's, I mean, you can throw out a figure like everyone who, everyone suffered damages because of what's been going on for the past two years. Everyone. So if you start with a price tag, in damages of a million dollars. That would probably not be too high. But we're not talking about just a million dollars in pain and suffering, for example, if that's all you have. But there's going to be destroyed businesses. There's going to be your health destroyed. But if you start at one million dollars, and I think that's a very low figure, uh, you can multiply this because we're talking about intentional infliction of harm intentional infliction of harm leads us directly to what the Americans call punitive damages. Ultimately, uh, the only way to pay for this is by taking apart all of these uh, global corporations, taking back what they stole from us, and using their money for a brand new society, one that's humane, one that is built on cooperation, um, one that makes sense in the human sense. Will they go to prison? Yes. Those who survive the Great Reckoning, they're definitely going to go to prison. Yes. What do you mean by those who survive? I think there's going to be a Great Reckoning and people, uh, many of those who are um, uh, who are responsible uh, were stupid enough to take the shots themselves. I don't think they're going to survive that. Um, and um, I, I, I don't have a clear image of how this spiritual reckoning is going to work but i think this they're gonna they're gonna have to pay a really 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 high price and that's why i'm saying the legal systems will uh or our new legal system will deal with them those of them who are still there uh but we're only going to have to do the cleanup work i think and have you got the support of lawyers all over the world in every country committed yes. to I know that Tony Nikolic in Australia has been a great help. He's a dear friend of mine and he's helped me too. Yeah. 
so you know, I, he's, I, a, good, I, he's a great I, character. He's he's a yeah. great activist. He's tough. I I love him. He's cool. <laughs> and so you've got you've got people all over the world supporting yeah. you and on board with this. Uh, yes. These for, public crowd. Yes, we're a big team. It's a team of people. There's no egos involved in this. None of us has to prove anything to any of us. We're doing it because we believe in what we're doing. And we know that this is, ultimately, this is really a fight of good against evil. And we know we're the good guys. We know it. Mm-hmm. And this new system, this new society, who's responsible for dictating how that goes? No one. It's just us. We're all going to set up our own systems of um, in our own regions. We're first going to start in our region because, uh, and, and we're all different. That's why I keep telling the people here in Europe, get rid of this fucking EU. The EU is only um, it's an instrument to steal money from the people from the member states of the EU. Um, that's why it was a very smart move of the British to leave the EU. And now the uh, former Eastern uh, European countries are about to leave the EU as well. We're going to have to start from scratch, build up our own systems, uh, supply systems, as far as energy, as far as uh, food is concerned, in our regions, and then connect with each other, exchange ideas. But never again shall we allow anyone to rule from above, from very far away. And will we have an exposure of all of these organizations, all of these companies, everyone involved? Will that all be uncovered? Yes, I think absolutely. No one's going to get away. How can the public track track this and, and track what's going on? I think it's already happening. Uh, the news cannot be suppressed anymore. Um, as I said, all of these uh, so-called side effects, which are not side effects really of the vaccinations, cannot be swept under the rug anymore. 40% excess mortality. I mean, what more can you say? Um, but if you want to, if you want to uh, keep, or if you want to get detailed information, we, the Corona Committee, um, I don't want to keep all this praise on ourselves, but the Corona Committee has interviewed over 150 experts from all walks of science. Um, Luc Montagnier, he's a professor who won the Nobel Prize from France. Um, Catherine Austin Fitz, I, I already I, I, I already mentioned her. Uh, Dr. Mike Yaden, um, Robert Malone, uh, Peter McCall. All of these people, uh, we have interviewed them in great detail. Um, uh, Robert Malone was very hesitant at first. This is a few months ago, but in these few months, he has completely come around and understood that what he thought was conspiracy theories and involving the W, um, the World Economic Forum, for example, is absolutely true. And he says it's in our face. You can read it. They're publishing this. They're so stupid. They're really stupid. But we must not underestimate them. We must take them seriously because they have paid a lot of people a lot of money to uh, do their bidding, and many of them are in strategically important positions. So we have to deal with these people, and we will. And, we and this will. plan for the Great Reset, potentially the cyber COVID shutting down all the networks, do we know any more about that? Anything is possible. I don't think it's going to happen. There's so many rumors out there. There's so much panic mongering. Much of this is, is part of the illusion that they're creating. Much of this is part of the um, psychological operation, which 
depends to a large degree on keeping us disoriented, keeping us in a panic mode, keeping us in a, in a position. This, there's a, what is it called? The Biderman chart of coercion. Incredible. You should look this up. This is from the 1950s or so. Uh, it is a deliberate psychological operation, which Professor Matthias Desmet explained to us. It's as though they are, and he says it's not as though, it is they're hypnotizing 30% of the population. This is how it works with 30% of the population. You cannot reach them anymore. Um, because if you're hypnotized, you can't see anything, you can't feel anything. And he compared this with um, an old uh, Chinese technique. Um, they, they In China, they still perform surgery, not all of them, but in some cases uh, by hypnotizing people. So if you have open heart surgery, and you're being hypnotized, of course you can't listen to anything. You will not hear anything we're, we're telling them. So that's what he said. But the good news is 40% of the population can still be reached. 40% are sort of sitting on the fence, don't know which way to get off, um, and they can still be approached by us. And more and more of them are waking up, including those who have gotten the shots because they feel that the, they've been fooled. All of a sudden... They're telling, they're getting, they're being told, no, you're unvaccinated because you haven't gotten your third shot or your fourth shot. And, uh, and this is just well, you're fifth to in the Netherlands. You're yeah. fifth now. My goodness. And, yeah. and are, are the number of people that are vaccinated, what they're telling us true? Because we just had a report out of the UK yeah. stating that there's only 25 million that have, 25 million that have not even received one dose. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the numbers are completely false. Uh, they're lying to us. They're lying whenever they're opening up their mouths. Um, here in Germany, we believe that uh, 40% of the population have not been vaccinated yet. Um, they claim that um, 80% or more have been vaccinated, but we don't believe that. Um, the same is true in the United States, except in the United States, it's even worse as far as they're concerned, uh, because we believe that um, maybe 50%, maybe 55% have been vaccinated, but no more. And now people from the healthcare industry are beginning to walk off their jobs. Uh, they're going to they're gonna, uh, shut down the entire healthcare business, and we're going to do the same in Austria and in Germany, because we have founded um, unions, and one of the most important sections of these unions is the healthcare section, uh, because we know that many, many members of the healthcare business, including uh, nurses, for example, in particular nurses, will not get the shots. So they need protection, and that's why we founded these unions. Right. And these unions, you plan to extend them globally, everywhere, yes. set up for, yes. for those yes. people? We're already discussing this amongst ourselves with the international group of lawyers, yeah. That's wonderful news. That's wonderful news. So, so there, there is hope for many people yeah. feeling like it is, it is a lost cause and the World Health Organization gave us this, this, this deadline of the 1st of July 2022 to fully vaccinate 70% of the world. Uh, and what does fully vac, what does fully vaccinated mean to them by the 1st of July as they keep moving the goalposts? But we are yeah. saying that there is hope. Uh, so, where, what, um, Dr. Filmer, you've got a te telegram and the website that the people can find you on as well, the, the, um, my apologies, the Corona Investigative Committee. 
Yeah, you can find it. I I think much of this is in English, or, or I think there's a button English. If you push that, then everything comes comes up in English. Um, I don't know a lot about these IT things, but um, uh, if you want to look it up, the German uh, the the website is Corona Dash Ausschuss A U S S C U S S dot D E. Ausschuss is a German word for committee. Um, <coughs> And of course, I have my Telegram uh, channel, which my friend and our uh, manager Corbin Robinstein uh, handles. Um, and I, I mean, I get hundreds and hundreds of emails every day. But my colleagues filter them so that ultimately I get about a hundred per day. But then there's another 150 or so text messages through Threema, Telegram, Signal, Wire, all these messenger services. Plus, I have to write my briefs. Last night I wrote a couple of briefs. Plus I have to do interviews, be on Zoom calls and phone conferences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I know it's worth it, and I know we're making progress. That's good to hear. What I will do is after this interview, I will include those links for the audience so that they can track what's going on on your Telegram. Will there be an announcement on your Telegram about this two-week international? Yes, yes there yeah. will be. Okay, yes, there will be. Right. Uh, we're going to try and get as much attention for this trial because there's so many really good people working on this as much attention as possible because we do know that um, as Catherine Austin Fitz says it's not just about getting the indictments it's about giving the people a factual and a legal platform on which to stand up rise up and fight these bastards uh, we're probably going to have um, a couple of um, constitutional law professors uh, who will um, give us their view on whether we can really do this because the German constitution unlike all of the others um, has a um, section 20 subsection 4 which explicitly gives the people a right to resist if there is evidence that someone is trying to over uh, it, it is to uh, is is trying to get rid of the constitution or democracy altogether, and there's not just some evidence. There's clear and convincing evidence that that's what's happening right now because they're trying to introduce a fascist system, and that's why they have to get rid of democracy. And how do the people get involved worldwide with what's happening? I think the most important thing is to just get the information and spread it. Give the information to as many people as possible because that is what empowerment is all about. You have to know what's going on. You have to know the true facts. Mm -hmm. Well, I certainly think that telling people that are on the fence that there are international crimes against humanity being, you know, being, being lodged, cases being lodged for this, surely this would prick up their ears. I mean, I, I personally have been talking to people who are saying, there's no way I'm going back for more. This is, this is ludicrous. So there are people that are waking up, and yes, you're right, 30% of the population, they, they, they cannot wake up. They may even believe after it's all out in the open that this was all for our health. But the power is in, still in the people. Dr. Ryan of Hume, thank you so much. For the audience, please do subscribe to this channel. I will include all the links at the bottom in the end. Thank you for watching and share this information everywhere. Everyone must know that the lies are being exposed. They can no longer hide this plan. This global mass depopulation 
kill shot has to stop. Good night, everyone, and good night, Dr. Ryan Afilmi. Thank you, and good luck. Do not give up. Fight. <laughs> Thank you. We will not stop. Good night, everyone. Oh, my goodness. Oh. They always told us that if you want to get it done, do it yourself. We're here now. And there's only one of us here. There's just a lot of stupid people that don't get it. Stupid is as stupid does. Um, okay. We're going to do an hour and a half presentation of Tell Everybody, Rama. Um... <laughs> this is called uh I wanna jump around just just step in. <clears throat> Something about peace, Rama. This this is called Samadhi Movie. Part 3, The Pathless Path. And we're going to dissolve this darkness into the light. Yeah. Yes. Here we go. Here we go. Listen, there is uh, quite a message here. Mm Mm-hmm. The unnameable is the eternally real. Naming is the origin of all things. Take 
and wake up from the collective dream of the limited self. identified with the gross physical and mental layers of their being, not even aware that the higher levels exist. Most people do not know or suspect that there are spiritual capacities latent within the self-structure, waiting to be activated. By realizing these capacities, we connect to subtler and subtler levels of existence while at the same time making the self-structure permeable to our true nature, disidentifying from all levels of mind or maya. If we examine the spiritual traditions that have existed throughout history, we find that the great sages, mystics and seers describe a continuum of existence. The ancient Vedic teachings described five koshas or sheaths of the soul, extending from the gross physical and mental realm, which is the conditioned world in which most people live today, to the subtle realms, which include the energetic, astral and higher mind realms, the archetypal templates of existence. And finally, to the causal realm, where there's no thought or sensation, the realization of primordial awareness, the awakening of God consciousness within the soul, dispels the illusion of all of these realms, all layers of Maya. Ancient traditions contain numerous conceptual and language frameworks that point to this continuum from gross to subtle to causal. Whether it is the chakra system or kosha system of the Vedic traditions or the dantians of Taoism, all levels within the field of change are maya, the spiral that obscures our true nature yet is the very expression of life itself. It is through the spiral of life that we experience human life. When all levels of Maya are realized to be empty of self, what is possible is an unfathomable non-duality or mystical union beyond all language, which includes yet transcends all of the other levels. said that most people lead lives of quiet desperation. They go to their graves with their song still inside of them. Their desperation comes from an endless searching outside of themselves. 
the pursuit of things, money, power, relationships, approval from others. The root of suffering lies in one's mental attachment to things, not in the things themselves. It doesn't matter what you have. What matters is your attachment to what you have. We form attachments at the sensory level through neuroplasticity. Wherever attention is placed, neurons fire and wire together, creating a program in the mind. A tendency towards pattern, which is what the mind itself is. When we have any unconscious tendency or life pattern, we are not actually addicted to the things themselves. We are not addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, food, or media, but to the sensations that they produce within us. We become free by observing the somatic field directly, the field of changing phenomena at the root level of awareness. We remain equanimous without reacting or judging any sensation as good or bad. To become free, we learn how these attachments are formed by bringing consciousness to the subtle inner world. We start to observe mental and sensory phenomena as a field of change, rather than getting attached to the thoughts and sensations which bring about identification and the very creation of the world of form. This field of change is also called prana or inner energy. The feeling of inner aliveness. The shift to a new earth is a shift out of materialism. What we are witnessing is a release of the old paradigms and the pathological egoic agenda to endlessly acquire more. What you are seeing around you right now may seem like darkness. It may seem like madness. Actually, this is what awakening looks like on planet Earth. You are witnessing the dismantling of the old patterns. Many people are disillusioned with the current political, social, economic, and religious systems. They no longer trust the egoic agendas of the media, industries, and so-called spiritual systems. They don't trust the medical establishment or the government. People are disillusioned. This dispelling of illusion is a necessary part of seeing the truth, a coming face to face with the spiritual sickness that is inherent in this time we are living in. And for coming out of egoic consciousness. By egoic consciousness, I mean the patterns of craving and aversion that operate unconsciously, the collective samskaras or conditioned patterns which create the conditions of Maya, the identification with our characters or with social groups or anything we define ourselves by. With the various personas and archetypes we are playing out in this lifetime, the self structure is an interface with the world, 
We don't want to get rid of that interface or destroy it. The path is about disidentifying from it so that our sense of I or the sense of existence is not tied to a limited form so that we don't suffer when the world of form changes. The human path is a journey from pre-egoic existence, which is the merged oneness that we experienced when we were a baby with our mother, to the creation of a person. We grow, we create a character. This is a necessary part of our evolution in order to bring about self-consciousness, to bring about a sense of self or I. We are actually in an adolescent stage of our development. We're in an ego-identified stage. But the next step beyond self-consciousness is to realize transpersonal levels of self, to realize shared levels of consciousness, various levels of logos or higher mind. You could say levels of soul if you prefer that language. Our sphere of compassion expands. This is an expansion through love. From the perspective of the old pattern, the egoic consciousness, this dismantling is something fearful. There's going to be confusion and pain if you're clinging to the old patterns. Those awakening will actually be perceived as a threat. Awakening will be seen as a crisis because it is the dismantling of what is known. Right now we are like caterpillars in the cocoon as it undergoes metamorphosis. There's a point in the transformation where the caterpillar is neither a caterpillar nor a butterfly. At this point, to the one undergoing the metamorphosis, the old self, it may seem that all is lost, but it's merely part of the process. Faith is a surrender to the evolutionary impulse, a deep knowing that we are moving towards source. The collective delusion What the ancient spiritual teachers called Maya is tied to our collective attachment to old patterns. It's tied to human hubris, the belief that we know where we're going, what we're doing, and who we are. must be a genuine willingness 
to explore and to look at ourselves. Like Dante's pilgrim in the Divine Comedy, one begins the journey to know oneself in a darkened wood astray. Recognizing that we are lost. by Shiva and Shakti. The archetypal feminine, the downward current or current of manifestation, is represented by Shakti, by the downward pointing triangle, which points toward involution of spirit into the world of form. Shiva represents the upward current, the current of liberation. The upward pointing triangle pointing toward pure awareness without any qualities, evolution beyond the world of form or the transcendent. So long as we are operating within the dualistic world, identified with the limited mind, these two currents comprise the pathless path. We are working within the current of manifestation and the current of liberation, doing and non-doing, inhabiting both the time-bound and the timeless. When these two dimensions are married in divine union, realized as one, it is samadhi. When in union, they represent the balance and coexistence of these two dimensions, like the Star of David, or the Anahata symbol, which is the ancient symbol representing the spiritual heart, the unstruck sound, the transcendent source of the primordial Om that is dancing the universe into being. It is said that in Samadhi you will hear the celestial music of existence, Musica Universalis, or the flute of Krishna, or what Pythagoras called the music of the spheres. Of course, these are all metaphors for something that awakens within the depths of your being, something beyond the limited mind and senses. There are spiritual systems that focus on the subtle body using practices such as observing the breath, sensations, working with chi or prana, working with techniques, practices, and processes that can be learned with the conditioned mind. Everything that directly employs and engages the limited mind in order to realize samadhi is part of the via positiva. This is what we call the shakti path. And there are spiritual systems which are about transcending the manifested world which we call the Shiva path, or the via negativa. We come to realize that which we are beyond name and form by letting go of all that we are not.
way to samadhi has been given many names, such as meditation, self-inquiry, or prayer. Most people who practice these things today are practicing some technique, but the ancient form of meditation that leads to samadhi is actually not an activity. It is not something that you do or practice, but it is actually the cessation of the meditator, the seeker or the doer. True meditation is union with what is, and it only begins to happen when the ego fails in its attempt to meditate and realizes its own limitations. The ego, the you that you think you are, must necessarily fail in all attempts to meditate for true meditation to come about. The closer we come to the truth, the closer we come to samadhi, the less doing there is, the less technique there is. The techniques are all part of the past. We drop the doing and the doer. We drop the seeking and the seeker to come to the unconditioned present. Some teachers overemphasize techniques, while some undervalue them. It's important to understand that the technique is a stepping stone we don't want to abandon the technique, but we don't cling to it. The time-tested way to realize samadhi is through long periods of spiritual practice. Whether you call that practice meditation, self-inquiry, or prayer, there is a truth that one has to awaken to. The yogi and sage Patanjali, who compiled the Yoga Sutras 2,500 years ago, taught that the entire endeavor of yoga is aimed at the cessation of the whirlpool of the mind. You could say it is the cessation of karma, the cessation of deep unconscious patterns that govern one's life. These conditioned patterns were called the vrittis in Sanskrit. Likewise, the Zen master Dogen said that meditation is the dropping off of mind and body. In Buddhism, it is nirvana or niroda. It's the cessation of the fluctuations of the limited egoic mind which bring about the identification with a limited sense of self. In Christianity, we find the same perennial teaching but expressed through a very different metaphor using the language that was common at that time in history. To realize samadhi in Christian terms is to attain the kingdom of God through the forgiveness of sins by realizing Christ. The word sin in Hebrew means literally to miss the mark. It means to miss the present moment, to pursue happiness in the objects of the external world rather than realizing the source of true fulfillment.
come into the now, to the present moment, is to learn to surrender the preferences of the conditioned mind, to burn up opposing states by remaining non-reactive to anything that is appearing within the field of change. To meditate is to burn up the conditioned self. Or you could say to free energy from the conditioned self. This truth is found in the Gospel of Thomas, which says, If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. straight towards the summit, or sometimes it may be better to take a spiral route. But at the summit, the view is always the same, no matter which path you take. Humans have created thousands of meditation techniques throughout the millennia, not to mention countless yoga postures, asanas, specialized breathing or pranayama, and every conceivable variety of ritual or practice. If meditation is simply a cessation or a stopping, if it's simply coming to stillness, then why do we need so many techniques to achieve it? Why can't we just sit and wait for our mind to settle? as they teach in Zen. The truth is, we can just stop. We can surrender the activities of our character. However, as Einstein said, although reality is merely an illusion, it is a persistent one. It is this persistence of the illusion that makes it necessary for most people to penetrate into the unconscious mind. To stay awake, we have to purify the avatar of its samskaras, of its karma or its programming, so that the unconscious aspects of self are no longer driving the show. When I say purify, I don't mean that the avatar is somehow bad or negative. I simply mean that it is possible to disidentify a sense of self from it, and the disidentification process is what we call purification or cleaning. I'm cleaning myself of myself. Our sadhana is to unite all aspects of ourself so that we are not divided. We penetrate into the unconscious by creating conditions of no escape for the ego. Whether this is through long periods of meditation or self-inquiry, 
through intensive yoga, qigong, prayer, or breath work, or fasting, or chanting, or by taking entheogens which open us to the unconscious depths of the mind, we will naturally be drawn to different practices, techniques, and tools at different times on our path. Whatever the practice or technique is, the purification will happen as long as we are cultivating presence and equanimity, being here in the now as well as surrendered to what is. Then we continue to unbind the karmic knots to create identification with our avatar. We let go of judging any sensation or thought as good or bad, always going deeper into the sensory field, always perceiving subtler and subtler phenomena, becoming so conscious of what is arising that there is a merging with the meditation object. We become the breath. We become the yoga posture. merging with the pranic field in what is called Savakalpa Samadhi or Samprajnata Samadhi which is Samadhi with a seed a seed of pattern a seed of form a seed of conditioned mind activity of karmic activity so long as there is a seed of attachment of unconscious mind activity of separation between the inner and outer worlds, then the final goal will not be reached. Savakalpa Samadhi is a preliminary Samadhi, also called Jhana or Dhyana. It is a burning up of karma within the self-structure, an energetic preparation of the vessel for the awakening of one's true nature, which is realized through non-doing through a cessation of mind activity. Your mind is like a pond, and your thoughts are like waves or ripples upon that pond. To make a pond become still, what can you do? Anything you do will stir up more waves. You can't smooth it out or make it be still. The pond only comes to stillness when you have let go of all effort, all striving all movement. Realizing the natural state is not something that you do. It is a recognition of what you are beyond the movement of the mind and senses. 
who is moving the mind. Recognize who is choosing. It is only the mind itself that chooses. It is only the mind itself that moves. It is only the mind itself that wants to try to still the mind. words, the limited mind will likely be disoriented, wondering, what do I do? Just allow that disorientation. Become aware of the true self. Become aware of awareness, conscious of consciousness. it until it alone becomes your reality. At the beginning, when you try to observe awareness, you will see only the false self, only the movements of the mind. When I say be aware of the true self, it is not a turning, it is not a movement, it is not like pointing a camera at a new object but rather it is a giving up or a cessation of the interest or attachment to the movements of the mind. identification with the false self. The body wants comfort and the mind wants to know. The body is attached to sensations of pleasure and avoidance of pain. All sadhana or spiritual practice that leads to samadhi fundamentally involves two things. First, letting go of the duality of comfort and discomfort. And second, entering into a don't-know mind. Deep inner surrender, energetic surrender, and being thoughtlessly present, choicelessly aware. Socrates was considered the wisest person of his time. He's famous for the maxim, I only know that I don't know. This is the Socratic paradox. Adopting a don't know mind, a not knowing mind, is the gateway to samadhi. without hope, without thought, because hope would be based on some idea and would be keeping energy flowing into the conditioned mind. 
people are ready for the highest teachings on meditation and self-inquiry, the simple and clear truth. They will hear the Dharma and will understand immediately. These people are like wood that has been well seasoned, and they are ready to burn themselves up. They just need the spark. Other people seem to require more preparation. They're like wet wood, and they need some time to dry out before they ignite. They need techniques, practices to loosen the bonds of the self-structure, to become free of samskaras. Or at least they believe that this is the case, and the belief makes it so. Practices and techniques are like stepping stones, like using a thorn to remove a thorn, or a pattern to remove a pattern. Spiritual practices such as reciting words, practicing a discipline, or anything learned is simply imitation. It's something repetitive and conditioned. Because all techniques are conditioned patterns within the mind, the practice itself will never lead beyond the mind to samadhi. You will remain in the pattern, in a robotic, repetitive state. One must hold on to the technique loosely, allowing inner energy to flow freely. When you become absorbed in inner energy. Then the conditioned doing is dropped. The conditioned doing, the unconscious programming, was formed due to incomplete experiences. Whenever we have an incomplete experience, it creates an impression in the mind. It creates a little program in the unconscious. This programming or conditioning can come from traumas or simply experiences that we have turned away from because they were too painful. Our self-structure is made up of a legion of little programs which come into being because of incomplete experiences. These memory imprints are not only stored in the brain but within the energetic systems of the body. Throughout the nervous system, the fascia, and many networks of nadis or meridians, these programs take energy to run. If energy is trapped in the unconscious, then it's like leaving apps open on your phone, draining your battery. Our sadhana is like learning to close the apps on our phone. To become free, we bring consciousness to the subtle sensations, to the field of changing phenomena or energy within us, without reacting to any thought or feeling that arises. By dropping the preferences of the ego structure, moving beyond comfort and discomfort, everything in the external world is pointing us in the wrong direction. Society tells us to numb our pain, to seek comfort. The way in is the way out. The way out is the way in. We need to turn toward our pain. 
We become free of samskaras by having a complete experience, by feeling it without reacting, by burning in it. We have a complete experience of the feeling without the emotion. Emotions are reactions. They are feelings that are intertwined with thoughts. We drop the thinking component and stay with the raw feeling, the raw sensation. It has been said that the path to liberation is not about feeling better, but about getting better at feeling. The ultimate examples of this are Jesus on the cross or the Buddha's meditation that led to his enlightenment. It is facing one's greatest pain, one's greatest fears, dropping the concepts, the knowing, and the judgments of good or bad. Awakening is merely the beginning step in an accelerated process of inner development, of growing the inner lotus, of becoming a living bridge, of purifying the human vessel to house divine consciousness. Energy is like the Rosetta Stone for spiritual practices. If you understand how energy works, you understand the usefulness of the practice. Every technique or practice is interrupting the pattern of you. You are using a conditioned pattern to interrupt conditioned patterns. You must be willing to let go of the technique once it has served its purpose Otherwise, you will just create an identity around it and a new spiritualized self-structure. meditation, jhana, dhyana, zen, or chan, refer to a sort of inner dissolving, a kind of meditative absorption, a transformation or inner purification of egoic conditioning. The ancient meaning of the word jhana is related to the Pali word japeti, which means to burn up. It is a burning up of defilements, of sin or samskaras. It's a burning up of identification with the false self, a burning up of delusion, a burning up of all preferences out of which the ego construct is made, and a release and coming forth of inner energy. One becomes equanimous with what is, surrendered to what is, attentive to what is. Awakening to our true nature can happen gradually through these stages of jhana as the identification with various processes of conditioned mind is dropped, or awakening can happen instantly. This is called satori in Zen.
most pure teaching is transmitted in silence. But with the world such as it is today, very few will understand or be drawn into the source of that silence. There's a famous teaching by Gautama Buddha called the Flower Sermon. The sermon is the origin of Buddhist meditation. You could say it's the origin of Zen. Zen is about direct transmission of the truth. In the Flower Sermon, the Buddha simply held up a white flower. He was in unmediated presence with the flower abiding in his true nature. That was the whole teaching. Rather than giving a long satsang or teaching with words, he just let the students sit with the flower for the entire time. Only one student received the transmission. Only one student got it. To receive such a subtle transmission requires a subtle mind. The greatest truth is transmitted in silence. How can we receive this transmission of Buddha mind? How can we receive what we already have, what we already are? Primordial awareness is everywhere when we have eyes to see, and nowhere in particular. Upon awakening, the truth is so simple to see that you don't need the mind. The mind is searching and seeking. When that movement is given up, when that movement is burned up, the truth remains. You already are that which you're looking for, but you're identified with the false self. Notice the flower and notice who or what is observing the flower. What is separating the observer and the observed? Meditation or jhana is to be present here and now without the mediation of images in the mind, ideas and concepts. If awareness is absolutely present so that there is no more knowing, even in the unconscious, then there's no more observer and observed. There's no more relationship between you and anything. There's no more flower and separate observer. It is only the limited mind that sees things. The activity of the limited mind is the creation of things the creation of the experience of time and space, the creation of duality, of experience and experiencer. It is possible to wake up here and now to a profound dimension of stillness beyond the mind, not pushing away the mind, but letting it be exactly as it is, yet not getting caught in the mind. Don't try to analyze these words. These are not concepts. If presence has realized itself, 
upon hearing these pointers, don't let the mind get involved. As soon as you receive the transmission, turn off this video and abide in awareness as awareness. is the greatest teaching, the purest teaching. The next best teaching is pointing directly at the unfathomable. This next teaching has had many names throughout history. It is pointing toward the transcendent self or pure consciousness. In Buddhism, it is called Prajna Paramita which means the ultimate knowledge or perfect wisdom, which is distinguished from ordinary knowledge or conditioned knowledge. It is what is realized through the eighth limb of yoga described by Patanjali. In Shaivism, this awakening could be described as oneness with Ishvara or Shiva, which are names for absolute consciousness. Western mystical traditions, the terms henosis or apophaticism have been used to refer to union with the one. Plotinus said that the one transcends all beings but is imminent within them. In Tibetan Dzogchen, it is described as the natural primordial state of being. They use the word Rigpa to refer to the ground of existence. In Sufism, it is the secret of secrets realized through Fana, which is annihilation or learning to die before you die. Mahamudra, it is the great seal or the great imprint, the realization of the natural state, primordial awareness, emptiness, absolute, clear and transparent without root. Do not listen to these words with the mind, but recognize within the depths of consciousness that to which they point. The truth of who or what you are, the truth that transcends the limited mind, cannot be seen by means of the limited mind. The still point cannot be reached by means of movement. If you want to realize the still point beyond thinking, let go of all interest in thoughts and sensations, all preferences, all phenomena generated by the mind and senses, and rest in naked awareness.
Thoughts and sensations are a field of constantly changing phenomena. What is unchanging is the awareness of that field of change. We are usually so caught up in the field of change, fixated on its objects, that we ignore awareness. To realize samadhi, we stop chasing anything in the field of change, any thought, and we rest as awareness. Stop reacting to thoughts and sensations. All suffering is due to our believing our thoughts. Notice the mind's habit of judging or labeling any thought or sensation as good or bad. We allow every thought and sensation to be as it is. We don't push away anything, and yet we don't get ensnared in thoughts or hooked by their content. In this way, we approach the absolute by the negative path, the via negativa. Whatever is arising, we realize not this, not that, not this, not that. Through the via negativa, one realizes everything that is arising is not you. You realize that you are nothing, the wisdom of no self. Through the via positiva, one realizes everything that is arising is you. This is love, an energetic connection or merging. Both truths exist simultaneously. exactly emptiness. Emptiness is exactly form. There's a saying in Zen, at the beginning of the path, mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers. After some realization, mountains are no longer mountains and rivers are no longer rivers. But when the final truth is revealed, mountains and rivers are. What has changed on this journey? The mountain and the river remain as they always have been. What has dropped away is your idea of the mountain and the river. What has dropped away is the whirlpool of the mind that mediates that creates the illusion of separation between you and the world. To realize samadhi is not to achieve some extraordinary state, nor is it about staying in the ordinary state of mind. Only the limited mind or egoic mind discriminates ordinary and extraordinary. Turiya, 
the stateless state, sometimes called the fourth state, is non-dual reality. It is transcendent and immanent within. It is the ground of existence, the fountain of all truth. Your effort to achieve some state is a movement of the mind. To realize the ground of existence is not to transcend the physical and abide in the subtle realm or the causal realm. All of these dimensions of yourself exist simultaneously. Gross, subtle, and causal exist here and now. It is only the limited mind itself that creates the division. Samadhi is not to try to achieve something. It is a giving up of all interest in thoughts while remaining fully alert, fully conscious, fully awake, without reacting, without doing, without moving the mind, without suppressing the mind. To be aware to be fully attentive to what is happening without the mediation of egoic conditioning, without concepts, without controlling, manipulating, or distortion, without the filtering of the limited mind. It is to be present without choosing. Present without choosing and therefore without a chooser. You could call this a mirror mind, a beginner's mind without memory or past, an open or transparent mind. You make every moment new. <coughs> unconsciously, even the tiniest movement, it is due to the filtering through the conditioning of the limited self-structure. Whenever the mind moves unconsciously, it is due to some unsatisfactoriness, which is called dukkha in the ancient traditions. How do I let go of dukkha? How do I let go of all unsatisfactoriness? Listen closely. To the limited mind, there's a paradox. The limited egoic mind hears the question and wants to know how. How do I do it? But that limited mind can't do it. The limited mind will always fail in any attempt to realize samadhi. It must fail. The limited mind does not awaken. Primordial awareness wakes up from its identification with the limited mind.
in any attempt to realize stillness because the mind is movement. The mind itself is movement and this movement creates the experience of time and space, creates separation. It is an endless process of doing. On the passless path, we awaken from identifying with the character that is doing to recognizing the dimension of being. between doing and being drops away. The separation is simply another mind process. When there's no thinking within the conditioned egoic structure, then there's no problem. The you that you think you are is a process a constant movement of egoic thought, a collection of patterns and preferences, that you has to die. The pathological pattern of you has to end for samadhi to be realized. Let that sink in.
try to tell you how to be aware, then you'll be paying attention to my words or doing something that I told you, rather than being aware of what's actually happening in the now. You have to become so conscious of what is, so intimate with existence, that there's no preference, no self or I in it. You inhabit or merge consciousness into what's happening. When egoic activity is dropped, you become that which is arising. Actually, that's not true. More correctly, it's the illusion of separation that falls away. The truth is, we were never actually separate. Spiritual teachers have given the instruction to reach samadhi. Be still and know. Be still and know the true self. Primordial awareness beyond name and form. Be still and know that you are God. The true self, Buddha nature. What exactly do they mean? What is it that becomes still? Obviously, no one's physical body can become absolutely still, existing within time and space, because time-space itself is movement. Time-space is mind. The universe is big mind, or logos. The first hermetic principle is that the all is mind. The universe is mental. If the universe is mind and mind is movement, how can I be still and know? How can you be still on a globe spinning a thousand miles per hour around its axis, spinning sixty-seven thousand miles per hour around the sun, moving five hundred thousand miles per hour around the galaxy, and millions more through the universe? Okay, we're going to have to finish the last little bit later. Thank you, everyone. Wow, what a beautiful piece. Okay. Bring yourself back into your body if you can, as you can, as you choose. We'll take just a little moment here of a break, and we will be back with music and our brother Richard and a look at those stars and Tanya and Kepacha and so it is for now Namaste for the moment see you just a little while Aloha everyone ah, Aho we talk we awesome
Mercury's doing its thing. are moving so today. (laughs) 
That was a group called Fawn. 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 Two ends or one. F A U N, and they're um, a Nordic group, and they were singing to Odin. Pass the talking stick to you, Richard. <laughs> well, thank you very much, brother. Oh, where do I start? Oh, let me start. I've got the weather map here in this tab here. And all of Alabama and nearly the western half of Georgia and Tennessee all cover up with rainstorms. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's slowly moving east. And so I may have trouble with my cell service. It's the kind of weather night for my cell service to be uh, sporadic. So uh, just in case, there's a heads up. Okay. Tonight, right now, the <laughs> ascendant is 13 degrees Virgo. So, and the moon is is uh, high in the sky. It's already up to about uh, 11, 11 o'clock position. Mm. But you got to have clear skies to see it. Anyway, all right. We've been watching the planets coalesce, gather together in a concentrated zone. And here's the update on your concentrated zone, starting with Mars at 24 Sagittarius. Next, next you got Venus at 15 Capricorn retrograde, the Sun at 26, Pluto at 27, then you got Mercury at 11 Aquarius, and Saturn at retrograde, and Saturn at 14 Aquarius. So you've got Five planets there in a 30-degree arc, 29-degree 20, 20, uh, arc. Venus, Venus, Sun, Pluto, Mercury, Saturn. Mercury, Mercury and Saturn are in close conjunction. Sun and Pluto are going to be exact tomorrow. This is one of the events we've been waiting for, the annual Sun conjunct Pluto event. I don't know whether we should. I think this this year everybody needs to put on their spiritual armor. Referenced by the the first story that we played about five five p.m. or five thirty earlier today. We, we got to use our spiritual tools. So put your armor on. Then we got uh, Jupiter's up to four Pisces. Neptune still at 21, Chiron still at 9, and Uranus still at 11. All right, Chiron and Aries, Uranus and Pluto. That arc from from Mars to Uranus is shrunk to 137 degrees from 24 Sag to 11 Taurus is 137 degrees. And it's going to be quite some time before anybody comes up and conjuncts Uranus from behind. Except for the moon, you know, which 
moves a whole bunch faster. And the moon tonight is in five cancer. Opposite Venus. And as the next couple days go by, moon is going to oppose Venus, Sun, Pluto, Mercury, Saturn. That's the mantra. Venus, Sun, Pluto, Mercury, Saturn. Those five energies coming through the back half of Capricorn and the front half of Aquarius with Jupiter and Neptune a little bit ahead in Pisces. I can I can see why Kaipatia is so fascinated by this uh, first part of uh, this year, especially. So let's go listen to him. I'm I'm interested to see what he's got from what I see here, and and then after he's done, I'll I'll tell you the difference between this Saturday and next and next Saturday. Which basically is the moon is going to move from its position in Cancer over into over into Libra, and it will be doing trines and things. Moon is trying Jupiter tonight. Uh, Mercury still square Neptune. Mars, I mean Mars square Neptune. Mercury and Saturn square Uranus. Uh-huh. Uranus square Mercury and Saturn. Mars square Neptune. Moon opposite Venus. And that's going to get uh, probably exact tomorrow. Uh, yeah, tomorrow, late tomorrow, about 10 degrees, half a day. Yeah. Anyway, tomorrow, moon opposite Venus. All right. Talk to you in a bit. Okay. Back to you. I'm a, yeah, play that capacho. Here yeah, and go. all together, yeah. Kepacha is 30 minutes and Tanya is, I think, just 12. So there might be a little extra time toward the end, Commander. Okay. Or in, okay. Or in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. with the weekly Pele report. This one is for Wednesday, January 12th of the great year, 2022. And, uh, yeah, it's my last visit down here to the American River for a little while. It's uh, gorgeous. You know, we had that snow here, and then it warmed up. So we got some snow melt, and it rained a little bit. I was here, I don't know, maybe a month ago. You may remember those uh, rapids from the previous Pele report, but um, thought I'd hike a little farther down stream here this time. The moon is in Taurus, enjoying the Earth, Mother Nature. And I don't know if you can see down here, but that water is so clean and pure, you can see the rocks down at the bottom underneath the water over there. Anyway woke up this morning with just a ton of stuff to do. Things are moving rapidly. 
Moon is going to go into Gemini. I've got it around 7 o'clock tonight, Pacific time. And it's going to speed up even more. The, the moon is waxing towards full. We've got that full moon, and it's going to be what? Opposite not only the sun. This is not only a full moon, but it is going to be opposite Pluto. Because Pluto and the sun are going to be in alignment. So we are going to have a moon, earth, sun, Pluto conjunction. I mean alignment. I mean, if I had, I was, I was thinking of showing you on the solar scope, but I thought you would rather see the river <laughs> than the solar scope, man. <laughs> the other, the other alignment that is happening, of course, then is that Mercury is coming up uh, to come into an alignment with Saturn, and they're just a couple of degrees off. I mean, if you saw it from outer space, they would be in a, a you know, very close alignment, but. Um, Mercury stations at 11 degrees. Saturn is up there at like 13 or something. So, you know, they're, they're a few degrees off, but close enough to call it a conjunction. And then uh, Mercury is, uh, yeah, uh, stationing to go uh, retrograde. And uh, that's on Friday. Conjunct Saturn. And then uh, uh, Uranus is going uh, direct. So we've got a, a, a big shift going on there. That sun will be exactly conjunct Pluto on Sunday, and then the full moon is on Monday. And uh, the moon is going to be at 2751 Cancer. And, um, yeah. So we got this, you know, full moon waxing, energy building coming through Taurus today, Gemini, you know, uh, tomorrow uh, goes into Cancer on Saturday. And finally, after that full moon, which is in the final degrees, uh, by Monday, she's going to jump into Leo. Yeah. So let me uh, find a nice little spot down here by the river and uh, talk about what all that says. Yeah. That thing playing. Hey, I got my T-shirt, man. I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Super duper. So much glare on this phone, I can't really even tell if you saw that. <laughs> that is my revolutionary astrology. Yeah, baby, Age of Aquarius. New paradigm, ruled by Uranus, high-tech, fourth industrial revolution, great reset kind of stuff going on. And that Uranus rebel, revolt, rethink, renovates, bring in the change, bring in the new. It's going to be really something else going on here. We're going to have, right, you know, I mean, Uranus is going direct, so it's going to be, you know, really charging forward. At the same time, Mercury goes retrograde, Venus goes retrograde, and I know retrograde has a little bit of a bad rap, but I want to, you know, just point out that, that, that retrograde means personalize, do it your own way, it is when the planet is closest to the Earth. And so retrograde planets are powerful, they are strong, and they are wanting to be 
broken away from the conventional, from the normal, from the way everybody else is doing it, into the way I personally need to do it. So retrograde Mercury people think their own thoughts in their own way, and they're not as easily programmed by academia and shoved into the little box that uh, you know so much of uh, educational institutions want to be doing. So they give it a bad rap and go, oh, you know, you're not as smart or you're dumb or whatever. It's not you're not smart or you're not dumb. It's like you don't want to listen to them. <laughs> oh, man. These are wild freaking times. It's so amazing. So much going on these days. I'm uh, out of here in a couple of days uh, going down to Tulum. Going to be meeting with other astrologers, human design people, doing an event down there in Tulum before uh, getting together with the warriors in Peru. And uh, I just, uh, I'm really feeling it that there's big, big shifts coming up here. Big changes coming up here. It's in the mantra today. The sun is coming around to Pluto. Intense, metamorphic, alchemical transformation coming into our own authority, coming into our own power, but not easily. It's initiation time. It's not like, oh yeah, you know, here's you know, here's your power. It's like, no. There's a test. This is Capricorn. How much power are you really able to manage? How much power are you really able to uh, control without being overwhelmed or blown away or washed (laughs) downriver? You know, the images that I want to, uh, uh, that, that come up for me around this mantra, around the sun conjunct Pluto, and let's let's get this idea now. So Mercury moves up into uh, Aquarius, you know, which is liberation, enlightenment, break free from the consensus, break free from the norm. And then it goes, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I forgot something. Something's not done. Something's not complete. Something's not resolved. I need to go back and visit Pluto again. Oh, no. Mercury's retrograding for three weeks. It's going back into Capricorn. It's going to conjunct Pluto. And it's going to station conjunct Pluto. By that time, Mars will have moved into Capricorn and Venus okay will be you know stationing and we're going to have the boardroom getting together and if you think it's intense now uh, it is only going to continue to build so what we want to do here is you know really look at it, and, and this is what, like, this mantra is today, it's the meltdown. Oh. You know, we are, a, we are a nugget of gold getting melted, and a lot of us may feel like our lives are in meltdown. Our 
relationships are in meltdown. Our jobs are in meltdown. You know, uh, the government, you know, the, the society is in meltdown. And you would be accurate in your assessment of the situation <laughs> because we are. That's right. This is the what the end of an old paradigm looks like. Okay. We're in it. And what we want to, you know, really understand is that so many of us born today have really had it easy up until now. You know, World War One, World War Two. Uh, you know, uh, you know th these big, you know, even in other countries, revolutions and Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, you think of other places. Okay, maybe a lot of people who are not don't have access to the Pele Report. <laughs> If you're listening to this. <laughs> You've got either a nice, uh, you know, a nice phone, a nice computer. You're hooked up into the net, and you are in the one percent. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm talking to, you know, this particular group of people that are tuning in here. Not only that, you're into astrology, so you're you're even, you know, kind of outside, you know, that chunk. But we've had it pretty freaking easy, man. Our parents had it harder than us. And, you know, we don't, we may not be psychologically prepared for the amount of uh, conflict, the amount of uh, need to really be strong and maintain and contain ourselves. So... The other image I get, you know, with this is that, yes, we are in meltdown, and it's just like, it's very interesting, because I, I am saying it in today's mantra that, you know, Grace Spirit says, you know, relinquish control. And in previous failure reports, and even in this report, I'm calling forward warriors, <laughs> and I'm saying that we need to stand, and we need to do the revolution, and... <laughs> This kind of a thing, and you may feel like, wait a second, uh, you know, Kaipacha is contradicting himself. <laughs> and I want to clarify what what this what this is about for me, and, and what I'm trying to say here is that the the warrior in us is birthing a new age. We are birthing a new paradigm. There is the Web three emerging. Okay. It is a blockchain, uh, you know, uncensored platform that is emerging out of Web 2. That is, uh, you know, where we are now. So there's a whole new, uh, you know, platform coming. There's a whole new internet coming. There's a whole new society coming. There is a whole new paradigm coming. And this is what we need to keep our eye on. In the meantime... We have to understand that we're living in a fluctuation, a metamorphosis, a meltdown. And during that time, we are going to need to submit to some forces beyond our control. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, 
You know, I, I do readings, you know, regularly, and, you know, there's people stuck in places. I've got people that want to come to Peru and they can't leave their country without getting jabbed. I've got, uh, I understand people that want to move and they can't and, uh, you know, and they're getting, uh, you know, fired from their jobs or losing their friends and have no income. And, you know, Quebec now is wanting to find people who don't get jabbed and it's yeah. getting, it, you know, the controls are getting tightened. Yeah. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm. And what we want to understand now is just consider, like for me, okay, I, I'm traveling. I'm traveling. Traveling used to be fun. <laughs> now, I need to go online. I need to fill out, you know, governmental documentations, answer questionnaires, you know, get tested, you know, you know, you know, wear this muzzle, you know, and go through all this crap just in order to go, you know, to the beach. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I got to go through TSA and, you know, take off my belt and, you know, stand there like a, you know, a vulnerable uh, peon. You know, and get x-rayed, it's humiliating. Mm -hmm. You know, we're submitting, okay, to these morons that are just absolutely, <laughs> not to be judgmental, <laughs> but you know, it's just really nuts. I look at it like boot camp. It's like you want to join the armed forces and, you know, help your country or whatever, and you go into boot camp and you've got some moron <laughs> officer up there, 50,000 push-ups, do your sit-ups, you know, you don't get to eat. You know, but what we have to do is keep in mind a higher purpose, a higher calling. You know, I'm going down here to share astrology. I'm going down here to bring people together. I'm going down here to build a social network and a, and a platform and, you know, and really come together as human beings and defy the limits and the boundaries and the separation that are trying to be imposed upon us. And that goal, that, that intention, that high, you know, path and vibration requires that I submit, you know, you know, it's like the, the goal of being, you know, a soldier says, I've got to go through boot camp. Okay. We, so we want to build a new paradigm. Well, we've got to go through all the hoops and, it, you know, and, and, you know, deal with, without giving up. So the warrior within us is not letting go of the goal, is not intimidated by the temporary, and by temporary, I'm talking at least a year, I'm talking the rest of 2022, I'm talking into 2023, and what we need to do is like keep our eye on where we're going. I want to read you, you know, Mercury is spending three days at the 11th degree of Aquarius, right? <laughs> Check this out, man. You know, this is like super powerful. During a silent hour, a man receives a new inspiration which may change his life. 
That's the image that Elsie Wheeler's saw for this degree, the psychic picture. A need to rely upon inner inspiration and guidance at the start of new developments. What is implied here is the essential value of keeping open to the descent of spiritual or soul forces, especially when a new period of individual activity is about to begin. The individual should not depend mainly on outer circumstances and on traditional incentives. There is a creative power within Om Namo Guru Dev Namo. I bow to the infinite power within myself. Yeah. A power that can be tapped, or rather that should be allowed to flow into the brain consciousness or the hands which write or fashion materials into form. This refers to the overshadowing of the individual consciousness by an inner yet transcendent power. Feel that, repeat it, hit replay, write it, sing it, turn it into a song. This is exactly what we need to do. We need to really channel. We need to really allow. We need to open yeah, that Shashumna to the spiritual power, to great spirit. And we look, need to look at this as, and what is the other image, of course, that comes to me is, you know, the blacksmith or the goldsmith that melts down the gold or steel or silver and burns off the impurities yeah, you know, this is Sun Pluto, this is Vulcan, Hesperus, right, uh, Zeus's brother, I mean, this is, this is, you know, we are being really melted down, purified, removing the doubt, the guilt, the shame, the judgment, the, the limitations, the And through that purification, we are becoming ourself, ourself. And this may this may look like relationships. Don't forget, Venus is still in her underworld. She's still in her retrograde. So now we've got this Pluto. You know, first comes Mercury, passes. Venus comes. Sun comes, Mercury comes back, <laughs> Venus comes again, Mars comes with Venus. It's like, this is like Pluto. It's like everybody's gathered around, hey, hey, Pluto, <laughs> what's going on? And Pluto's like, you know what? <laughs> I like Arishkagol, the goddess of the underworld, a little better than Pluto or Hela, in Norse, Norse mythology, it was Hela, you know. But this, this very powerful, emotional, kundalini, kali, feminine energy 
that says, rise up in your power and become your autonomous, sovereign, personal authority and deal with these authorities not as a victim, not as a subject, not as a slave, but rise up and meet these authorities as your own authority. know what I'm talking about. And so the, the song for this week is, of course, I mean, it just keeps repeating. I haven't listened to it, and I don't know all the words. I don't remember them, but it's Tom Petty. You don't have to live like a refugee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to live like refugees. Somehow, somewhere, somebody must have kicked you around, son. But hey, you know, get through boot camp. We'll get through this year. Uranus is going direct. Innovate, invent. There are new options, new opportunities, new communities, new platforms. It is, you know, it's like the the bud is breaking through the frozen ground. We can do this. Hang tight. Be strong. Come together. You know, that come together by the Beatles, that could be a, a, a weekly song every week. <laughs> oh, man. So the mantra for today, yeah? Great Spirit says, relinquish control. You are nothing but a nugget of gold. Be melted down and purified soon to be poured into a new mold. Yeah. Just, there is a new paradigm. There is a new future. There is a new mold. There is a new way. There is a new society. There, there is Shambhala awaiting for us. And, you know, we may have to climb through the frozen tundra of the Himalayas <laughs> to find that Shambhala. Mm -hmm. But it's there, and we want to we manifest the dream, not give it up. So all this stuff that's going away and all this crap that we have to put up with and go through and, you know, just endure, we can do this. We signed up for this. I think, you know, you, you know on some level that maybe when you were born, you kind of knew on a soul level that this was coming. <laughs> so, you know, you know, your ego may uh, have a bunch of resistance, but you got to move in, you move beyond, you don't, don't confuse yourself with your ego. Don't confuse your identity with your conscious thoughts and thinking. We are gold. We are stardust. We are golden. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Yeah. That's another song. I forget the name of it. Yeah. 
Whatever. <laughs> I gotta get out of here, man. Oh, that's another thing. I mean, I, I gotta say, I'm trying to balance again. You know, this is uh, Capricorn Cancer, professional and personal. And, you know, uh, I've been wanting to do this video on what's coming up and but I want to do it right, and I'm trying to make slides and do this, you know, really good presentation. And then more information keeps getting poured on, and I don't know where to stop gathering the information, you know, in time, you know, to, to put it out because it's coming in so fast, and it's just like. So I know I've I've said I'm going to do this. I I hope to have more time uh, uh, in Tulum, but I always hope to have more time. And it seems to evaporate. So all I can say is I have the intention, you know, of putting more out there because what to do. I want. I even want to start with what to do instead of like what's going on and, you know, what's going to come and this and that and the other thing. Maybe it's more like what, he, what we need to really do now because it's, you know, it's imperative, right? You know, it's incumbent upon us. To like, you know, do some stuff like right now. Um, it's going to go up on BitChute because I don't want to get censored. One of the things that we want to do is, and I, I want to close my Facebook, close my Instagram, get out of WhatsApp. I do not want Zuckerberg and Facebook, who has, um, you know, joined together with the NSA, the National Security, uh, and, you know, administration, uh, you know, to gather up. You know, everybody's info on everything uh, for the great, uh, you know, insanity. So, um, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of personal change going on right now, and uh, I encourage you to, you know, as much as you can, step away from supporting, you know, uh, Amazon and Google and the big monsters out there. And uh, I'm today I'm on my way to the bank. You know, to take my money out of Bank of America into a local, a little local credit union, a little local bank. Go local. Deal with cash. You know, uh, you know, stop feeding the machine. Yes. Do not let the machine swallow you. <laughs> that is my upcoming video in a nutshell. <laughs> but I want to get far more specific than that. So anyway, it's going to go on my other channels. And, um, yeah, if, uh, if you're uh, friends with me on Facebook, why don't you just sign out, say goodbye, and I can kind of uh, ease it down instead of just disappearing. But um, look uh, look for me on Telegram, Spotify, and BitChute. And uh, I will uh, – and, of course, my community, my school, I want to work more with my students – I look forward to connecting with you on other platforms, more of them to be announced. And I wish you, uh, you know, good tidings uh, during these uh, during these turbulent times. Just, you know, flow like the river. You know, it comes around to a rock. Does the rock stop the river? No. No, man. The river says, I'm going to the ocean. You ain't stopping me. 
I'm gonna find my way to the freaking ocean, man. <laughs> Ow! Great Spirit says, relinquish control. You are but a nugget of gold. To be melted down and purified and poured into a new mold. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right, I won. Yeah, it's, that was not 30 minutes long. That was 40 minutes long. So real quick here, a little bit about this coming up week. I mentioned I'm looking at next Saturday's, uh, but what's happening is through the week, Who's going to pose Saturday? Oops. So I'll pose Oh, Richard, you're breaking up. Okay. Well, anyway, the moon, the, is this better? Yeah, that's better. Okay. Um, so the moon is going to do the oppositions to the planets as it sweeps on on the other side of the chart, see? Because, we, you know, so by next by next Saturday, Mars moves up to 24 Sag, and, you know, Mercury and Saturn still conjunct, Sun and Pluto still conjunct, you know, the other planets don't move that fast, but what we're looking at here in the shorter term of uh, a month, or let's just say the next two weeks, you know, full moon to the following new moon. And the following new moon is going to be interesting, too, because that group of planets is still going to be very close together. So uh, you know there'll be a there'll be a moon opposite Jupiter. There'll be a moon opposite Neptune. A moon opposite Chiron. And next Saturday night, the moon will be at two three Libra. All right. And there will be let's see that's uh, one two three four five squares next weekend. Whereas today, there's uh, uh, three squares in an opposition. The good trines tonight is moon trine Jupiter in water signs. You know, that's nice. Uh, Venus, Venus trine Uranus. That's all I can say about anything with, you know, Uranus ruling Aquarius hanging out in Taurus is all about massive changes and with Uranus having been trying all these planets that pass through Capricorn that's, that's you know the building up and I like his metaphor of we are being purified uh, melted down 
transformed metallurgy. That other guy uh, mentioned metamorphosis. So those are the conditions. And I wish you all a great week if I don't hear from you later. Bye for now. (laughs) Thank you, Richard. Very good. Everybody have a great week. Have a great week in there. And uh, be careful out there. Yeah. There's a lot of... Look, just in the United States, that's the easiest place that I can focus on, you know, as I go around terrestrial radio and stuff like that. Half the planet or more is very, very mentally ill. Yeah. Very much so. And, uh, and, and of course, evil was ill, illness, you know. Yes. Yeah. Have pity on those poor souls. You've got any pity left in you. Over and out, namaste. Okay. We can have empathy. That's what we can have. But they have to stand up and take a step here and there. Okay, here we go with Tanya. Thank you, Richard. It's Tanya Gabrielle here, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes, where we look at a very important astro-numerology event that is coming up. And this week, it is the first Mercury retrograde of the year, 2022. And we have Venus retrograde happening at the same time Venus began retrograding in December and ends its retrograde on January 29th. So why is this so important. Well, Mercury actually retrogrades into Capricorn and stays there for quite a while. And Venus is in Capricorn for a long time because of its own retrograde. So this activates this sign of Capricorn in a big way. And Venus's new cycle begins in Capricorn. And the Venus cycles are very important. So Capricorn governs our career, our path that we choose in terms of how to express ourselves And so the dynamics of having Mercury, the practical mind and the way we express ourselves in terms of the words, the languaging, the communication, and then Venus, which is the tone of the expression, the beautiful expression, the loving, compassionate sense of expression, coming together in this beautiful way to activate our mission. Now, as I said, it's the first Mercury retrograde of the year, begins at 10 degrees in Aquarius. 10 is the number of instant manifestation, love and light, and the retrograde ends in Capricorn, 24 degrees Capricorn, on February 3rd. And 24 is the number of love. So we have this beautiful theme here that is awakening us to the importance of having compassion, of uh, tuning into the loving side, the kind acceptance, 
the acknowledgement of love in our life, and of course, acknowledgement is one of the key words for Capricorn. So when we look at the beginning of the Mercury retrograde, we are, with Aquarius, looking at technology, at the future, at breakthroughs, at freedom. So we're reconsidering situations and experiences surrounding the impact that breakthroughs and technology are playing in our life. That means in terms of the technological aspect that maybe we will realize that what how we are using technology, how we are using certain gadgets might lose their appeal. We understand the significance of simpler things in life because of the mercury of retrograde, right? It goes within. So that means spending more time with non-gadgety things <laughs> and also to explore new concepts so these would be brilliant new ideas out there ideas tangential ideas that's all very aquarian receiving deep insights about future trends but also your own future and the future of the collective how you would like to proceed in terms of how you connect to others and how you feel the general trajectory of energy is moving because Aquarius rules the future. And of course, we are at the onset of the Aquarian age. So anything that happens in that sign is important. Now, freedom is really the key frequency of Aquarius. And responsibility and accountability are very the, the, the main frequencies of Capricorn. So what we're looking at is freedom from the extrication of expectations and beliefs that are based on the past, which Capricorn rules, and then organizing our life by setting priorities for what truly matters. So remember that Venus is currently also retrograding in Capricorn, so the Capricorn elements that we're moving towards in terms of this, this retrograde of Mercury are helping us to truly take charge of our life individually. So accountability is really one of the wonderful gateways to focus on your inner life because when you take accountability, you're literally taking the energy of the other out of the equation completely. That's a separate uh, entity completely and you're putting it back to where it actually belongs, which is within you. You can only be accountable for you. So that means that everything that you do or say, believe in, think about, act on comes from within you and that reflection of where things are, how things are inspiring you, that is the taking of accountability. So really the accountability comes as a result of you reflecting on what you're about to say, reflecting on how you act before actually activating those thoughts and actions. And that's the Mercury retrograde. Mercury retrograde is about reflecting on those very things. And that is taking accountability before something happens that you may later realize is still part of the old paradigm process. So this is where it gets interesting because the accountability is part of Capricorn, but Capricorn also governs the paradigm, especially the patriarchal uh, narrative that we're extricating ourselves from. So here comes Aquarius to help free us up, and then we take account accountability for what part of Capricorn we want to actually attune to. And that is really 
where responsibility and accountability come in, as opposed to the adherence to the past, right? That we do hand-me-downs, we listen to top-down leadership, uh, rules that have been in place forever, and therefore we don't question them. That is really the old paradigm. And so when you look at accountability, it really begins in the heart. It it thrives when you're in a heart-centered space. The way we know that we're doing it is we're not running programs of fear, of lack, of limitation, of separation, of judgment. We're free to explore without restriction, where we can access higher levels of consciousness. And as we're sustaining these frequencies that are emanating from our heart, we are fulfilling our greatest desires and we're standing in an empowered state as a result because we're confident, we're happy, we're tuned into what we really feel aligned to. And this is then where we don't default into our subconscious programming. So we're not aligning to that low signal. So our programming is never going to disappear, right? It's going to be there in the background. It's just that we first of all need to acknowledge that and then we also need to tune in to our ability to diffuse that programming, to put it literally on low volume. And we do that through alchemy, through meditation, through conscious attention. As you stand in your power, you override all that lower frequency stuff that's going on. And then the frequency that you pulse out is then reflected back to you. And so you're being set free so that you can step into your power. So the way we are set free to step into our power is to focus on solutions, our overall health, our physical body, our thoughts, our emotions, focus on how we respond, how we're feeling in general as we're responding or deciding how to respond Right, Because the feeling in general, that is really our key because it impacts everything. That's the frequency we are aligning with is the feeling. And that's why it always goes back to this heart center. And so our feeling then informs our thoughts. It impacts our physical well-being, our immune system. So go back to that general, how am I feeling? Right, This Venus retrograde coupled with the Mercury retrograde is very, very important because it allows us to connect the feeling with the mind and then we can consciously direct how we want to spend our time. Do we feel joyful? Do we feel peaceful? Do we feel serene? Do we feel awakened? Um, are we in a state of acceptance, compassion, purity, clarity, gratitude? So these are some of the options that we have, that we can choose, that are absolutely valid and beautiful. And so this is the adventure that we are here to explore. I mean, who wants to explore an adventure that goes into negativity, right? That is then what the universe will reflect back to you. And it's <laughs> it's not going to set you free. It's going to keep you in bondage. And, you know, I don't think that's what you want. If you do, of course, that's your decision. But, you know, honestly, this Mercury retrograde begins at 10 degrees. This is instant manifestation. You're going to manifest fast. So, and you, you are really in tune with love and light. This number 10 also governs new beginnings. 
And so in Aquarius, happening in Aquarius, this is new beginnings in freedom to set you free, right? This is love, light, manifestation, new beginnings. And then the retrograde ending at 24 degrees, we're, we're beginning something and then ending or arriving, I should say, in a place of love. 24 reduced to six, the number of love, 24 hours of a day, the human experience of abundance, love, nurturing. So we begin the retrograde with manifestation. We arrive in a place of love. And in Capricorn, we are also nurturing that love through accountability. And the accountability then sets us on a, a path where we are really taking stock of what we are doing we're, we're not just coasting without understanding how we are consciously directing our energy. So we're in the flow with responsibility. It's a sense of you taking full control of how you want your life to flow. So really listening to your divine self, responding only after you're inspired to do so, this will help to set your mind and heart on the road to freedom and joy. And so another way, of course, you can do that is to discover your own star code. You can go to a free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. That will help to set you free because you can discover your own numbers, your own birth code, and align with what your soul the gateway your soul chose to be born through for this lifetime. It's really exciting. It also helps you to understand the people in your life. So for more on that, enjoy the free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. Meanwhile, enjoy the Mercury retrograde beginning in Aquarius, ending in Capricorn, joining Venus there in Capricorn for a very big deep dive into your destiny and really reflecting on why you're here, what your purpose is and have a beautiful week. And I will see you in next week's star codes podcast. Lots of love. I just got to tell you, uh, there's something that's been crossing the television subtitles all day today, and it's cannabis compounds can block coronavirus from entering human cells. That's a pretty big deal. Just something to know. Um, in the meantime... I think that's got to do with relaxing, letting go, and don't worry, be happy. Then that's not going to work, you know. Especially the fingers of Sauron that are behind this, whatever it is, it's not a virus. Very naughty kids. Yep. How about it, Ramo? How about you tell us the phone number Um, where we can join everybody in a little, a little, a little communication time. Uh, 720-716-7301. Pin code? 353-863-POUND. 
Okay, and let's get together for a little chat here. And um, I'm just feeling it. Tonight's uh, energies are opening to the, <sighs> as Richard was saying, a whole new, whole new idea of the way of being. <coughs> so let's have a little chat about that. So again, everyone. We'll be there for about an hour, and then we'll see you right back here at BBS Radio Station 2, the best radio in the universe. And we love you, everyone. See you on the conference. Namaste.
Okay, thank you, Rama. That was 
Dr. John, the Night Tripper. Yeah. That was quite a spance of music. That was good. Yeah. All right. Now we got ourselves all ready for, let's do the final. This is the last little bit of the pathless path. I was going to say before we got down here, the, at 1041 this morning, Texas Central Time, uh, there was a hostage taker that uh, went into a synagogue uh, outside of Fort Worth in this place, I think, called Connolly. And uh, this has been going on all day. And they sent uh, the FBI SWAT team in there and uh, from Dallas, and uh, they shot the guy dead. He had taken about four hostages, and he wanted this. Uh, he called her sister. She was from, uh, she was um, not a blood relative. Uh, anyway, she had been put in a New York jail, but she was in, a jail down there for a while, but he wanted her released. And it's just a very long and very serious uh, matter for the people inside the synagogue, but everybody's out now. But they did do that. I just wanted to report the conclusion of that intense day had in Texas today. It might be connected with Mercury going retrograde and oh, the energy being very intense. Oh, and and Uranus. Yeah. Sudden, drastic change is that's what's happening here. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's finish that part now, everybody. Thank you for that little piece. The true self, Buddha nature. What exactly do they mean? What is it that becomes still? Obviously, no one's physical body can become absolutely still, existing within time and space, because time-space itself is movement. Time-space is mind. The universe is big mind, or logos. The first hermetic principle is that the all is mind. The universe is mental. If the universe is mind, and mind is movement, how can I be still and know? How can you be still on a globe, spinning a thousand miles per hour around its axis? Spinning 67,000 miles per hour around the sun, moving 500,000 miles per hour around the galaxy, and millions more through the universe. Your heart is beating, cells are moving inside, food digesting, the brain producing brain waves. Your blood is pumping, energy is moving. How can we be still? When the spiritual masters say, be still and know, they must be talking about something else, something beyond time and space, something beyond the physical and mental. 
What is meant by stillness is something that we have no word for in our modern language system. The Sanskrit language, the language of the yogis, has more precise terms which point to the non-dual. The term shunyata is often translated as voidness, stillness, or emptiness. Stillness is maybe the closest English word, but it is inadequate to describe something that is not of this dualistic world. What is actually realized is the primordial consciousness, which is beyond stillness and movement, beyond time. It is eternal, the ground of your being, the essential nature of reality that does not change. Actually, it is beyond change and the changeless. When our true nature is realized, it becomes obvious that silence and noise are a duality created by the mind. Stillness and movement are a duality created by the mind. Everything is already inherent within that primordial stillness. The movement of the world is identical to stillness. Be still and know. Be in motion and know. It is all emptiness dancing. This is not something philosophical, but an entirely different way of interfacing with the world. Actually, it's about dropping the interface, dropping the reducing valve, which is the self-structure, and experiencing your true nature unmediated by the limited mind. The so-called outer world is transcended by realizing stillness which, when realized, includes that which it transcends. If you think you understand Samadhi after watching this film, then you've missed what's being said. It would be like mistaking the menu for the meal. To taste the truth takes a true willingness to see the patterns of the self-structure that you refer to as you. It requires a deep excavation, deep surgery on the mind and freeing of samskaras, a deep dismantling, a deep humbling of the self-structure. To realize samadhi, one surrenders to the soul's longing for union. You must want to realize the one source more than anything in the matrix of the mind, more than anything in the external world. External pursuits will seem hollow and meaningless. True meditation, true self-inquiry is coming into the now where everything is experienced, everything is revealed. Everything arises and passes away within a field of equanimity and love. Until the eternal is realized, one must work patiently and persistently, wholeheartedly, with humility, 
burning up your patterns, your preferences, your conditioning. One can't make awakening happen using the conditioned mind. It happens seemingly by accident, but by practicing presence, it makes us accident prone. Socrates, before he was executed, were a warning to the world. He said, we owe a great debt to Asclepius. Pay it and don't forget. Asclepius was the god of healing. And you may be familiar with the Asclepius staff, which is a rod entwined with a serpent. It represents healing energy, inner energy that is alive, free from conditioning, free to move of its own intelligence, as opposed to the energy of the dualistic mind. In the early centuries BCE, the Asclepius symbol was emblazoned on some of the first money coins mass-produced in ancient Greece and Rome, and it has morphed into what we call the dollar sign today. It is an ancient reminder hidden in plain view, a reminder that an exchange of money is an exchange of energy. Christ consciousness or Buddha nature is supported by the feminine principle, by great mother, by the Nagas, the serpent wisdom. This wisdom teaches us to purify the inner temple to purify ourselves of ego. The feminine principle has had countless names throughout history. Gaia, Shakti, Sophia, Logos, Mahalakshmi, Parvati, Durga, Isis, Mary, the spiral of life. This living energy of the higher mind is the innate intelligence of the universe. This nature wisdom has been systematically suppressed, demonized, exploited and controlled throughout the last millennia. In order to free energy from the unconscious definitions that we hold, we must unbind the knots that create identification with the ego structure. Letting go of grasping at comfort, letting go of knowing, Right now, at this time in history, at this time within yourself, the debt that Socrates is speaking of is coming due, both individually and collectively. There is only one currency with which you can pay this debt. You must pay with yourself. from its prison in pathological thought structures, 
it becomes free to connect us with higher levels of mind. Energy is what connects us all. Another name for this energy is love. All true spiritual masters say that love is the true religion. Love is the religion of the future. It cannot be institutionalized, systematized, or conditioned. Love is inseparable from the realization of the one primordial consciousness. To love is to be one with.
Exquisite, everybody. That was... back to sleep. No. Mm. Oh my goodness. They're not going to let us go back to sleep. No, nobody's going to let us go back to sleep. No, no going back to sleep. No. Okay, so we're going to do something here. Title of which is The Galactic Federation Redefined. Is it possible extraterrestrials are influencing the collective consciousness of humans and other species? Tactical advisor Tim joins host Emery Smith to discover what is popularity, what is popularly known as the Galactic Federation. 
According to Tim, this is actually a loose compendium of different species dedicated to an idea where individuals and groups within whole star systems cooperate through complex intergalactic relationships. Tim also discusses how different levels of consciousness within the universe expand beyond third-dimensional physics. And that's the word. Here we go. This is 28, 26 minutes. <laughs> Coming along. There it is. <laughs> A quiet moment. Disclosure, we're at an undisclosed location with Tim. Tim is a tactical advisor in the covert governance in Germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups in contact with Earth. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. In pop culture, almost everyone refers to a galactic federation. Is there a galactic federation? And if so, is that how they refer to themselves? So why the pop cultural name of a galactic federation is not being in use um, other than pop cultural terms, um, I think there are a lot of resemblances to it. So we are talking about a mindset being that is at level six consciousness. When we're talking about a mindset being, that means that there are lots and lots and lots of different beings, individuals, um, whole star systems and groups that are part of this. So it is not like any federation or alliance we have on this planet. It's more like a loose companion of different species that dedicate themselves to an idea. So different species refer to themselves as different beings. But what we can see is that when they communicate with individuals or groups of people on Earth, they sometimes refer to themselves as Galactic Federation because the subconsciousness of the collective memory of Earth says that this is the term that comes the closest to what they are. What is Level 6 Consciousness? So we have different levels of consciousness that a being inside of the universe can go through. This is a model, and you know all models are wrong, but some are helpful. So 
we use it to determine on which level of consciousness the form or an individual of the universe is. So in level three consciousness, we have conventional physics. We have um, dualistic worldviews. So the ego is going to develop inside of a inside of a life form. On the fourth fourth level of consciousness, we have a more loose structure to consciousness. Beings realize that they, for example, can enter time. They also realize that everything is connected, that we all have individual features, but we are one. So they have a different approach, and that results in a different kind of reality, because when everything is one, it's clearly that there are different possibilities and it's easier to harmonize things. How would you describe that being coming from the 4D or 5D? What would that being look like in the 3D? Like if we went back to the 2D, you know, we're flat. Yeah, this being looks like everything we see right now. So the sixth level of consciousness is kind of the realm of non-existence. This doesn't fit to every every being that has um, a level six consciousness, but we're talking about a living life form that yet has not a history, which is the universe, it's kind of source, but it has this kind of level six consciousness, which is just void. And what we, from this perspective, we are right now at we can experience this being as everything that is. So that is somehow the reason why we could resemble it to, to relate it to gods or something. So does that mean that we're all connected through that resonating being and maybe that's how like telepathy and stuff like that work? Like how, how are they communicating? We are all this being. We are all the being, right? Right. So, so, but it's a mindset being, which means that it's created through the individual decisions that every life form takes. Every life form as a conscious, consciousness unit has the opportunity to take several decisions in the lifespan. And once they realize every life form that they are responsible for the way the universe turns out, they automatically connect to this kind of life form. That's why I think we're talking about the Galactic Federation, because they are very beneficial to the whole overall universe and the process um, in which it behaves and goes through. This sounds like the Vedas. You're talking about one source. Is there any relation to that? It is, absolutely. So what we can find is that the Vedic scriptures are kind of a way to describe to describe this being or this um, state of the universe that we all will experience in some time. But it depends on the decisions that we take, on the path of evolution that we take. So everyone who commits themselves to this kind of life form, let's call it Galactic Federation or whatever you want to call it, you take a decision for your life to be part of this of this harmonious universe that we are approaching to. 
you know, in the Vedas, they mention these blue gods, these blue beings. Now, is there any correlation with this being? It's not only the Vedics. So we have blue beings all over the place. You have in Sumeria different um, images of blue beings. So it has to do with the way these beings communicate. If you have a high frequential being that reaches down to a consciousness unit that lives inside of a level three or level four consciousness, it compresses the frequency of this vibrations. And so things appear blue. And different people see different things. So while I see them as some kind of geometrical code or some geometrical form, some other people I know have seen them in human form as blue humans, just as we have in the Vedics, for example, by when we talk about Shiva and Krishna. How did this federation come to be? So there's only one requirement for membership. And I have to clarify that this is not a coherent, official, democratic organization. It is a mindset being. And that means an individual or a collective has to make themselves dedicated to the idea of a harmonious, one-being universe that has several individual um, and diverse uh, properties, but it is all oriented towards this unification process of the universe. And once, and you don't even have to know about this federation. So once an individual takes the decision that they want to commit themselves to this wonderful one being harmonious um, context, they automatically will be drawn into this mindset being because the end result is still in a process, which means we know we are on this process and it will 100% turn out great. But the way it turns out and it's played out is still up to the individual responsibilities of everyone. What beings are part of this federation? So it's a natural process. Um, and mindset being means that a natural force will combine people and individuals or even collectives or whatever that is that is dedicated to this idea of a harmonious a single universe. So you can either, for example, have a yogi in Tibet or something that has this life-changing experience of we are all one and we are all great and divine beings. And in that moment, he either may transform instantly or he may first die or whatever that is. There are multiple, multiple realities and multiple options there. But it, he gets drawn on his path in continuing this reality. And it might take some time, it might go faster if we all commit ourselves to this, but it also, it could also take some time to figure this out. But in the end, we will have this mindset being come into reality. Tim, who rules the Federation hierarchy? So in natural terms, there's no real hierarchy because they all commit to this idea that we are one. 
there in the process, there are different beings and collectives that still experience hierarchy. So as humans are, as grace are, as different species are. But in the end result, we're going to have a one being universe that is harmonious and that sees worth in every aspect of it. But there is some natural force that brings um, the collective or individuals together. So if a, for example, if an individual is not as far evolved to create its own destiny and its own path, but it's very dedicated to the idea of um, a harmonious world, then the structure of the universe is so that when the soul and the, the consciousness leaves the earthly body, for example, it gets reincarnated into some different um, aspect and level of consciousness. And that's what's going to happen. Some other beings and collectives are very engaged into this process of bringing people into this state. And we're experiencing that right now. So what is their involvement with Earth? Mm. So naturally, the members of this federation, um, they tend to be non-invasive. So they, an individual or a collective must decide for themselves and for in their, on their own process to dedicate themselves to this kind of universe. Once we do this, and this is the reason why I gave out the sentence, Earth should happily now that that is mostly enough to become part of this. Others, they might want to have the experience and might take some more time and might find pleasure in a dualistic universe, um, and that is okay too. We will come to, to an episode where we were talking about natural law and the law that, um, for example, the grace are advocating, which will speed up the process a lot. And we can see that there are some forces on this planet, extraterrestrial forces, that try to ascend humanity faster. Because, to be honest, people haven't been prepared for, prepared for this for way too long. So... Explain the methods. So, as I said, the methods are pretty non-invasive because these beings think that it's not right to influence or to push a species. But there's no right or wrong, right? There's no right or wrong. And there are members within this federation that are invasive and they are pushing it. And we'll come to that. And the grace and humanity, they are all part of this. But... Some of the methods have been more subtle. Like, for example, when the human race was experiencing World War II, you had the definition of a dualistic-centered worldview where parties are mm, opponing against each other. And suddenly, within this realm, one doctor found this component of LSD quite late because he was using and experimenting on that some time before. But 
it still was in that time frame. So I'm lucky enough, and, and LSD used to be the number one um, catalyst for the hippie movement, for the movement of love and united consciousness and stuff. So it's super important. And if everything could have rolled out according to plan, then the the experience of World War II wouldn't have been possible. Who represents humanity or planet Earth with this federation? It is a homogenous collective, which means that either individuals or collectives can be part of this. You can have, unfortunately or diversively, we have some structures that are authoritarian on Earth. So there were beings, for example, the Greys, that have showed the consequences of continuing this deception that's going on on Earth. And through that, lots of people in charge realized that that, that it, it's necessary to change something because Earth still is a collective memory that needs to be shifted. And unlikely as other members of this collective of this galactic federation, there are authoritarian processes within the ascension of Earth. And this is why it t took so long for some species to have this ascension. Who from Earth is benefiting from this alliance since most of humanity doesn't even acknowledge extraterrestrials? Well, in the end, everyone benefits. The whole universe benefits, benefits from it because we, everything in the universe needs to go through this evolutionary complex and process to come to this point that we are all connected and to be harmoniously living together while individually keeping up your preferences in life. Um, while there are extraterrestrial forces that interact with this planet and they have a very, very strong will to ascend humanity as fast as possible, it doesn't necessarily need to acknowledge the presence of non-terrestrial beings. So in another timeline, one might find that the universe is connected and the universe is harmonious and loving in its structure. And that is enough to make this being six come into place in another timeline. What we are dealing with right here is a more challenging timeline in a way that there are systems and species that still want to remain the dualistic world worldview. That means that we have to integrate that into the overall process. That also means that systems that are already established on this earth cannot easily be removed. They need to be transformed, and that's what's happening right now. Could that shift actually cause a war? The dimension of possible ways where it could go are almost infinite. Um, the worst thing that could happen is a collective psychosis. Yeah. 
which means that people that are unaware of the shift because they are still caught into this kind of installation and this process and thinking of level three consciousness, they will have a hard time to realize what's happening when Earth is shifting to level four consciousness, which means a lot of, for them, strange things will happen. For example, non-terrestrial beings. And that, and because tic-tac, the time is running, and that's the reason why we have this Pentagon report preparing people that they soon will be together with other beings. You said that there was pressure and time that we have to, you know, get our stuff together. So when is that time, in your opinion? It is now. Time is always now, but the process is now right in front of everyone's eyes. And everyone gets prepared in a different way, and globally uh, as well, that, because there are also um, structures on Earth that are established, and those people that benefit from these structures, they see and know the necessity of preparing people for change, but they still want to be on the sunny side of everything, you know, to keep the narrative. There's something that's very human-like to, to, the more things seem to change, the more they grab into to that, um, which is basically a lack of trust, and trust is something that is, needs A, experience, and B, positive affirmation. Um, so people... There are structures that right now want to keep the narrative as close as possible, but there are also forces, for example, the grace, that want to have the change and need to have the change. You mentioned these structures when this transition happens. Could you elaborate on what is the structure? Yes. So Earth is... It's a planet that has several properties um, that are, are a little bit different to other structures in the universe. For example, we have to deal with a warrior-type structure on Earth, which means that the genetic encoding of a human being allows certain groups on this planet to evolve into a warrior-type um, species. And that can, can go into a good direction, which is something that the greys want to uh, um, elaborate. But it also could tend to go into a direction that is self-destructive to the universe. And... The natural law, as you said, no good, no bad, it means that everyone has the rights to experience what they need to experience. So this overall process that is going on right now is very, a very sensitive matter. What technology might they be sharing with Earth? So there are forces in the universe that keep an eye on this process. This is why thing, things um, are very well structured, but 
they still keep the free will of every individual is still kept, um, which means the process and the decisions are kind of forced upon everyone, but everyone can still decide. And this is, for example, something that the greats have an observing eye on. If you're talking about technology, the normal proceedings of this kind of natural evolution in the universe, which affects multiple dimensions, million of life forms, is normally not so much into technology. It's a natural process. And, and it's a natural process that everyone needs to go through when experiencing their lives and developing some kind of spiritual connection to the whole universe. But on Earth, we have a different situation because um, there has been some deception and there has been a model and installation that makes it really hard for everyone to have time to meditate, to um, come to the realize realization Still, we have this force that will lead Earth into a higher frequency, into a, into a, into a part of the universe where Earth will experience higher energy waves surrounding it. So that's the reason why we have TikTok this time uh, thing going on and everything is rushed a little bit. How are we seeing the influence of this federation on Earth today? So one thing that is going to happen is when Earth enters a full harmonious level four consciousness, things will turn out differently. We already have different physics than the Earth had in a level three consciousness, but we also have different life forms. And for example, the Pentagon reports acknowledges that. So there are phenomena going on. And while the Earth is protected right now, those things will appear and they will affect everyone. That is the reason why we have this process right now. And it's very, very important to preserve, preserve this being six or this galactic federation because this is the way the universe will turn out and will be a mutual benefit for everyone. Still on the way, we are having some things that needs to be figured out, but Earth is getting help, and that's good. That is good. And everyone can participate in that when they speak their wishes into existence. And one thing that everyone was suggesting in the comments was all shift happily now. Well, Tim, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Emery. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. How did your relationship with the Greys actually develop and when? There were direct meetings, um, which I assume were set up by the Greys. They have this kind of metallic sounds that they use. They have these tablets, the hieroglyphs and the signs that they use in written language. And on the other half you have the German translation. Okay. All right. This one is the um, 
Mythological story of a lost city in Grand Canyon filled with artifacts from ancient Egypt and uh, and Asia. Um, I remember we were living on the top of the ski valley in Taos, Rama, on the mm. Taos Mountains out there. And we were talking to some gentleman about this this city. Yeah. He was having a bit of challenge, but I don't know how that ever happened. But anyway, watch over 400, though provoking, interviews. And this is with Regina Meredith, this one. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Featuring cutting-edge visionaries and tireless researchers who provide crucial information to awaken viewers to new perspectives that spark awareness, understanding, and ultimately transformation. In this interview with Regina Meredith, Jerry Wills recounts the tales of two post-Civil War explorers who discovered a cave in the Grand Canyon <clears throat> which bore artifacts from ancient Egyptian and Asian civilization. Artifacts which were quickly claimed by the Smithsonian Institute. Oops. <laughs> Never to be seen again. Oh, dear. I'm looking for it here. Oh, what is Gaia, world's largest online media library of over 9,000 alternative media genre, films, original shows, and much more. Mm. Rama's looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to go send it to me over here. Mm. Uh, it says down here, Zohar, Stargate, Ancient Discoveries. Yeah, it's something I have to go send myself. Oh. I can play something different. Well, why don't you go look for this while you play something else? Let's. Okay. All right, well, pick. Pick what mm. you want here. There's two more here. Okay, understanding bioenergetic medicine. Oh, you want to play that? Sure. Not these. That. <laughs> yeah. How long is that? Uh, forty-four minutes. Oh, okay. Understanding. Rama wants to play this one. Well, read it. To, you can see over there. Understanding and Using Bioenergetic Medicine with George Nury. And who else? Um, Dr. Bradley Nelson. Oh. Okay. Don't know him. Well, we're going to get, yeah, uh, he's been mentioned. I heard, I heard his name mentioned today, as a matter of fact, somewhere mm. along the line. Here we go. 
Bioenergetic medicine. Bioenergetic medicine just looks at the body for what it is, an energy field, and tries to find the imbalances that are going on that are preventing that energy field from functioning perfectly. That's fascinating. In my practice, I was obsessed with getting to the underlying causes. Why were these people sick? I wrote the emotion code. Because I had learned that we all have emotional baggage. And emotional baggage is the emotional energy that gets stuck in our bodies, but it's possible to get rid of them. It's far from the old ways of looking at things, but it is the new science. It is the new technology that is going to change the world. It's inevitable. Well, welcome to Beyond Belief. Dr. Bradley Nelson back with us world-renowned specialist in the emerging field of bioenergetic medicine and energy psychology, as well as the author of the best-selling book, The Emotion Code. Bradley, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, George. Great to be here. Exactly what is bioenergetic medicine? Well, bioenergetic medicine is simply a way of looking at the body for what it really is. And what the body really is is a very complex energy field. For example, if you look at your hand, it looks familiar to you, but if you were to magnify it a million times or more, ultimately, you'd be looking at a single individual atom when you get past the cells and the molecules sure. and so on. If you were to look inside that atom, you see there's really nothing in there. It's just empty space with some little infinitesimally tiny energies that are zipping around at the speed holding of light. Holding us together, right? Holding us together, yeah, allowing us to have this experience we're having in this world. And so that's what we are, is we're beings of pure energy. So bioenergetic medicine just looks at the body for what it is, an energy field, and tries to find the imbalances that are going on that are preventing that energy field from functioning perfectly. So it's, it's, uh, it's looking at things on a deeper level than, uh, than we usually do. What was it that got you into this field? That's a good question. You know, it really started back when I was seven years old. Seven? Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was really sick with the measles. And uh, I had overheard my parents talking, and I knew the plan was that I was going to be admitted to the hospital the next day. And I was going into something called an oxygen tent, which I don't think they have anymore, but they did back then. And I remember thinking that the tent part of that sounded kind of interesting, but I was too sick to really think about camping. Sure. My parents came into the room. They had made a bed for me on the couch so I could be near their room. Everyone else had gone to bed, and they came into the room, and my mother said to my father, she said, honey, will you kneel down with me and say a prayer so that – our boy will be able to get well. They were scared, weren't they? They were scared, yeah, and I was just really sick. So they knelt down by the side of the couch. My dad starts offering this prayer. And in the middle of this prayer, this change happened. It started at the top of my head and went whoosh through my body to the soles of my feet, and I was instantly made well. Now, to go from being Whoa. really sick one moment to being totally well in the next instant is something that's so bizarre and so impossible that you can't ever forget it. And I remember every moment of that night, uh, like it happened yesterday. What did it? The prayer or you? The prayer. Did, well, I, I think there. Well, the conclusion that I came to was that there's a higher power that we can draw upon. And we can ask for help. And so that's really been the theme of all the work that I've done over all these years with the emotion code, with the body code, discover healing and so on, that there is that higher power. And, you know, we all believe different things. But what I've come to know is that if you ask, you receive. And uh, when I was in practice, I got into this habit 
whenever anybody would come in to see me, I would just take a moment, and I had this very personal, very private habit where I would just ask for help from up above. And uh, I'd ask God to help me. And we call God different names, you know, source energy or creator or whatever. But uh, there were times, George, during those years when the information that I needed would just flood into me like an avalanche of understanding. And sometimes it was a totally different way of looking at things than what I'd ever imagined before. See, I was obsessed with getting my patients well. And as time went on, the people that were coming to see me were presenting with more and more difficult problems so that during the last 10 years that I was in practice, most of the people that I saw had been told there was really no hope at all for them. It was over for them. It was over for them. Yeah, they were just going to have to live with their problems for the rest of their lives. Some of them were so sick, they were literally praying That's to die. That's unacceptable to me. Well, yes. I mean, um, it, was, it was unacceptable to me. And what I found, though, was that within each one of us, there was this intelligence, the subconscious mind, the inner us that knows what we really need. And uh, when you ask the questions to that inner person, that subconscious mind, you get the answers. Our work with the emotion code and the body code is all based on that, getting those answers. So I wrote the emotion code because I had learned that we all have emotional baggage. And emotional baggage I came to understand is the emotional energy that gets stuck in our bodies after these emotional events that we experience that we'd rather not go through. But there were people who would come to see me and sometimes I would know that they had other emotional baggage, other trapped emotions that I couldn't find. But you could tell. Well, I could tell that there was more. Because something was there. Right? Sometimes they'd been through something traumatic and I couldn't find any trapped emotions about that. And I would wonder what was going on. And then one day um, we had this, this experience that um, was really incredible. We, my wife and I were at this conference. She woke me up early on the morning of this conference. She never wakes me up early. You know, I, I'm the early riser. She woke me up early on, on this conference and she said that she'd had a dream. And in her dream, she said there were, she saw an order wheel like you see in a diner. Uh huh. You know, where the, the yeah. uh, waitress takes your order, clips it to the wheel, and she spins, spins it, around. it around, the cook reads your order and makes you know, spins slings your hash yeah. or whatever. She saw this order wheel in her dream and there were three orders on this order wheel. And she knew that each one of these had something to do with her health and well-being. So this was interesting, and she asked me if I would help her to figure out what this meant. So we started doing some testing, muscle testing on her, tapping into her subconscious, mm -hmm. and we figured out the first two symbols were a couple of inherited trapped emotions that she'd gotten from her ancestors. We cleared those. And when I turned my attention to the third order on this order wheel in her dream, suddenly I had what I can only describe to you as a waking vision where suddenly the room that I was in, this hotel room, is not there anymore. And instead, I'm looking at this incredibly beautiful hardwood floor. Huh. Now, this looked like it had a thousand coats of polish on it. I mean, it was absolutely Varnished, stunningly waxed, beautiful. Everything. Yes. I mean, just so beautiful. It brought me to tears before just thinking about how beautiful it was. And I've never seen a picture of anything close but as I'm seeing, and by the way, this lasted for several minutes. That's a long time. Minutes. Yeah, a long time. I'm seeing this. It's in high def 3D. And at the same time that I'm seeing this floor, I have this understanding that comes into my mind that my wife's heart is underneath this floor. Beating. Now, I, 
boom, 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 boom. Well, boom. not so much, but just it was just there. And like I, the telltale heart. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, yeah. And I, I had no idea what this meant. Uh, it was bizarre, really. Uh, and I told my wife what I was seeing and understanding. She had no idea what it meant either. So we said a prayer and asked for some help. And then I started muscle testing her, getting information on her subconscious about this. And what we found was that when she was two years old, she felt like her heart was going to break. At two. She was at age two. She was in, she grew up in a very volatile, very dysfunctional family. And so what happened was when she felt like her heart was going to break, her subconscious mind started to build a wall around her heart. And that wall was made of energy, of course. Specifically, mm-hmm. we found it was made from the energy of her emotional baggage, from trapped mm-hmm. emotions. And so we asked if we could start to remove these. And over two weeks' time, we were able to remove all of these. I don't remember how. I think there were 10 or 12 of these emotions. And they were all from different times in her life. And we finally cleared that last emotion that was making up this wall around her heart. All of a sudden, these feelings that she had had for so long suddenly shifted. When she had that wall, she always felt like she was the odd person out in any relationship she was ever in. Uh, with friends that she'd known for years, she never really felt like she belonged, like she was always the odd person and out. she built that wall, didn't she? She built it subconsciously. It was right. put up by the subconscious mind. She also dealt uh, – she, she had to deal with um, depression and anxiety and – it was hard for her to feel positive emotions, easy to feel negative ones. So when that wall was finally taken down, suddenly there was an enormous shift for her. And in the beginning, I thought, well, she's had some interesting things. Maybe she's the only person on earth that has this kind of phenomenon going on, which we came to call the heart wall. And unfortunately, about 93% of people in the world have this heart wall going on. And um, I've told this story before, but the next person, I believe it was the next person that I saw this on, was a nurse that came to see me. She was 38 years old, and she came to see me for neck pain. And uh, she'd been to a couple of other doctors that hadn't been able to help her. And so she came in to see me, and as I was talking with her, um, she told me that she was single. She was 38 years old. She hadn't dated in eight years. She was never going to date again. Jeez. She was celibate. She was going to die single, and she was very determined about that. And I thought, gee, that's kind of interesting. I said, why do you feel that way? Uh, what, you know, what brought you to that conclusion? And she said that eight years before, she was really deeply in love with this guy who dumped her and broke her heart. And so that was it. Hadn't dated since then. Yeah. So I tested her and found she had this phenomenon, this heart wall phenomenon going on. There were three emotions, three layers of energy, three trapped emotional energies making up this wall. And they all had to do with the breakup from eight years before. So we cleared those, probably took about 10 minutes. And when I cleared the last emotion, the neck pain instantly was gone. That's fascinating. Right? And so, yeah, and she was excited and I was excited and she left and didn't come back for three months. Well, emotion has a lot to do with a lot of things. As you all know, Brad, Jay-Z Knight, the channeler, talks about relieving past emotions. Let's take a look. How can we say that we have lived fully every day? By simply experiencing the same emotions that we're addicted to every day. What we're actually saying is, I have to reconfirm who I am and my personality is, I have to do this, I have to go here, I have to be that. 
a master is quite a different cat. It is one that sees the day. It's an opportunity in time to create avenues of reality and emotions that are unborn, of realities that are unborn, that the day becomes a fertilization of infinite tomorrows. She was on the program, uh, The Gaia Show Down the Rabbit Hole. Mm -hmm. And pretty poignant, isn't it? Absolutely is. The interesting thing about this story, there's a little bit more to it. After clearing that heart wall from her, I didn't see her again. She didn't come back. Three months later, she walks into the office, and I remembered, and I said, hey, how are you? What's going on? She said, you know, since I was here, she said, my neck pain has been totally gone. It's been fine. But she said, you cleared that heart wall for me, and that really works. She said, about two weeks after I was here, I found out my childhood sweetheart has been living right around the corner from me for uh-huh. almost eight years, and we're in love, Stupid. and I think he's going to ask me to marry him, right? Now, if you think about that, and then you multiply that story by thousands and thousands around the world, that's what's driving the, the global phenomenon, sure. really, of the emotion code. People are finding out that there's, there's this invisible side of us that we're hauling around this emotional baggage that it can be blocking us from really being able to connect with other people and give and receive love and create things. And yeah. How are these emotions trapped within us? What causes that? Well, sometimes the emotions we experience are very powerful. Sometimes they're overwhelming to us. Sometimes emotions come along and we decide to become really involved with that emotion and and we enhance the emotion. We dwell on it and we mull over it and we stew over it. And then that makes it more likely to become trapped. Sometimes, though, another way that we develop trapped emotions is when an emotion is coming up for us, we don't want to go there and we just stuff it. And so rather than allowing the emotion to be felt and processing it, we sometimes bury those emotions without allowing that process to occur. And so those emotions become trapped as well. We all have trapped emotions, but um, it's possible to get rid of them. And like I said, 93% of people have this heart wall, which um, it's such an interesting thing because the heart really is the seat. And explain what you mean by heart wall. Well, let me go back to the 1960s. Back then, doctors first started doing heart transplants. You remember those days, right? Absolutely. And it was amazing what they could do. Well, it didn't take long before people started coming back to their doctors relating strange things that they had new taste now in food or music or sports, or sometimes they would have memories of being in places from the other they, person. The from the other person, yes. Sometimes their handwriting would totally change. And in every case, when these people were taken to and connected to the family of the heart donor, they'd find out, oh, yes, that's our son's handwriting that you have. How strange is that? Or, oh. or yes, our daughter visited Rome every year, and so now you have memories of being in Rome, and you've never in your life visited? Those must be her memories. All of those things. And there are, of course, books written about And this about was this. happening constantly, right? Well, not every, not every time. Not every. Not every heart transplant. But, you know, and sometimes they were more minor. Sure. Uh, even one is dramatic. Well, even one's dramatic. I mean, the, uh, the memories of, of being, uh, in places where the heart donor had been is really, really kind of crazy. Um, and fascinating. I remember, um, when I was writing the Emotion Code book, there was a story that came out 
about a, uh, a man um, who had married a woman. And uh, she, what had happened was her husband had shot himself in the head with a gun, oh my a pistol. And um, she was able to somehow connect with this older man. There was about a 40-year age gap. They carried on this correspondence. How she connected with him was he was the recipient of her husband's heart. Ah. Oh. And so did you know that? Well, he started writing to her. Okay. And so this correspondence went on for about four years, and they finally met in person. And he said, he said, the moment I I, I saw her in person, it was like I'd known her all my life. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And they ended up getting married. They were married for I think eight years, and then he shot himself in the head. <laughs> it made national news, and it never would have, except for the fact that uh, there was this connection. Well, there are many, many stories like this where uh, people have received energies or memories uh, and affinities and the loves of the donor. Well, in the ancient world, the ancient peoples believed the heart was the seat of the soul sure. and the source of love and creativity and romance and so on. And in the West, we haven't paid much attention to those old ideas, thinking that they were just... Uh, just poetic license. I mean, think about it. Even today, George, if it's Valentine's Day and you're lucky, somebody sends you a heart-shaped box of something yummy, right? Right. <laughs> or so, balloons shaped in a heart or yeah, something. Those symbols of the heart are in every society around the world and go back for... How many songs have the heart included in there, too? Well, look at the Bible. The Bible mentions the word heart just shy of a thousand times. Yeah. And there are scriptures, ancient scriptures that say things like, well, as a person thinks in their heart, so will they be or so will they become. And it says that God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart and so on. Now, research is starting to show that the heart really truly is what the ancients believed it to be. There's new science that shows the heart is, has got a lot of gray matter and white matter in it, like the brain. And so it records the memories of the things we really love. And when scientists start dramatic. Yeah. When scientists started looking at the brain and looking at the communications between the brain and the heart, what they found was that most of the communications go are going from the heart to the brain. I've got a clip of you muscle testing a woman talking about trapped emotions. So is this trapped emotion in column A? This resist, ready? Is it in column A? Yes, it is. Okay, so is it in one of the odd rows in column A? Yes, it is. Is it in row one column A? Yes, it is. Okay. So, we have a bed, a betrayal, forlorn, and loss of love and received. So, let's check this out. So, is this emotion abandonment? Is it abandonment? Is that what it is? Okay. Is it betrayal? Wait, is it betrayal? Is it abandonment? Is it betrayal? Oh, it looks like it's abandonment to me. Okay. You ready? Does that ring a bell at all? Bad That does ring a bell. Explain what you were doing there, Brad. Well, the subconscious mind has these answers. And so one of the simplest ways to tap into the subconscious is using some kind of muscle testing. Now, you can muscle test yourself, and we teach lots of these different methods on our site at discoverhealing.com. Or uh, you can also test other people, and that's what I was doing there. So um, you can try this at home. You can hold out an arm, have someone hold out their arm, and you can ask them to make a a congruent or a true statement. Like, for example, you could hold out your arm and you could say, my name is George. Okay. And then on downward pressure, you should be able to resist that. If you say, if you were to say, my name is Bill, 
that would not be true, and your subconscious mind knows that, so your arm would, would tend to go down and weaken. And who's holding the arm down? The other person? No, you'd hold your I'm arm out. Let's, yeah. let's do it. You want to try it? Okay, sure. Okay, well, hold your arm straight out then. And uh, say, my name is George. My name is George. Okay, I'm going to press down. You ready to resist? Hold it. Okay, good. And now say, my name is Bob. You want me to make that up? Yeah, you, yeah, make it up. My name is Irving. Okay, good. Your name is Irving, and you feel the difference there, how it just goes really All right, what causes that? Well, the subconscious mind can't be lied to, and the subconscious is connected to the conscious. And so when you say something that is incongruent or is untrue or negative, uh, it weakens the body just temporarily for about three seconds or so. The body will go will become a little bit weaker. So you can pick that you can pick up that change on other people, or you can pick it up on yourself too with various different kinds of muscle testing, self testing that you can do. You could do this with people all the time. It's almost like truth serum. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Okay, in my practice, I was obsessed with getting to the underlying causes. Why were these people sick? What was really going on? Why were they having symptoms? Many of them had been taking all kinds of medications to and try to nothing suppress their symptoms, right? So what I found was that the simplest way to access that subconscious mind is just through muscle testing. It's just a simple way to, uh, to get answers. But boy, I'll tell you, it can be very, very effective and very powerful. Did you develop that? No, that was uh, – we started back in the 1960s by a guy named Dr. George Goodhart who was a, a chiropractor. But it's widely used all over the world now. Now, who discovered the heart wall? We didn't really discover it. It was shown to us. It really was shown to us from up above uh, because it needed to come into the world. That Nobody was – well, the ancients practiced this, right? I'm sure that there's nothing new under the sun. I mean if, they, if you could go back two or 3,000 years – there are probably a lot of things that are going on now that, that they knew and they probably knew about this kind of thing. But in the modern era, nobody knew about it until it was really shown to my wife and I, and then we put it into the Emotion Code book. Is the heart like a second brain? It absolutely is a second brain. And mm -hmm. um, I believe that the brains that are in our heads are following the messages that are being sent by the brain that's in our hearts. The problem, though is that when you've got a heart wall, and remember that 9 out of 10 people have this, they put up this wall, it makes it much more difficult for you to really create, uh, the to express the best creative ideas that are within you, which really lie, I believe, within the heart. Let me share a story with you that's so interesting, because this can affect even children. Um, this is a story that came in not too long ago from Italy. Uh, this woman said, the most exciting case I have witnessed while using the emotion code is the story of a two-year-old boy named Seb. Since his birth, he had experienced two deaths of close family members important to him. The death of his father and that of his mother's sister, both who died following an accident. The child was continually looking for his mother. He would not leave her side even to sleep at night. He was terrified of losing her too. Within a few hours of releasing trapped emotions and removing his heart wall, the child began to laugh, mm -hmm. rejoice, and show signs of happiness as he had never done before. His mother was amazed at the dramatic change. Now he can play away from his mother without the constant fear of losing her too. The mother says she witnessed a miracle. And that was from Valeria Zucaro in Piacenza in Italy. And there are, you know, we have so, so many of these stories. They come in all the oh time. Oh, my God. They just from all over the constant, world. Constant, constant. Uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. You've heard of Dr. Joe. Yeah. Talks about trapped emotions and what they do to the brain. 
ultimately the brain becomes hardwired. And then to think outside the box the way those neurons are connected really takes quite an enormous amount of effort because it challenges your own personal beliefs and perceptions. It challenges your relationships with other people. It challenges even your emotional agreements. And so people have agreements with people and things and places and times and events and all those agreements have some chemical makeup that supports who they are as an individual, as an identity, as a personality. Well, that's pretty fascinating too. Yes, and so true. What we find is that um, what these trapped emotions do, you see, they affect us in a couple of different ways. They affect us physically because a trapped emotion is a ball of energy. And remember, the body is an energy field. So if you've got a ball of resentment or a ball of anger or grief or something that's in the body somewhere, what's going on is that that ball of emotional energy is, we believe it's continually distorting the normal energy field of the body. So it's interfering with the blood flow to some degree, the lymph flow. It's interfering with all the chemical reactions taking place within that little sphere of tissue. So that's why when we remove a trapped emotion, suddenly that distorting force that was there is suddenly gone. And that's why so many people have found that when that emotional baggage is removed, physical pain disappears or is greatly improved. And we've seen this countless times and we're seeing it all over the world. Well, remember that old saying, so-and-so died of a broken heart. And that's also true. Yes. And, of course, science now recognizes that. The Japanese uh, really first discovered that. And they, it's interesting about that. They, they found that sometimes women, especially over the age of 55, if they went through a, a, a really intense, traumatic, emotional Stressful. event, yes, that there's, their heart would sometimes fail. And they found that when they... When they x-rayed a woman, especially like this, at that moment, that the heart, instead of looking like a heart, would look like a bell-shaped jar that the Japanese fishermen called a takatsubo. Why? It's a jar they put on the bottom of the ocean to catch octopus. And the heart, and I've seen these x-rays, and it absolutely looks exactly like that bell-shaped jar. What creates that shape? Well, what's happening is the heart is failing, and the heart is, the heart is dying. The heart is... Oh, my. Yeah, and so... So yes, even Western medicine, uh, they refer to it as the car- as cardiac syndrome, that uh, you can die from a broken heart. Well, we've heard stories too, though, when somebody, Brad, uh, dies of a broken heart, their wife just died, and they die a day later. Right, exactly. Like um, there was a there was a football player for for uh, Boston, uh, Doug Flutie, the quarterback. Yeah, the quarterback. Yeah, great quarterback back, and I think in the seventies. And his father died of a heart attack. So he's in the hospital room with his mother. His father's been dead for about an hour. They're in the room. His mother leans over to give her husband a kiss yeah, on the, the forehead. Yeah, still there. And she dies. Boom. She just... She dies. She dies. And um, and I think that, yeah, she just collapses and is gone. So he lost both of his parents in the space of an hour. But I think she definitely died of a, of a broken heart. I mean, she could have had some blockage or something like that, but who knows, right? Well, who knows? But if you feel like you're having a heart attack, by all means, call 911, go to the hospital. But if, if they tell Take you... Take a baby aspirin. Yeah. But uh, if you go to the hospital and they tell you that uh, there's really nothing wrong with your heart, then you may be on the road to dying from a broken heart. And 
we don't know for sure, but we believe that when that wall is taken down, that heart wall is taken down, that um, it lessens your chances greatly for actually having that happen to you. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, the, the, the heart is an incredible... Are there any other organs within the body that have that kind of emotional feeling? Well, the heart is very unique, and it really is, I believe, the the source of creativity, uh, the core of our being, the seat of the soul, all of those things. I mean, the liver doesn't do it. The kidneys don't do it. No, the heart is really unique. Um it's it's incredibly unique, and it's the only other organ that has gray matter and white matter in it like the brain does. So Explain that. Well, the brain is made of gray and white matter. And it was not until the 1970s that doctors started to find out that the heart had this gray matter and white matter in it, that there was more than it should have. And so um, – and then in the, last, uh, in the last 10 or 20 years, they've just made more discoveries about that. So the heart is – is really a second brain. And the most, the best creative ideas that you'll ever have will really come from that brain. And so what happens to us is when we, when we put up a wall, you know, when we're crying ourselves to sleep at night when we're kids, or we're listening to our parents argue, or someone dies, or we go through a divorce, or um, any of a whole variety of different things happen to us, we end up putting up this wall around the heart. And when that wall is there, it makes it more difficult for you to really connect with other people. And love is see is not only a, a verb, but it's also an energy. And so when you're sending love from one person to another, when you're trying to receive love and you've got that wall there, it's a blockage that's in the way. So it's not unusual at all for people when that wall is taken down um, to fall in love. To, and even at advanced right. ages, uh, to, to feel joy for the first time in their lives. In fact, sometimes uh, to feel connected with, with the higher power. Um, here's an interesting one. Sometimes when you have a heart wall, you're not as able to feel what's going on in your dysfunctional relationship. I've seen this before. This is a testimony. Are you blocked? It, yeah, you're just blocked from being able to really feel. So you see, we feel with this brain. We don't feel with this brain. It's one of the reasons, George, why I think the world is in so much trouble because think about it. Here we are in the 21st century, and by and large, we still think that it's okay to use war to settle differences between nations. Sure. And that's coming from this brain, which feels nothing. This brain is where we feel. So here's a story. Listen to this. After my heart wall was removed, I saw much more clearly what was really happening to me and around me in my bad marriage. I left my comfort zone, separated from my husband. Since then, I've been free. I have no more self-doubts. I'm creative again, and I go through life in a friendly and courageous manner. I can feel love again and give and receive love unconditionally. It's just wonderful. My children have noticed how I have changed and are enthusiastic about how our relationship with one another has become much more loving and close and even raised to a higher level. What a wonderful gift. That's from Katrin from uh, Reichenswand in Germany. So... There are lots of these. You know, one of the exciting things, i got to read you one more. This is from a guy named uh, Giacomo Revelli in London. He said, Where did you get these, by the way? These come in every day. We get for your loads of these. At, yeah, I had my assistant just pull up some of these for the interview. He said, after my heart wall was released, my life completely changed. I became far more open to the divine 
and I started lucid dreaming. After a few months, I entered into my first long-term relationship with an amazing partner in which I'm very happy. See, that's all about the heart, right? So Absolutely. when you get a heart-shaped box of chocolates, there's deep symbolism there that has to do with who we really are. At first, I thought I wanted to pursue a completely different profession, but after one month, my resolve for my current passion strengthened. I'm achieving better results than ever in it. So grateful that I discovered the heart wall and had it released. One of the beautiful things about about the emotion code and the heart wall is that you can do this yourself. Uh, I mean, we have it's practitioners, easy, isn't it? It's pretty easy, yeah. Actually, once, you know, you're, you, once you're in that mode, yeah, you learn the process of how it works to find and release those trapped emotions, and then um, and then it's 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 simple to do, and people are doing it, and kids are doing it, and having uh, having great results actually. So that's kind of fun. It's exciting. Does science look at the heart and say, aha, this is where emotion is? No, not really. I mean, um, I think they will eventually. But you see, what, what we have found is that if you go back far enough in acupuncture, in ancient Chinese medicine, they believed that the organs and some of the glands produce the emotions. And, and we find that that's true, too. Of course, there's a connection with the... Uh, with peptides in the brain and so on, but there's also this energetic side of it where every emotion is a frequency that is being produced by a certain organ or gland, and it ties in with the five-element theory in Chinese medicine and so on. So, for example, the heart, of course, produces certain emotions, but the liver produces other emotions. The kidneys produce other emotions. Oh, really? Okay. So, yeah, for example, um, the kidneys in the bladder one of the prime emotions that's, that are, that's produced by the kidneys and the bladder is actually um, the emotion of fear, okay? That connects to the kidneys. And um, another emotion is what we call it peeved, which is just a polite way of saying pissed off. Think about the connection there, the kidneys and the bladder, right? In the liver, the prime emotion is anger. And so if you think about people, for example, who drink and who become angry, there's a lot of people in jails right now that um, sure. we're drinking. When you drink, uh, you're overstimulating the liver. And if you drink a lot, you can really overstimulate it. And then it will tend to produce maybe some of those emotions like anger and resentment and so on. And so then people mm-hmm. sometimes send it to the brain or what? Yep. Goes to the, goes to the brain and, and then people sometimes act out on those emotions. So it's, it's a fascinating thing. And that's, uh, it's all in the emotion code. We detail all these connections and, Dr. Daniel Monte explains what you can do to start releasing your trapped emotions on the program down the quantum rabbit hole. So if somebody is character, characteristically responding in the same way over and over again and want that person wants to change the way that they're responding, it requires looking at the problem on several different levels. Sometimes it requires understanding that emotional pattern and connecting the parts of the nervous system that are about emotional survival and cognitive appraisal and working through the emotional stuckness. That's why I suppose there's so many different types of therapies. Uh, There's therapies that are geared more at looking at emotions, more at looking at cognitions, more looking at behavioral ways you can help yourself to get out of a pattern. But I think, again, looking at the human organism as every living system as a integrated whole, that if there are ways of integrating 
cognition, emotion, behavior, physiology in your approach to change, then that's what's ultimately going to be most helpful. And there are a variety of techniques that can help a person to do that. What's amazing is you're getting this from another doctor. So it seems like it's starting to fester and grow. Well, I think it is. It's, it's inevitable, really. We uh, are living now in what I like to call the age of the heart because um, it's time for us as a civilization, as humanity, to, to wake up to the fact of who we really are and what these bodies really are and how they work and, uh, and to wake up to the true nature of our energetic makeup. Listen to one more of these. This is interesting. You love these stories. I love these stories. This is a woman named Chandra from Idaho. She wrote and she said, as a victim of domestic violence all my life, I had a heart wall. I did not know you could feel your heart. After my heart wall was cleared for the first time, I could actually feel my heart beating. It was so emotional. I felt happy, joy, peace, and so much love coming in. I couldn't stop the happy tears from flowing. It was like a dam bursting. I never knew such joy could be in one's life. Now think about this, George. Nine out of ten people listening to this show right now have a wall that's been put up. By themselves. By their own subconscious mind from the the stuff that they've gone through. And so they may be in an unhappy situation uh, with their relationship. They may be single. They might be alone. They might be wondering, how can I create the life that I'm capable of creating? And I'm telling you, the perfect blueprint, I think, for the life that you can create lies within your heart. But if you have a heart wall, then it becomes much more difficult Sure. To manifest that, and uh, when that wall is taken down, suddenly things can start to flow for you in a very spontaneous way. Is a heart wall like a shield that they put up? It is. It's like your subconscious mind moves your heart into a bunker when the bombs are falling. You know, you're in a you're in an abusive relationship, or you're you're going through a divorce, or you got a bad job situation. Whatever it is, you build up that wall. And it's a way to protect your heart because the heart really is the core of our being, right? So we want to protect it subconsciously, so we put up this wall. The problem is once that wall is put up, when the bombs stopped falling, you still got this wall and your heart is still now in a bunker. So you want to try to connect with other people and you want to fall in love or stay in love or have a better relationship or create your life, but your heart's inside of a wall. One of my favorite stories is from one of our practitioners who – had a sister who'd been divorced for nine years and hadn't dated in nine years. And her sister called her up one day and she said, listen, she said, I've been alone now for nine years. I'm tired of being alone. I'm getting older. I want to find somebody that I can share my life with. And so she said, would you come over and work on me? And so her, her sister, one of our practitioners, okay. came over, worked on her, cleared her heart wall. Now, neither one of them told anyone that they had done this. They did it on a weekend. The following Monday, the phone started to ring. It was guys that had known her years before. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. Why is that? How could that happen? Well, you see, we're living in this sea of energy. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake calls it the morphic field. It goes by lots of names. It's the matrix. Universal, the matrix, the universal intelligence, whatever you want to call it. Which we're all connected. We're all totally connected, and it makes perfect sense if you understand quantum physics. So when all of a sudden her heart wall was gone and that heart of hers was trying to send out this message that, hey, I'm available, 
These guys were receptors. The phone starts to ring. Yeah, three. I think it was three different guys call her that week. It is magical. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You put it out. What you put out, it comes back. Absolutely. It is. It's amazing. Is it science or something else? I think it's an. It, it's a higher level of science. It has more to do really with quantum physics. Uh, with quantum mechanics. If you understand quantum physics and quantum mechanics, then, uh, and that's a strange world, okay? But if you understand it, then it all makes perfect sense. It's far from Newtonian physics. It's far from the old ways of looking at things, but it is the new science. It is the new technology that is going to change the world. It's inevitable. No question about it. What are your new projects, Brad? Well, um, we're, we're working on a book um, about the, the body code, and uh, we hope to have that out in 2022. What did COVID do to emotions of the heart wall? Well, I think that uh, I think it's been a setback for a lot of people around the world because uh, the way that I look at it, George, um, the emotional baggage that a person have has can be likened to the glass to to the water in a glass. Okay, and if you've got a lot of emotional baggage. Uh, and you're, you're already close to the top. Uh, when COVID comes along and lockdowns and everything else, uh, then you don't have any room for that emotional baggage, any new baggage. You can't and so, go anywhere. So it starts to overflow. And so uh, what we are finding is that um, when people start to work on their emotional baggage and they start to get rid of those trapped emotions, they're starting to <clears throat> empty that glass and so then they're able to deal with things. They're able to deal with life. You know, we can be at peace in spite of what's going on in the world around us. But the more emotional baggage we get rid of, the easier it is to feel that peace. I'm going to tell you an interesting story. Uh, there's a neighbor in our subdivision in St. Louis who people call Krabby Appleton. Uh-huh. He's just angry about everything. The guy ended up having a heart attack. Yeah. I think his anger created that heart attack. What do you think? I think it's very possible. You know, I had a uh, I had a patient years ago that came in to see me who thought she was having a heart attack. She was in the middle of this. She had crushing chest pain, difficulty breathing. Her left arm was totally numb. Left side of her face was numb. Oh, my God. You probably thought she was having one. I thought she was having a heart attack. But I told my staff, stand by. We might need an ambulance. But let me test her really quickly. And so I did. And I found she had a trapped emotion. The emotion was grief. And um, within about a minute, I had figured this out, that this had occurred three years before. And when I arrived at that, she burst into tears. And she said, I can't believe that's affecting me. I thought I dealt with all that. And I said, well, what in the world happened? She said that three years before, her husband had, was having an affair. And she found out about it and confronted him about it. And the marriage blew up. And uh, they ended up getting divorced. And she had spent about a year in therapy dealing with it mentally and had even gotten recently remarried. And so as far as she was concerned, that was her ex and that was all history. But as far as her body concerned, that energy was right there still. And when I released that by just passing the magnet or my hand, I don't remember, down the back a few times, down the governing meridian, uh, all of a sudden, whom it was gone. The feeling came back into her arm and into her face just within seconds. The pain, the difficulty breathing, it was all gone. And she left the office 10 minutes later feeling totally fine. Now think about this. Dramatic. Think about this. That woman is still alive. Her name is Debbie, and she lives in Oregon. She has a horse ranch. And um, I think if we had not found that and removed that, 
that was probably 30 some years ago. She'd be ago. dead by now. She'd probably be dead by now. She probably would have died of a of heart failure, would have been a broken heart. And the fascinating thing is that uh, it would have been her husband's affair really that killed her, but nobody would have really known nobody that. Would have known. Can we as individuals bring this heart wall down on our own? You absolutely can. It's all, all the instructions are all in the emotion code book. You can uh, you can go to our website at discoverhealing.com and get the first two chapters <laughs> and, and check it out for free. Brad, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you, George. Great to be here with you. Fascinating research and work. The heart really is a brain. It has emotion, and it shows. I'm George Norrie. Thanks for being on Beyond Belief. <laughs> okay, now we're going to have a little time with Regina Meredith. Right, Rama? Mm-hmm. I'll repeat the name of the article, uh, the 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 the, uh, the YouTube. We're going to listen to mythological story of a lost city in Grand Canyon, filled with artifacts from ancient Egypt and Asia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming, everybody. I discovered that eight immortal kings of Samaria lived a total of 241,200 years. Interesting fact. <laughs> What's that doing that for? I don't know. It's... I discovered that eight immortal kings of Samaria lived a total of 241,200 years. Okay. Aside from the incredible story of Jerry's early start in life and healing abilities, he has spent years researching some of the Earth's anomalies, along with his wife, Kathy, researcher extraordinaire. In today's show, we will look at the American Southwest and treasure that was spirited away more than a hundred years ago by the Smithsonian and others, never to be seen again. Native American, um, various of the Native American cultures really had a very active relationship with their star brothers and believed they were their ancestors. How we examine who the ETs are might need to be really um, closely thought about, carefully thought about, because you're right, what, what if... The Native Americans are, in, in some respect, some aspect of the ETs. And, and I know for some people it's going to be a bit of a stretch. But when you take a look at what some of the legends are about, you know, the, the brothers from the stars, the, uh, the people who assisted and did things, we, we've come across quite a few very 
strange stories. Oh yeah, and even to Quetzalcoatl and the yeah, mm-hmm. and the notion of being oriented towards Sirius and Orion from mm-hmm. from indigenous peoples. And you you have varying degrees of of similar stories, not just in the Southwest but all around the world. Yes. And we've tried to understand beyond the metaphor what this really is saying. I mean, it's easy to come up with some conjectures. You know, take a look at the Whitley Strieber ET presence. And then they say, eh, it kind of looks like an ant person. Um, but when you take a look at the Zunis and who they say brought them down, they were like people. And if you take a look at, um, who is it? The, uh, the folks up in Montana's, they talk about these godlike beings that help them. So, you know, it isn't any one particular type of being. No, seems there to seems be. to be many. Right. And there's no, no one, when you first said well, maybe we need to look at the definition of this term ET, um, if these are beings that have been here all along, you can't exactly say they're extraterrestrial. They might be subterranean, but they are part of this terrain just as we are. Mm-hmm. And as we stumble across these remains and what we're calling anomalies, pretty soon there are so many stories now, we can't really call them anomalies anymore. I think we have to say we simply need to take a deeper look into our true history. As I recall, it would not be a history that would navigate into any arena that would subjugate what was written in the Bible. That is true. That would be true. And if it did, then it would be destroyed or ignored. Mm-hmm. And if it was destroyed, of course, it would be ignored. And this is something that uh, has happened time and time again, so far as we found. Why it would be important for history to be reflected against the Bible, and, you know, it's understandable why somebody might be in the mindset to do that. You have people today that, that want well, to... Well, still think humanity is 6,000 years old. Right. I mean, you know, there's a point at which you have to say, oh, come on now, can we just open it up a little bit? Well, there are all kinds of folks out there that are wanting their view of the world to be the view of the world that's salient Mm -hmm. and accepted. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to things like the giants, you know... The ant people. The ant people. Mm -hmm. These stories that... uh, are from the Native American cultures, which incidentally, many of these stories are lost to time. Only a few of them remain. And it was even a felony to keep the stories alive. They kept it alive through their dances. And if they did a dance, well... And some of the artwork. And some of the artwork. Cave drawings. And- mm-hmm. there's, there's a group in, uh, a Native American group in uh, Nebraska where Kathy's from, and they have a piece of parchment. It's leather, actually, parchment, 
that has all these drawings on it about the different stars and where people come from mm-hmm. and so forth. And every so often, when it gets old and tattered, they make a new one and they draw it and so forth. And uh, this is part of their historical culture. Mm-hmm. Well, you take a look back a hundred years ago, those foolishness against the Bible burning. Right. And it's, a lot of these things were destroyed. Yes. So it's, it's an unfortunate thing. But why is it that in our modern time, there are pieces that are absolute evidence that would lead us in a different direction of thinking, that these pieces would be absconded with and hidden away from view? Well, well, that and that changes certainly the, the time frame of human history, if you're going back 3 to 12 million. But if you start going into more esoteric uh, science circles, and I don't mean just esoterica, but esoteric science circles, humanity is very, very, very ancient. It's, it's very, very Beyond ancient. what we can comprehend at this time. We've gone through various iterations. There, there are many. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many, but I know there, there are quite a number mm-hmm. of them. In a dig at Tiwanaku, we were there with uh, researchers, archaeologists who were digging. They went down, oh gosh, it must have been 35, 40 feet in this one particular area. Tiwanaku was a place when we first started going there. It was completely uncontrolled. No one was paying much attention to it. It was an unusual place. Barely anything to be seen. And it was so difficult to get to at the time that it was a real effort to get to it. Going down 30 meters, they went through various layers of civilization, from sophistication down to primitive. But then at some point, the last, I don't know, say 10 feet, and 10 feet represents a lot of edge, Mm -hmm. they went from ancient and unsophisticated back to sophistication, Mm -hmm. back to something even more sophisticated Mm -hmm. than what they'd ever found before. Mm -hmm. They had to just throw it all back in and cover it up because that isn't supposed to exist. So, you know, you have a conceited effort, uh, an effort to keep these things away from the mainstream. Now, this is just unbridled arrogance Mm -hmm. on the part of those who think that the world is still such as they believe it or their ancestors believed it to be, that people are that ignorant, that they they can't put pieces together themselves anymore, they can't handle truth. That is so arrogant, it's almost beyond comprehension, that anyone would stop the flow of knowledge at this point in our human history. If we knew the reality of our past, we might have a different future. Exactly. That's how I believe the same thing. Uh, as I view it, there there really are no truly indigenous humans. We all have a bit of some other seed. Mm-hmm. And then there's all kinds of different ways this can play mm-hmm. out as far as, oh, well, maybe they were created in the workforce. I mean, we've heard of that mm-hmm. yeah. with the Anunnaki. And but that's just a tiny pixel of history. That is, is not human history. And, and I've not, argued that point. I'm not so sure the Anunnaki is a proper word for who these people are because when you take a look way back in the past, something we'll get into in a little bit, then you start realizing that, wait a minute, we're talking about people using terms that are completely incorrect because there's historical evidence that absolutely shows that it's 
not correct to use that term for those people. It's something else, and we don't know what it is. But we're in the wild west of this rediscovery. We are. There's no one laying down any breadcrumbs for us, per se. Well, there have been, actually, in some cases of the Egyptians. But mm-hmm. by and large, we're having to figure it all out, and some people get all excited about this and are attached to that story. And that's by, true. And that's this over here. So you're right. There are, I think, things have been kind of misappropriated in terms of terms, titles, um, everything. So that brings us to the Native Americans and them progressing through time, Mm -hmm. having survived God only knows what kind of circumstances that this planet has faced in the past. Mm -hmm. We have kind of an inkling of it. An underground species were the ones that would would have tended to survive the surface cataclysms too. Well, they would have had to have gone underground to survive. Right, exactly. So there is... There are lineages that have existed throughout these cataclysms. The thing that I find fascinating about this is that all of these cultures refer to very unusual and strange circumstances surrounding different places and different features on the landscape. Some places are, you know, what we call it, holy places, sacred places. And why is this a sacred place? And why isn't that over there a sacred place? We're only now starting to ask that question and and really wanting to know the answer. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it's it's wrapped up in the mythology of the people who are telling us about it. Mm -hmm. Now, folks go to Sedona, there's a vortex over there, there's a vortex over here. Native Americans think, oh, those white people are crazy. No no Native American would have ever lived in the middle of those vortexes, and I live smack dab in the middle of all of them. Yeah. And then, you know, right outside of Sedona, you have uh, you have a place where a lot of strange things have happened, mm-hmm. where people have disappeared into the middle of nothing, and houses have appeared and gone away again, like you're looking back into the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, these anomalies, this whole notion of the fabric of time and space, that's another thing in these wild west years of discovery that we're in now. Um, I was doing an interview with Andrea Perone, um on her life uh, and the home that was haunted that she lived in. And one of, to me, the most fascinating part of that story is that her mother was looking, I believe it was her mother, not her sister, but one or the other, was looking into their dining room one day, and they saw a family who had lived in that house uh, maybe 100 years before sitting at the table dining. But what was interesting was the woman at the table saw her back, looked up and looked over at her, and they were watching each other from different points in time. That gave me the shivers. Mm. Because who's the ghost then? Right. And the then, woman back then was seeing, obviously, this ghost from right. the future looking at her. Who is that woman? Well, the same with Ron Quinn sitting there looking through the night. That's what I'm saying. That's what brought it up. Yeah, there there are things that and are these so, portals are created somehow in whether it's electrical or whatnot. Well, that that kind of brings us to a point where trying to understand the fabric of our reality yes. comes into play. You know, I'm thinking that we are living in a world that is composed <clears throat> and controlled by the electrical aspects. Of the universe. Yes. And just well, that's like, what they found in that story. When those anomalies were occurring, mm-hmm. their electric bill would skyrocket because the entities 
on the other side, it appears they were able to manifest in part, at least in their reality, with the use of electricity. Mm-hmm. It was a very key function in these manifestations. So what we did is we tried to figure out what the relationship is to the electrical anomaly, the lightning strikes that we saw. Right, and quartz. And, and the quartz and all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, where is this place in the scheme of things? Mm-hmm. Someone suggested, have you looked at ley lines? So I thought, well, that seems like a pretty interesting concept. So we got a hold of one of the world's foremost experts and asked him and gave him the GPS coordinates and said, mm-hmm. what do you find about this place, at this, these, these coordinates? He called us back and said, what did you find there? I said, well, what did you find? <laughs> a tear in time and space. <laughs> he says, that is a point where uh, six different lines collide. Ah. This is right at the very center. He says, where you took your GPS coordinates at, probably another 30 or 40 feet off to one side is is where uh, all these lines Interesting. Completely yeah. just cross each other. Mm-hmm. Well, where I was standing was about 20 feet from the edge of this plateau, and the very center was about 40 feet towards the you know, the other part. I didn't go and walk all the way back over right. here and take a GPS reading. I right. just needed to know where I was. Right. And I told him then what we had found and what we were investigating. And he says, well, there, there are very few places like that in the world where these lines of energy of this magnitude actually cross. That's a real special place. So, you know, we have that as, a, as well, a point of inquiry. Yes, and that's interesting because it's the same The same as noted with the famous sacred octagonal sites around the world that have been created by those who have passed down knowledge mm-hmm. and the rituals that take place in those, including the ability to fly beyond time and space, whether you call it remote viewing or moving yourself to another time, mm-hmm. um, get to gather knowledge or whatnot or glimpse in, it appears that the intersecting points of ley lines around the planet have been where this activity historically takes place. And fortunately, this is out of nowhere. It took someone like you to, you and Ron, Ron Quinn to um, dig this information up, but some of them are laid in plain sight as little temples, little chapels for people to go well, to. And that's where our research took us. We then started wondering, what about there's got to be other places. So we talked to our friends who are Apache, and they're telling us about, oh, oh there's these places over here, but you can't go there. You're a white guy. Mm-hmm. So what does it take to become an Apache? Well, you can't do that. You can't go there. They'll kill you. But then they told us the stories about these places, and it's a place to go to the past. Mm-hmm. Where you go in here, you come out over there. It's mm-hmm. like there's no distance between these points. That's Geronimo's. Legend. Exactly. Eventually, <clears throat> we were invited to go and see this for ourselves. The offer is still open. We haven't gone. And we plan to. Because where it is, is real surprising. It's, it's not under City Hall somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's not <laughs> like it? that. But it's, uh, it's in Southern Arizona. 
and it's just about a uh, thousand feet off the main highway right, right now. Mm. But it's a place where you go in and you come out somewhere else. No one knows it's there. No one no has a reason to go. They're afraid of rattlesnakes or whatever. We're not afraid of any of that. We'll go. And if it really works, I'll come back and tell you how it turned out. And I believe these portals exist all over the place. One of the things we started looking at were some very anomalous places in the United States, one of them being Joplin, Missouri. Really? Oh, my grandpa's from Joplin. Okay. Well, you've heard of the Joplin Lights. Yeah. We went there. I could not fathom how this could be something going on, and no one could figure it out. So we went there with night vision equipment and lasers and all the stuff that we can put together, and Kathy and I went. Halfway believing it might just be kind of hokey. Someone's making a big mistake, of course. We, we have to know, though. I can tell you it's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. But what I think we have uncovered is that there's a, another portal there, and when it activates, you see these balls of light. The reason they're in a specific area is because that's probably either right above or in proximity to where one of these doorways are. So we put that theory to the test and went driving around in a very large, and getting larger and larger square as best we could, dirt uh-huh. roads, back roads, and uh-huh. so forth. What we discovered is where we thought that the doorway would be, the, the portal has a fence and it's government property. Just like the supposed stargate at the ancient city of Ur in Iraq, which the Americans built a massive embassy around so no one can access it. That's supposed to be a well-known ancient stargate slash portal. As we continued our investigation, we started coming to terms with pins on a map that showed where these things could be if based upon this idea, the notion of these intersecting lines of energy. And what we ended up with was one that's somewhere in southern New Mexico um, and western Texas in that region. There's one there. So we investigated. Sure enough, there is. No one will tell us exactly where it is, but we have enough people who have said, yeah, it's there. Mm-hmm. Nearby, there are footprints in sandstone that are human, and there are dinosaur footprints in sandstone there too. The humans mm-hmm. are running. Is there a connection? Who knows? But it's interesting to consider. Yes. The other pins on the map represent churches and state capitals. Exactly, yes. So this tells me that somebody somewhere knows something. Well, the kind of, we mentioned this earlier about the certain elite factions that have known a lot about this for a long time. And in my interviews with Court Lindahl, we talk about the uh, application of that knowledge by the, you can call them the elite, um, the educated, whatever. Um, and as you say, it shows up in those kinds of structures mm-hmm. for and particular use. For And I think they know how to use it. Yes. They, know how they, they go from point to point yes. using this as a yes. technique. So that brings us to another point, which is, okay, so if these are going different points around the earth, 
they certainly are going different worlds. Because it isn't limited. When you go through one of these things, it's not limited to right. a region. It is in an infinite place, back to a more finite place. Distance becomes irrelevant. Uh, Let's know, start from the beginning, because okay. we're talking about riches from past times that aren't known of exactly. We're, we don't. We have a very rough sketch of what this uh, American Southwest is all about. We think, you know, there were native societies living there. Everyone was peaceful. You know, buffalo was plentiful. And then you had the white man come across and do what they did, and um, very disrespectfully so. And that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. There's the West. Yeah. But there are layers and layers of antiquities and history that go probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years prior to that little tiny story. And we're going to dig into some that have to do with sophisticated, modern-type treasure mm-hmm. from very ancient times. Yeah, of course. I, I think, you know, what we're going to be talking about, so your, your viewers will understand it, of course, is this, this mythological story of a lost city in the Grand Canyon. And its booty. And its booty. And how for decades, many decades, and perhaps even up to 100 years, it was considered to be just a tall tale, kind of like an April Fool's Day joke, that was put into the newspaper. And no one passed a point, really, gave it any, any thought as being a real thing, because after all, there is one story, that's the all and end of it. If there were wars, whoever conquered got their information and made it their own. Eventually, some of this information fell into the hands of England and Spain, and then France, too. Well, they have their own lineages that had protected Masonic, Templar, and other more Mm -hmm. ancient knowledge. Sure. And, of course, you remember the Templars. They they were in France. Right. And they escaped out of there. Yes. And went to England and other places. So they had amassed an amazing amount of information. This information wasn't just your ordinary type. It dealt with a world that was totally a different world than anything that we've ever known existed. There were maps and other documents that supported that somewhere else on the face of the earth there was a civilization, another part of the world that was vast and advanced and very capable. So Take it a little bit farther now in time, and you have Spain coming over here, and what is Spain doing? They're going, looking for gold, looking for treasure. Um, They're going all over the southwest, trying to find something. They never found it. They found bits and pieces. They never found what they were looking for. Bring us a little bit farther forward. The Americas occur, um, and you have... England at war with the Americas for the Revolutionary War, and then you have the War of 1812, and all of these things taking place. There were pieces of history that occurred during that time that we're not really aware of. Some people are. Maybe some of your viewers are aware of it, but by and large, most people aren't. For example, the War of 1812. What we found is that the United States lost that war to England. Bankrupt. 
the White House is burned down. That's part of public knowledge, mm-hmm. historical knowledge. But what happened next maybe isn't. And that is because England came in and said, look, we don't want to ruin you guys. How about if we uh, give you a bunch of money, get started again, there are things we need. England was at war with everyone all over the face of the world. And they needed supplies. They needed a workforce. A workforce. The Americans had that. Mm-hmm. And the people in the South, people mm-hmm. in the North, you know, all this stuff going on. We were a very industrious mm-hmm. country in the early years. Yeah, we were. So they said, we'll give you a loan, get yourself back on your feet again, and uh, you can pay us back the loan. But they made things such that could never be paid back. Well, it takes a little bit farther forward in time. What you have now is you have the South and the North. And the South is going, uh, hey, we're supplying all these goods to the North. We're getting pennies on the dollar. They're selling it to England for you know, a lot more than we're getting. Why is it? Well, we could be making these things as well. Why are why is this happening? They didn't understand that there was an agreement made, and they had to do that. You know, for all they knew, they were just basically being taken advantage of. So they said, look, you know, we don't like this. We have this entire misunderstanding of what Darwin really meant when he said survival of the fittest. The whole Earth is actually one cohesive system. Everything is interrelated to each other. It's self-balancing, and we are screwing up the balance. This is going to change the... (laughs) And, of course, there was slavery, and there were people on both sides of the fence with that. So England says, you know something? Because they're they're starting to think, hmm, maybe we should have kept this place. You know something? You really shouldn't be taking that from them. What you should be doing is doing it yourself and selling it directly to us. They're selling us, you know, guns and cannons and gunpowder and all this stuff. And you could be doing the textiles. I mean, you're really set up for it. Mm-hmm. They're going, yeah, it's a good idea. But we don't have enough money. I mean, we want to secede. Mm-hmm. And they're going, well, then you should. Change is good. I'm sure there's a little more dialogue than that, but thank you for reducing it for us. Of course, change is good. Yeah, well, you're right. Change is good. <laughs> so let's let's succeed. <laughs> so they all get together and talk about it. Everybody says, grand idea. Because they're all quite wealthy. I mean, they have big plantations. It's not that they're broke. They could be a lot more wealthy if they were controlling their own destiny. So let's make our own country. They go and try to do this, make the announcement. And just before they make the announcement, England says, look, we want to make sure that you guys are going to win and it'll be just fine. Let's put this big chunk of money in the Bank of Virginia. And that way... You know, you've got some operating capital. So they did. And the South is going, that's good. Okay, let's go, boys. Let's go, y'all. And they announced it. They're going to secede. There's going to be a war. And all this is coming to a very fine point, and it isn't good. 
And as things get to that critical moment where there's no turning back, it's going to happen. It's a matter of God, country, and honor. England goes to the Bank of Virginia and promptly takes all their money out and says, now we changed our mind. And the South is like, oh, that's not good. We're going to use all of our own money. Let's still do it. And it ends up rather disaster, uh, disaster oriented. It was, it was a very bad thing that happened to this country. Well, at the end of the Civil War, because you see, uh, Lincoln already knew this was going on. He knew what was happening. And he's like, you know, we can't let them burn down because England's going to come in here. It's going to be bad trouble for all this. We can't let them destroy the White House again. The seat of power can't be overwhelmed. It's right here on the ocean. You know, England's got this massive ocean-going mm-hmm. warship force. Let's move the capital someplace else. Let's move it to where the seat of power was for those who originally were in the Americas. Well, the backstory that's happening here, if you can follow this, is that while all this is going on with the Civil War, there's some guys over in the Arizona Territory, and they don't want any part of all that stuff. Now, they're too far away from it for it to matter. They're busy being ranchers and whatever they were, prospectors. And they find uh, this Paiute Indian um, settlement. And this this woman gets had been attacked by a cougar. And, of course, they had some medicine. They knew what to do. They'd been surviving in the wilderness for all this time, so they saved her life. Turns out to be the wife of the chief. And the chief is like, you guys are pretty nice. I like what you've done. Don't like white men. So I'll tell you what, I'll give you a bunch of gold since I know you're looking for it. And take as much as you can carry. If you don't come back, we'll kill you. Because their culture had really very little use for it other than to bargain for something. Yeah, it was they were like, living on the land. Right. Well, in their, in their philosophy, this yeah. was in the city of the dead. They're not going to go in there. Yeah, right. This, the cave's right there. Go in and get some stuff and leave yeah. and don't come back. Yeah. Well, they did. All this is going on on the East Coast, and these guys are over here in the Arizona Territories, kind of the western side. They show up in Salt Lake City with these magnificent pieces of, of gold, these artifacts. And, of course, it gets telegraphed back to Washington because there's this thing they're wanting to find out if anybody comes up with stuff like this, we need to know about it. Because they're trying to essentially boost their treasury. That, and they're also privy to the information that mm-hmm. they were able to get. From their own bloodlines or whatnot, mm-hmm. that there was something here. Right, mm-hmm. and if you find it, mm-hmm. you're king of the world. Mm-hmm. When... Kincaid finds his way there. He finds those handholds and climbs up and goes inside. And, of course, the rest, as they say, is the rest of the story. He went in examining, finding, documenting, talking about what he found, and that's all something that's part of the historical record. You can read about it. 
So let's talk about once that information made it back east. So when Kincaid came out of there and let them know, I found it, I have pictures. Where are those pictures? Nobody knows. Yeah. Well, actually, we know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in a vault. In, um, well, they were in the uh, Smithsonian Institute. Right. They play largely into this. So The Smithsons. Smithsons. England. Let's talk about who the Smithsons were and then what happened when the Smithsonian got the scent of that trail. Well, I don't really know who the Smithsons were specifically. I, I, I speculate that they were must have been quite wealthy, mm-hmm. somehow connected to the crown. Mm-hmm. And remember, the crown is not is not the queen. The crown is the city, this corporation. City of London. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've got um, these folks from England with a lot of money and influence who are somehow now involved with this project. And you have someone in this remote place, the Arizona Territory, Yuma of all places. How far away from anywhere is that? Yeah. From New York. Right. Well, even today. <laughs> even today. Yeah. But back then, if you were right. to go there, it might take you a month traveling. But what happened next was just rem- remarkable. As soon as it's known, within two weeks, an expeditionary force has assembled at the edge of the Grand Canyon and is ready to do whatever they need to do to get inside there. And this was engineers, laborers, scientists of the time. And they were all being paid by the Smithsonian Institute. And then 27 years goes by. First, it started out with horse-drawn wagons. And then a light rail system of some sort. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist there any longer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we know that this was the case because when you use infrared satellite imagery and look, you can still see the evidence of these of these lines, these tracks, and, and where it started, where it went. This is how we were able to determine where their base camp was, where their point of uh, embarkation would be to go down mm-hmm. the canyon. Because really getting anything out of the canyon is impossible. You can't go upstream, you can't go downstream with, 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 with any ease. The only way to do it is to go over the edge. But the only way to successfully go over the edge is to have plateaued areas like stair steps where mm-hmm. you bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Mm-hmm. And that, the, the last one would be a, a hellish drop off anyway. Mm-hmm. But we found it. We found where they had mounted their equipment, where they had um, established their, you know, their their, their lines mm-hmm. of uh, taking things in and out. Mm-hmm. 
And then we started looking a little more deeply. Because surely, if you think about it, people go to a place like that, they have trash. They can't help it. They're going to have trash. Bottles are going to break. People are going to drop a coin out of their pocket. So we started looking more closely, just checking. You know, no digging. Just checking and finding things on the surface. And what we found were some rather unusual and very old pieces. Why would they be there? One of the things that, um, if I remember this correctly, it seems like it was Kincaid that lost one of his oars mm-hmm. during his journey down the canyon. It was either Kincaid or Powell, and I don't recall which. This is where Kathy comes in handy because she knows this. Mm-hmm. We found an oar kind of buried under some brush in the sand from that era. Someone had found it, apparently, and just left it there, thought they'd have a souvenir, and then must have forgotten it. Mm-hmm. We found um, broken bottles from that era. All, the, all these things. But what did they find? <clears throat> well, of course, the pictures would have told the story. Um... We, we can only guess from what Kincaid said that he had seen inside. And then let's start talking about that. Well, no one knows what level of things were taken out of there, but if you figure, I don't, it was 23 or 27 years, but it was, a, it was a long time either way. And a lot of things were taken out. Where did they go? They went back to England. That's as far as we've been able to trace it. Yeah, they didn't end up in the museum. Mm -mm. There were some things that were taken back to uh, uh, Washington, D.C., to the Smithsonian Institute Mm -hmm. there and kept away, and they're probably Mm -hmm. still there. Mm -hmm. But um, the majority of the the research shows ended up back in England, or is that a supposition? Well, that's a supposition because we're not sure. Mm We did find one ship's manifest, well, Kathy found one ship's manifest, as I recall, and it showed that it had these artifacts on the ship, and it was headed back to England. But then something happened, and the ship sank off in, you know, just, just off of San Francisco. So we're not sure exactly what the story is there, but the ship apparently did sink. So, you know, who knows what happened to these things. The interesting point to me is that they couldn't get everything out because there are some things inside there that were way too large right. to get out to the entrance. They had been created inside there, hewn from solid rock, you know, large statues, maybe like um, Angkor Wat, you know. Was there a description of those statues? Oh, there was, yeah. And those are the ones you say are more like a variety of mm. East Asiatic um, gods that had been worshipped throughout history. <clears throat> yes. And they couldn't get them out. So they're still there. So we decided we would try to get into this place. Went and talked with um, the Native Americans, the ones who control and have you know dominance in that particular area uh, are the Hopi. And we were already good friends with the Hopi Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, went and spoke with some of the elders. And it's like, why do you want to go there? That's the city of the dead. You shouldn't go there. 
leave them alone. So, you know, we said, well, okay, that's fine. But, you know, this is also a place of antiquity, and we'd like to know more about it. So, like, well, if you go there, you know, you're on your own. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you get in trouble to call us. Mm-hmm. But you want to go. Teach you. Ancestors unhappy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one night we're there with our research team. And I think it was like uh, year two or year three. And a terrific storm is blowing up. There's a storm to the north and a storm to the south perhaps it's east and west, because there the directions get slightly askew. But there's a storm on either side of us, a huge storm. Lightning is flashing in the distance over here and over here. Mm-hmm. Winds blowing from this direction and that direction. In the midst of this becoming more and more powerful, lightning dances across a hillside over here, and there are these three figures just standing there. They must have been 12, 15 feet tall. You only saw them during that point where the lightning was dancing and then they were gone. And we didn't see them again. But it was like something very, very strange was going on. The wind blew so hard that it nearly blew us into the Grand Canyon. It was a very dangerous situation. Um... Yeah, I just think about that and shudder because it... Yeah, did you get a sense or feeling um, why they showed themselves to you at that time? I think it was more of a warning. Yeah. Stop, you know, don't go any farther. Okay, now you got it from the Hopis and you got it from the big guys. One more, huh? That's going to be a one more less sneaking of a commercial. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So, did you get it from the government or anyone else? No, we didn't. We, we had been, uh, when we were looking for the giants, because this was a, a parallel thing. I see, yes. On. Okay. We were warned to stop because we had gotten to the point to where we figured, look, all we need is a molar or some some of that red Kind of like the other guy we're talking about, yeah. You know, just Stop. get a DNA sample, find out who these people were. Right. It just seems like a reasonable thing. Right. Um, and we found where the giants were, were the, the same person. Yeah. He's the one who told us, the giants are right here. Right. I'll take you there, and let's, let's find out who they are. And uh, about two days before we're ready to go and do that, Phone call comes in the middle of the night. Don't know who it is. Just someone warning us. Don't do this or else. Well, I'm not one to be frightened off at easily. It's like, or else what? Um, prison, we're watching you. Oh. That's what happened to the other guy too. Mm-hmm. And they knew him mm-hmm. and said they were watching him. Mm-hmm. And then it suddenly all came together. It's like nothing is worth taking that kind of risk for. Mm-hmm. So, so 
forget it. Okay. Now, there was something else, as I recall you said. No, this was in a conversation. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would be relatively easy to access that city if you could go down from above sure. the way they had come up and down through their crops. Right. But you couldn't see that. That wasn't evident anymore, that opening. Well, no, what, what they had done is they filled these things in. Back in the day when they were there, they were using that to go down and bring things out. Right. Because when they went down and went through, they right. found and came out that way. They couldn't get things out very well in those right. ways. But this is how they got up to do their farming. Right. So to keep people from getting in there, because you have to remember that the Navajo and Hopi were living there. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want them going in there. Mm-hmm. So they, they just filled these they places sealed it in. Off. Mm-hmm. We know where those places are. You can't get into them anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the end, everybody. God has given. No, thank you. No, thank you. Okay, Ramas got a suggestion that we do a meditation with our brother, um, <laughs> Crying, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This is. Uh, hmm. I can also read um, an interesting piece for um, our full moon in Cancer. And then on the next day, which is Tuesday, Uranus, the planet of revolution, will station direct under the influence of this full moon. How I was looking, I could read this, maybe. Um. Uranus went retrograde on August 19th, 2021, and has been retrograde for almost five months. Uranus is the planet of rebellion and revolution. What are they doing? <laughs> During this retrograde period... We are invited to really get to know who we truly are in our most authentic form. When Uranus goes direct, you're going to go see about them. When Uranus goes direct, we are invited to share our truest selves that we have unearthed over the last five months with others. The most significant aspect Uranus is making the moment he goes direct is a trine to Venus. Venus is the planet of relationships, beauty, harmony, and balance. A trine is the harmonious flow between planetary energies. Additionally, Venus is the planet of the personal heart, which carries the 33-petal rose and Uranus is the planet of the higher mind. A link is created during this time between your 
heart and the universe. So be sure to pay attention to anything that sparks your passion at this time. It could lead to a divine and sudden inspirations, an uptick in creativity and self-expression. Uranus likes to shake things up. So as it begins to its direct motion, it's best to expect the unexpected around this time. Let go of any exceptions and embrace the experience. Adaptability and flexibility is the name of the game. Offerings this month include the White Rose Reading, utilizing floral mats, the language of flowers. Okay. Ready, honey? All mm. right. What's this, uh, what's this uh, directed toward, Rama? Kion gives the secret to creating a special synchronicity with the Creator. Okay. 32 minutes. Let's do this. That'll take us right to the end, Ron. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thanks for watching this. I wanted to tell you this is a little time-sensitive. Greetings, dear ones. I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. Occasionally, there are channels where their information is secondary. And what is primary? It's the message of love. I want to give you some information, but always couched in appropriateness. and belief. I'll say it again. This message is real to you. A man in the stool. He must step aside to such a degree that a stream of consciousness comes to him using his own intellect, language, body, voice, to deliver a message that is not his. The school that is next door teaches this. The key to channeling is letting go. And so this is a message from my partner, letting go. But the message is from me. And the me I speak of is the energy from that which you would call the creative source. Some say it would be angelic information. Dear ones, you can call it what you wish. But the sacredness is a handshake with you. If you feel an affinity to the voice, to me, to the message, it's because we're connected. There are different kinds of connections that we are only just beginning to let you know about. The last time we channeled in another city, we opened a door that we have opened before regarding a subject 
and the subject may seem to you a bit too scientific. But dear ones, it isn't about science. We speak of physics. But dear ones, physics is the reality you sit in. It's not the study of physics. It's the reality of the way things work. The creative source, God, the I Am, is the great physicist. The creative source is that which made the planet the way things work. Literally laid the groundwork for all the rules that you would call physics. And we said it the last time and we want to say it again and we'll say it after this. If you, with a high consciousness, decided to build physics, to create a reality, the reality that, that would have rules about it and the way things worked, wouldn't you be tempted to stir a little love in there? <laughs> Dear ones, this is what has happened. Now, human beings have free choice. They can ignore all of this, and there is no judgment if they do. The door opens when you ask it to, metaphorically, to reveal things to you which will enhance your life. You can go all of your life without seeing the door, and we've told you this. Without opening, we've told you this. Without even being aware, there is one. And you can come through an entire lifetime and come back, and we get the same party as the healer, as the channeler. It's about the expression of life on the planet. It's not what you do. This is outside of what you've been told and what you've been taught, for you are action-driven. Humanity judges you by who you are and what you've done, and God judges you not at all. You are a piece of the creative source. You are family. And you are here doing a job. And the job is this. Can you live on this planet, be exposed to the things you are with free choice and realize that God is inside? And if you can, can you then go to the next step, which is to surrender to that energy to the extent where you say, I want to take your hand, I want to see what I'm missing. And what I've told you before, dear ones, is that when you do this, you're only going to get benevolent results. There's no fire walk for you. There's no suffering for you. There's nothing supposedly that you then must do. The things that spirit will give you will be in the way of you then desiring to do them. In fact, you may even think it's your own intuition. It'll be your higher self. And you start to see yourself change. And you realize that nobody has pushed you there. That you have had the intuition.
to where you need to go. There is a system of love in physics. It's hiding. Now a review of the last channel from the last city. I gave it a name. The field. And we told you that this is physics with an attitude. Only the attitude is benevolence. Could it be that there is a reality that is benevolent to everything that touches it? Could it be that there is a reality, which we call the field, that tries to unite and synchronize everything that it comes in contact with? And the answer is, oh yes. Science has actually seen this and given it a name, which is incorrect, which is called entrainment. We speak of the field in a grander way. It really is entanglement with benevolence and the creative source. And it's responsible for a lot. If you use your logic in everyday life, sometimes you have to stop and say, why do the things happen the way they do? When you talk about the love of God, the benevolence of God, you might say, that's beautiful, but what is it really? What's the essence of what pushes me or you, my partner, to benevolent outcomes? Cryon is here with my partner because he asked for it. Dear ones, all he had to do was open the door and say yes. He didn't have to drag me into his life. Because there's something called the field. I want you to think of the field as something that's always around you all the time. It winks at you and smiles at you because it's benevolent and wishes to push or pull you when you say yes. If I told you there was a train that you could get on, and that that train would take you someplace. The first question you would ask is, how do I get on it? The next question, as you sat there on it, you might say, and when will it take me there? And what do I have to do to start the engine of the train? And then the train moves by itself. And then you have to ask, what is it that causes the train to move? Now, this is a metaphor, but dear ones, it's everywhere. I'm going to give you answers to questions you never asked. I would like to expose something you've never even thought of. Why does Mother Nature work? Mother Nature has been explained and defined as a finite system, like a beautiful clockwork of life and Gaia, of energy, of light and dark, of all the elements that come together perfectly. An untouched environment 
will be balanced. And that balance you can see with the plants and the animals, the oxygen, the carbon dioxide, the waters, the circle and cycle of life, the insects. And you have to stand back. And the comment that you would make is, isn't Mother Nature wonderful? And then you'll walk away. How can you do that without asking, what is it? (laughs) Do you just assume that balance happens normally by itself without any kind of system? Do you think that balance is random? And this planet just happened to fall into a sweet spot of randomness and be perfect. Some way, somewhere, somehow, someone is going to ask, where does the balancing property come from? Who balances it? It's too perfect. Humanity begins to understand the reality of this balance. Did you know even that the oceans of this planet have the ability to clean themselves up from oil spills? Were you not aware that before humans ever got here, there were oil spills? Immense oil spills. Oil bubbles up from the bottom of the sea. That's where they find it today. And all by itself, millions of gallons bubble up, cover the ocean, and go away. Bioremediation. Did you know that that was balanced as well? Humans probably haven't even thought of that. Because when you have an oil spill, it's a catastrophe. You give almost no credibility whatsoever for natural remediation or even the existence of it. It's almost like you invented oil. Dear ones, there's many of these kinds of things. What happens when an environmentalist decides to change the balance of an area for economic reasons? First, an environmentalist probably wouldn't do that. Unless, of course, they work for the government. If you change one thing, it throws everything else out of balance. And you see it immediately. You see the one thing reacting to this, and therefore it affects something else, and that perfect balance goes away. And then the human will realize the mistake and try to correct it by rebalancing it. And it never works. You have to ask the question, what is it? What is it that makes a perfect balance? And now I will tell you, Mother Nature is not random. Mother Nature is the name for the field. The field, again, is a physics that wants and demands synchronous action of harmony and balance. And things that are left alone are not random, dear ones. They come into a balance. They come into a synchronization, a purpose. 
And Mother Nature is the best example I can give you. It's everywhere. I tell you this because this field, as I said last week, is growing in strength and attitude. The field will try its best to cooperate with the human being's desire for harmony. This is a new tool on the planet. It means that it's more than just opening the door to awareness. The door will now fly open. <laughs> and you will be aware of things quicker than you ever were before. Because the field will actually push itself because you ask. Imagine an energy of benevolence that all it wants to do is create harmony wherever you walk. And here it goes. Can you use the field? Dear ones, not only can you use it, it can be your life. Today my partner spoke of the attributes of homeopathy. The unusual way that it works. A remedy, a tincture, is far too small to cause any kind of chemical reaction. Biologists know this. Chemists know this. And yet just the presence of a few parts per million of a remedy under the tongue of a human being will create cure. How? If you want to get to the minutia of it, you'll say, well, it's the innate. And that's what my partner told you today, and he's right. The smart body sees it. It doesn't see it as a desire or a wish. It sees it as your instructions for reality. Your instructions for reality. And then the body acts upon it. Naturally. Now stop right there. Why? <laughs> Can you name a physical process that would take the tincture and create a cure? And it's called the field. Because physics is present in chemistry. It's everywhere. Did you ever put this together? Or did you just think that the smart body did smart things and leave it at that? There has to be an underlying process for all things in order for you to connect the dots. It's like a fine Swiss clock. You're happy watching the hands go around. And you turn it over and you can see some gears moving. But you really don't know how they work. And now I'm telling you how they work. A tincture. A remedy. When placed into the human body. Is exposed not just to the smart body or the innate. But the field. Because it has consciousness of effect. You have got the remedy in your hand. 
That is the consciousness that says, I am willing to give my body a reality. At that point in time, the message is clear. You put it under your tongue for fast assimilation into the bloodstream. That is an actionable item. It carries a compassion action for you and your body. You have just given a positive action symbol. And the field does the rest. It wants to create harmony with the chemistry. It talks to that which you call the innate. It moves to create cures in the body. Sometimes even that which you call spontaneous remission is you connected to the field. Imagine regular physics all around you and all it wants to do is bring synchronous things in harmony with one another. And what's the most synchronous thing you could have in your body? And it's called health. 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 I just gave you the secret of why homeopathy works. There has to be another force. Don't you see that? It's not just magic. It's not just the chemistry of your body in a random way seeing something and acting. There has to be a driving force. And that's it. The physics of love, some of you may say. It's been hiding all along, but it's in plain sight. We've told you over and over that consciousness is physics. If it is, and if actual thought groups and intent carry energy, of intent. It makes thinking an actionable item. It means that which you do and think and project has positive energy for your body. So, we talked about affirmations last time. Let's talk about action this time. I want to call this channel the celebration channel. Because the celebrating of who you are is extremely actionable. Dear ones, I'm going to give you something I've never given you before. Not an affirmation, but a matching attitude for the field. <laughs> if you want to marry to the field, you're going to celebrate who you are. In celebration, there comes many attributes. Picture a celebration. What are you doing? A celebration. What are you doing? Are you dancing? Hmm? You get together and celebrate something beautiful and wonderful. You sing. There's music. There's laughter, there's joy, there's dancing. There's smiles all around. Pure celebration. All of those attributes together create a confluence of energy just by the word celebrate. If you celebrate your life, you're going to create something with the field. And the hardest thing to do is just that. In order to celebrate your life, 
and see it as a real, healthy, ongoing, compassionate human, you're going to have to come into this new energy as the new human without fear. You might say, well, crying, I'm not afraid. If you want to take fear apart, yes, you are. Because part of fear is what you've been taught that lays underneath that which you can feel. The things that you might be afraid of doing, that's a feeling perhaps, but it's fear. The things that you would say, well, that's not me, I don't want to do it. What are you afraid of? And the underlying one, the lack of self-worth that says, I don't deserve it. That's a fear of going forward and deserving it. You see that? You're going to have to wipe away all of that in order to have a pure celebration and connect to the field. But when you do, if you can, over time perhaps as the layers peel away of resistance, when you finally start to connect and you celebrate who you are, there are the words I am that come to mind. And you start to realize the connection you have with all things. And you sit there and you start to celebrate that who you are. Healthy. Alive. Living. Joyful. Smiling. And dancing. The celebration is that you are part of the cosmos itself. The celebration is that you belong on the planet. You belong here. No matter what anybody has ever told you about who you are or why you exist. You have to drop all the biases of what anybody has ever said. Anybody. What did your parents teach you? You're going to have to rewrite it. And in the process of rewriting it, what you do is you'll have to deal with the fact that you are going against what they told you. Because they didn't have it complete. Not in an old energy. Not really. You may love your parents, respect them, cherish them. Can you imagine then going against what they said? It's all part of how you think. And who you are. You start to peel it away. There are tricks in this. And the tricks are how you conceive it. And how you work it. You can envision your parents in front of you. And you can say. You didn't get it wrong. You just didn't know. There's something you should know. Then you inform your parents. Metaphysically. Metaphorically. In your own mind. You share your discoveries. With those who told you one thing. It's not exactly the way it is. You may say it's a mind trick, but everything is, dear ones, you must convince yourself of your own reality. It is you controlling you. It is what is taught at the highest level for a human being to have absolute control over their own being, only their, over their own thinking process, over their own emotions, without input and influence from anyone. What are you going to do with this? I've just given you something that's very old. 
Some of those who started spiritual belief systems on this planet sat for years wiping away everything and getting in touch. This is not that new. But what is new is the energy of cooperation. For the field is alive and well. I want you to imagine billions of little hands waiting to take you on a benevolent, harmonious trip into the place you've asked to be. But those little hands will have to get through the layers of guilt, of doubt, of lack of self-worth that only comes from what you have been told. So it's time to turn the switch and say, I know what I was taught, but I'm going to clear the boards and think for myself what's out there, what is really out there. And that is the trick. Imagine if it were true, and it is, what we are telling you today. We're going to talk more about the field. But it's so prevalent everywhere. In physics, my partner even mentioned that which you call evolution. And how the experts are now seeing that evolution was way too fast to be normal. They're right. Welcome to the field. Pushing it forward at an unbelievable speed that is not random. That's the field. It's been with you forever. It's helped create the humans that you see here that are ready to go into an ascension status on this planet in the new energy. The higher you get in consciousness, the greater the field will cooperate. This is a quantum secret that the Pleiadians knew, that those who seated you knew. That the higher the consciousness gets on a planet, the more cooperative it becomes with itself. That as you become more entangled with an elegance of thinking, the greater the ideas are that will come forward because the field is pushing them in a harmonious way, synchronizing them together and handing them to you because of your higher thought. That you didn't know. It's not a linear struggle as it has been. It's something that's coming. It's beyond anything that you really expected. Imagine, the more you help yourself, the more help you get from the field. I sit today in the temple of wisdom because these are wise things. They're new things and they're for you. These are advanced, for you live in a world that is recalibrated with many things that hurt your heart, as we told you there would be. You sit in a world where many are learning there's no more fence sitting. You can't be on the fence with these kinds of things anymore. You're either compassionate or you're not. You're either willing to go to these esoteric thoughts or you're not. And you can't then ride the fence and speak one way to one person and another to another. 
you'll be torn off the fence completely. You have to be in one camp or another. This is the new energy, especially for an old soul. So watch for these kinds of things in this energy. But I just gave you the future. It's the field. It's enough for now. And so it is we give you these things so that you may know them. And you will cognize them at your own pace. You will discern whether this message is accurate or comes from a human. You will feel the energy or you won't. And that is the free choice that is always yours. To take whatever is given to you and assimilate it or not. But dear ones, let me tell you something. You can't assimilate part of it. It's either all of it or it's none. And so it is. <laughs> it's an all or none evening, everybody. And I haven't done this for a while, but um, I'm going to give you Cheryl Croce's phone number. And it's really an important time as you wish to... Uh, come together and meditate and it's a good time to do it really good time right now so Cheryl's number is 425-436-6260 and the pin code is 946-7441 pounds and we will see you there on Sunday and Monday evenings uh, about quarter of seven, ten to seven, I'll say, uh, mountain time, ten to nine eastern time. And I'm going to quickly pass the talking stick to my sister, Rainbow, before we go. It's time to go. Peter's saying goodnight. And I know my sister's here, and I'm passing it to you. I just hear something you have to share with us. Here it comes, Rainbird. All the fairies, feathers, and angels are with us. And rainbow, rainbows and crystals. Oh, nice. I'll take that talking stick. And, yes, it was a delightful day. Thank you so much for everything you brought forward. It's good stuff. And we're in a good place. And we're getting it done. So <laughs> lots of gratitude for everyone here. And I pass this talking stick back to you, Tara, whatever you want to do with it. Thank you, sister. All right, everybody. I think we should say aloha, a feeder saying, and see you in your dreams and on that bridge. The time is now. The place is here. And Sat Nam. Sat Nam Ji. Ahomi Takuyasin. Love you, everyone. See you manana. Come and join us. It's about a three-hour journey. It's really something to share. Namaste.